Tuesday, March the 30th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We know two teams that have made it to the Final Four. We'll talk a little NCAA basketball in just a moment. The Lakers made an addition. They needed a little bit of help. How much is Andre Drummond going to help them? We'll talk about that in just a moment. 49ers made a trade. A little NFL news we'll get to. And then we have a full hour-long MLB preview of the American League. Mike Abadir joins me to talk about every team in the American League. We go through their rosters. We discuss everything happening over on the American League side. And we'll get into Stable Duel with some huge contests they have this week. It is opening week at Keeneland, Friday opening day at Keeneland. They are going to have a massive focus on contests throughout the, the Keeneland meet. Wednesday Racing. Best bets from Penn National. There's also a stable duel contest there, so we'll talk about that. I've got best bets from Oaklawn Park for Wednesday, and then full card Sam Houston for Wednesday. I'm going to go through races 1 through 5. Jessica Paquette is going to join me to talk races 6 through 10. We get to Thursday racing. Gulfstream Park best bets. It's the opening day for their uh, their next meet, not the championship meet anymore, which closed uh, on Sunday. Uh, we'll get to a few best bets for Gulfstream. We'll get to Sam Houston Thursday. Thursday, full card. I go through races one through five. Sam Sherman joins me to go through races six through ten. And then we close it out with the episode two recap of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier with Tim Kelly. So we bounce around. You get college basketball, NBA, NFL news, full on baseball preview. We give you Wednesday horse racing from three tracks. We give you Thursday horse racing for two different tracks. And we set you up for the stable dual schedule. Oh, yeah. And then how about an hour long recap of Falcon and the Winter Soldier? As in depth of a recap as you'll find anywhere. We go scene by scene. We talk about everything. Um, Spoiler alert, if you're uh, not watching that show, you want to make sure that you press pause before we start to get to that point of the podcast because we go through everything happening in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So an action-packed episode of That's What G Said podcast. And we know the, the first two teams in the final four. Congratulations to Baylor, who uh, has made it through. Uh, I am recording this uh, just moments after Baylor uh, holds off Arkansas. 81-72, Arkansas made it tight late, but Baylor really uh, controlled this game throughout, and Baylor is going to win the South Regional. They are going to move on to the Final Four, and they are going to be facing Houston, who... Uh, another team who was really in control throughout, but they survived a late scare from Oregon State. The 12-seeded Oregon State, who had to win the Pac-12 tournament just to get here. They were still alive. They were down by 17 at half. Oregon State comes all the way back, and with, what, like three minutes to go in the game? Uh, 3.48 left to go in the game. It was tied 55-55, and they unfortunately... Uh, Houston hits a three, go up 58-55. I'm saying for Oregon, I actually had Houston. I have Houston uh, making it to the Final Four. They were one of the teams I like, and Chad Coop had them uh, also. But uh, what an effort from Oregon State trying to get into the Final Four. They had a legitimate shot to do so. Uh, They just came up a tad short. They end up losing 67-61. So Baylor moves along. Uh, They will be playing Houston In the Final Four, one of those teams will be heading to the National Championship game 
And then on the other side of the bracket, I'm not going to really talk a whole lot about that because I'm recording this late Monday, early Tuesday. By the time a lot of you hear it, the Gonzaga-USC game will have already been played and the Michigan-UCLA game will have already been played. But uh, how crazy for the Pac-12 with two more opportunities to try to get into the Final Four, USC taking on Gonzaga and UCLA taking on Michigan. Both Pac-12 teams are heavy, heavy underdogs. But it's, it's pretty incredible to think that a USC win and a UCLA win would have them be matching up in the finals with a trip to the national championship on the line. So just funny to think about USC is going to have to come up with a Herculean effort and uh, they have been playing the best basketball that they have played in my lifetime and maybe ever the last three games. And is that going to be good enough to beat this Gonzaga team who feels like an all time college basketball team? I don't know. This is a very, very good Gonzaga team. And to be honest, I would have felt more confident, uh, comfortable, confident had USC been playing any other team. Michigan, UCLA, Baylor, Arkansas, Oregon State, Houston. I probably would have felt like USC could have beat them. I still think there's a small chance in the way USC with their defense inside it can match up if they're shooting as well as they've been shooting lately. But Gonzaga just feels like they're a different animal than everybody else I've seen in this tournament so far. So let's see if USC can pull off the big upset or maybe UCLA can pull off their big upset in the matchup with Michigan. Later on this week, we will get into the Final Four matchups and we will talk about those with Eric Itoff, one sports. So NCAA basketball, we are down to... Uh, our first two of the final four, and after Tuesday, we will know the final four. I got to give a shout out to uh, on Twitter at a fleet me said, uh, fight on USC basketball. Uh, so a big shout out to at a fleet me. I'm gonna start the uh, the segment that I've been talking about for a while. We used to do that's what you said segment where I'll give everybody an opportunity to send in some of their plays for the weekend, send in any comments if you ever want to uh, share a, a take or share some information that you have, and we'll have a segment um, on each show starting soon or or maybe each week on on at least one show a week where we give you all the opportunity to get your voice in the mix. So big shout out there to at a fleet me on Twitter. Quick NBA news. The Lakers add Andre Drummond. Will he help? How much will he help? Is he going to buy in and play defense like they need? You know what? Hearing everything that he said on Monday, he's saying all the right things, right? We'll see what happens out on the court. I am... I, I don't know how much this moves the needle for the Lakers. Why I, do, I don't mind it is because they didn't have to give anything up. They didn't have to make a trade here, but... Uh, I, I don't want him to necessarily be forced or, or them to feel the pressure that they have to play this guy if he is not playing well and giving them the best opportunity to win. A lot of people haven't liked what they've seen from Marcus Gasol this year, and I think it's because a lot of people were just expecting more counting numbers from him. The Lakers have been very good with him on the court in, in almost every metric, and he's done really everything that he's been asked to do. Uh, Drummond gives them a different option. He gives them another option with Montrez there, and then when Anthony Davis comes back, you have... You know, Anthony Davis, uh, Drummond, Marcus Gasol, and Montrez, a pretty solid front line that you can mix and match there depending on whoever your opponent is. You know, they're not, there will be a series or two where you maybe don't even play Drummond or Gasol very much, and it's all Anthony Davis at the five and, and Montrez coming in and playing uh, against smaller lineups. So a lot of Markeith in, in situations like that too. So they, they have some options. Um, how long? 
does it take for LeBron to get back? How long does it take for AD to get back and maybe can just drum and help them eat some minutes until then? Sort of like uh, in baseball, you know, you, you see teams sometimes make a move in the middle of the year to pick up another starting pitcher, just someone that can help them get through uh, get through some innings. And maybe that's what Drummond does here because the Lakers were in a little bit of trouble. They've won a couple games recently, which has helped them. But it's where they are right now, they're in such a situation where they're just trying to stay alive. It's like anytime they can check a box and get another win, uh, it's a major positive for them. We'll see how they uh, continue with Drummond. I think he's going to be added to the lineup on Wednesday. In the NFL, the 49ers made a trade. They moved up to number three because they want to grab a quarterback. They traded the number 12 pick and a first and third round pick in 2022, and a first round pick in 2023. They still want to hold on to Jimmy G, but they are moving up to number three in a draft that has quarterbacks Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, uh, as you know, some of the quarterbacks towards the top of the of the draft board, Trevor Lawrence, everybody expects to go one. Who knows what next quarterback off the board would be? Wilson, maybe Fields, or who do they like more? They should have an opportunity at three to at least get one of, you know, one of those three there. Um, and and maybe, you know, maybe the number two quarterback if uh, if the, the two pick doesn't end up, you know, taking a quarterback. So the 49ers making, uh, making some noise there because they feel like they, they had a, I think last year is the kind of year for the 49ers that you just can't even use to gauge all of the injuries, everything that went wrong for them. You have to look more at the team that they were two years ago. And maybe they're not a team that you can just pencil in as a Super Bowl team, right? But I think they're a team that we can pencil back in as a playoff type team because they seem to have really done well in the offseason, strengthening the offensive line, helping again, adding some key pieces to uh, players that help use check that helped with their offense and that helped do what they do. I think the 49ers are going to be in good shape and they want to have a quarterback to make sure that if Jimmy G isn't giving them what they need and they have one of these top tier talents, maybe that's someone they can slot in immediately and help them win some games. So in in the NFL, some Big news there as the 49ers move up the draft board. Let's talk about our friends over at sarahcandles.com. C-E-R-A candles.com. That's Sarah Candle Company. When you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you 10% off your purchase. Now, this is a candle company that is different than a lot of the other leading candle companies that you see because they have the natural clean burning candles they are high quality that everyone can enjoy let's tell you why sarah candles are the best all natural soy wax free from those toxins that are found in paraffin wax that's the kind of wax that's used by a lot of the other leading brands the all natural soy wax will actually hold your scent better and burn up to 50 percent longer than the traditional paraffin wax candles These are 100% lead-free, cotton wicks, completely natural scents. They're made in micro-batches and hand-poured to ensure the highest quality. 100% locally sourced, handcrafted in the USA. They have 25 different scents available in three different sizes. And if you're uh, looking for maybe something that's kind of light and in the spring mode, why don't you uh, check out their spring scents. They have a desert oasis. They've got blood orange or a Sunday brunch. Three different sizes and all of those candles. Give you instructions on how to keep your candle clean and how to get the perfect burn. Quality packaging, affordable pricing, longer burning, none of those toxins, none of those carcinogens, none of those pollutants that are found in 
and paraffin wax and a lot of those other candle brands. This was created by people who love candles. They started out experimenting, trying to create the perfect candle, and they've blossomed into Syrah Candle Company. Through research, they were able to discover the benefits of the all-natural soy wax, a perfect gift for someone. And That promo code GINO will get you 10% off your purchase. Let's get into baseball. We have an American League preview. We'll have the National League preview coming up on the next episode a little later this week. So we go through American League East, American League Central, American League West, team by team. A good friend, Mike Abadir. Uh, I also co-host the show, the Mike Abadir Show, with him. He joins me. We spend about an hour uh, going over team by team, every roster, positives, negatives, strengths, weaknesses. So baseball fans, kick back and enjoy. You'll get all set up because baseball starts. This week, just a couple days from now, on Thursday, we go through the entire American League. So wrapped up in the March Madness, everything going on in NCAA basketball, going uh, on in the NBA with uh, the Lakers uh, for myself and kind of worrying about LeBron and AD, watching all these Kentucky Derby preps that forget that baseball season is starting. We are just a couple days away from baseball season. So my good friend Mike Abadir, co-host of the Mike Abadir Show, the man that I'm sure many of you hear when I talk with him each and every Thursday, and I'm sure most of you are subscribed to that. If you're not, go do so right now. Mike is one of the bigger baseball fans that I know, so uh, he helped us out, uh, I think, the last couple years with our baseball previews because we can get a little nerdy and we can go through uh, teams and players. We like to play fantasy baseball. Mike joins me today to talk about the American lead side as we preview just a few days out can you believe it buddy baseball season it's kind of crazy because you know a lot of people have maybe i don't want to use the word complained but just kind of maybe suggested that 162 is too many games and that type of stuff but it's kind of funny because when you don't get 162 you see how like nothing a 60 game season was i mean it was so small for us baseball nuts and it was insufficient to satisfy me and probably you as, probably as hard a baseball to fan. Too? Like yeah, so we even forward. had a 162 game season now in a couple of years, calendar years. If you go back, it's been a couple of years. So I'm really excited for that. And I think that baseball is wide open. It's about as wide open as it's been in the American League in a long time. Because yeah. I think there are legitimately six or seven teams that can make some noise. And maybe even one or two others that we didn't think of, because I'm sure that's always the case. At the end of the year, you look back and you're like, wow, who would have thunk it? So that's what I'm excited about, you know? Yeah, there uh, are, in in particular, when we're, we'll start in the American League East. So we're going to go through uh, each team. We'll start with the AL East. We'll go through the AL Central. We'll go through the AL West after that. Um, the American League East in particular, and I think that's going to, as a whole, make the American League um, just more competitive, is that I don't, the Yankees are still good. Um, but I think the teams behind the the Rays aren't quite as good, and it feels like the Red Sox and the Blue Jays are going to be better. So I think that makes this division pretty competitive between four teams. And and you know, looking at a lot of you know metrics and stuff like um, actually Fangraphs has the Rays picked fourth in this division behind the Yankees, Blue Jays, and Red Sox, and actually has all of them projected. At uh, 84 wins and over So they think that they're going to be four pretty good teams in this division I'll tell you what man I mean, Before we totally jump off the Rays bandwagon Kind of want to remind everybody That one of the biggest prospects Like literally in the world Not just in the United States but in the world is a kid from the Dominican named Wander Franco He was rated the top player In all of the minors Before he'd even turned 19 I believe 
Well, I was reading he just turned 20. He's a shortstop for the Rays. And I believe he's going to start the season off in the minors. But I think that's going to be very short-lived. And he's going to get to the majors. I guess what I'm trying to say is what makes the Rays so good, Gino, is is that that they bring up guys that we don't know about every single year. And they end up coming through in big, big ways and help this team win. And when you got... But I haven't heard that of them having a top guy in all the whole world type thing. So, you know, you lose a pitcher, you lose maybe two pitchers, but then you bring up an all-world shortstop. Who knows, man? This is a game Who they've knows? been playing for they a while. They may be sleeping like on the said. Rays again. Yep, this is the game they know. They play this game. This is how they replenish. They guys get a little um a little too, I don't want to say too good, but they get a little too expensive and they have to go elsewhere and so you end up having to either trade them off or let them go, bring back some young pieces and and try to build them back up. They've done it successfully. Um so yeah, I think you know, you and I were talking about them a couple times throughout uh, the last few weeks uh, here and there on the Mike Abadir show and I think I do think we both agree they aren't going to be as good as they were last year or maybe the last couple years, but I don't I don't think I'm ever ready to like count them as a seller dweller because they just do the same kind of kind of thing that Oakland does each and every year like you sort of want to count them out and they always overachieve. It's just how much is overachieving going to be for them this year? Is it going to be enough to get them into the playoffs or is it going to be, you know, them having another year where they're around 500 or above 500 with a team that probably shouldn't be 500. Yeah, and one more thing I'll quickly say about Wander Franco. I I mentioned that he's going to start off the year in the minors. And, um, you know, if, if one were to think, well, is that, does that mean he's not ready? No, just think of this. We lost an entire minor league season last year. So yeah. anybody that was going to be getting development or getting a step closer had to pretty much shut it down in terms of actual games. You know, I know that they had their, you know, Taxi their offsite camps. And stuff, and, but that's so yeah, different. It's very, yeah, very no, different. Those aren't, those aren't real ABs and real games, exactly. you know. Exactly. So yeah. this kid at 19, he lost his whole 19-year-old minor league season. I mean, which and, really, really sucks. But the good news is he just turned 20. So <laughs> so he's got a bright future ahead of him. We'll, uh, we'll get to the Rays in a few as we uh, head. We'll start with the American League East. So on the Blue Jays, uh, their uh, roster looks something like this. Their, uh, their you know, lineup, Biggio, Kevin Biggio at third, Springer in center, Bichette at shortstop, Teoscar Hernandez in right, Vlad Guerrero Jr. at first, Marcus Simeon at second, uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in left, Rowdy Tellez as the DH, Danny Jensen. As the catcher, their rotation, uh, Ryu, Nate Pearson, Robbie Ray, Steven Matz, Tanner Rourke, their closing situation, which looked great. They were really excited. They brought in Kirby Yates, and unfortunately, they just found out that he's going to be done for the year, which is just a massive blow to a team that, like we said, a lot of people think are going to take a step forward this year. Now, they do have some help in the bullpen, and there are, are other options they can go to, but obviously not the greatest uh, way to start the year where you, you have you know someone who you think is going to be a big piece for you uh, done. Yeah, this guy was dynamite with the Padres. So, Oh, man, best closer in baseball. Yeah, so, I mean, that's definitely a big loss. You know, it's kind of funny, Gino. I was reading an article by, by Tim uh, Kirchin from ESPN. And he said that he's predicting that Bo Bichette is going to be the first player to sign a $100 million contract before he's played 100 games in the big leagues. Can you believe that? <laughs> Unre- you- I mean, but but in, in his support of it, he was saying that um, like other teammates like Biggio and others have said that Bichette is the most exciting player in all of baseball. So we haven't seen a lot of them, really. No. We know the name. We know and, the name of the three amigos down there or up there in Canada, 
but we really haven't seen that much of them. I can't tell you. I've watched a lot of Blue Jays games. I've watched some highlights. And and we we know Vlad, and we know his same thing. We know his name. Like Biggio's actually been really, really like probably the best of all of them so far, and been really good. Um, but uh, you know, like Vlad still has some things to prove. But um, this is a team that. These are a lot of very highly regarded prospects. Even even just more than their names, they are they're supposed to be good, and they've succeeded at different levels of baseball, but not quite at this highest level. So it's always interesting when you have, um, you know, three or four of these guys in one lineup. I think what'll really help them, obviously, is guys like Springer and Semyon. Who are capable of having really really big years And carrying the load a little bit If some of the younger guys go through their growth spurts Look man I like by nature to play against favorites I like to take medium prices I like to take long shots I'm very very eager to say that this is my division winner Because I think you have a lot of upside Yep. And anytime you've got a lot of upside Where you can't quantify how many games they can improve Because they're all looking to be that good then that's the kind of underdog I like. It, I just have a hard time getting beyond their pitching staff. I know they've made some improvements to it, Gino, and the Yates thing does set them back a little bit, but I think they're still not quite yeah, there. Yeah, I agree. With some, I mean, Ryu, I like a lot, you know, as, as, as hopefully you get 30-plus games out of him, you know, but... Um, if, but if you don't, let's say he gets hurt. Yeah, which he's been, which he has some years, or let's say, you know, he's not giving you ace number one type stuff. Then, you, then you get a little bit nervous about a rotation that I, I think I saw ranked by Fangraphs like eleven and twelve or so. So they don't think they're great. They don't think they're necessarily bad. Um, but I, you know, you need Ryu to be a number one type guy, and you need to get some good Robbie Ray innings too. He's another one who. You know, is do you necessarily know what you're going to get from him? And he's already got a, like an elbow injury to start. He might miss like a week or so of the season to begin. Maybe a start or two. Who knows? Uh, just but, for uh, the record, you know, I am not a Robbie Ray fan. No, me neither. And I saw he him seems a lot. like the kind of guy that, like, you know, in fantasy leagues, people kind of get excited about him. He can strike out a lot of people and this and that. I don't think he's really. He ain't gonna put it together over 32 games, man. I'm sorry to say that. No, I, I don't think you can trust a, a player like him. If no. if he does. And you can you can, it can just be sort of like a, a a nice surprise for your team. Then that's great. But like going in counting on him being like a number two, number three guy for you. I don't know if that pitching wise, the Blue Jays are in the greatest shape. They uh you know they're projected like I said to in to to win like right in that range. Um, some of the things I'm looking at have the Blue Jays, Red Sox, and Rays within about four games. Blue Jays at winning 88 games or so. Um, so this this team, I, I think. This team this year winning a division, we'll see, but they have to take another step forward and at least become like a 500 ish team and continue on their trajectory with a lot of the young players because now they added a couple veterans. So, um, I think their, their floor now, you know, is getting a little higher. Their margin of error, like if they're bad, then, then people are gonna, the pressure is gonna start to mount a little bit on this team. I think this team could win 90. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I really do. I think because of the offense and, Here's the theme that I predict that you and I are going to come across this entire afternoon, Gino, is that American League teams have good offenses. Very few have good pitching staffs. Or deep pitching staffs. Or, or very unproven, very question. Correct. Like, right, like lots of question marks in their pitching staff as we move to the Baltimore Orioles, uh, this poor Baltimore Orioles team. Like I go, I was going through um, a couple of the, the – Stuff I was looking for in the projections One of them I reference a lot is, is fan graphs And like they'll rank 
every um, positional group for for each team. So they'll give them a you know like the Blue Jays, they had the 16th number of ranked right fielders, number 10 based on their left fielders. That's what they they're projecting of the groups of people that are going to get all the at bats at those positions. They've got them you know top 10 in center field. Uh, first base, second base, third base So you look at the Blue Jays on paper and you go Oh wow, this team should be pretty good You look at the poor Orioles and some of these teams uh, they projected to be Like towards the bottom with catcher, shortstop Third base, second base, first base uh, Left field, I think there's only One positional spot that they're supposed to be Above average and that's in right field uh, If you were trying to just play the game With your friends, with I think we've, we've had a few times uh, Throughout the years and was like Name how many starters on the Orioles Lineup you could You'd really have a tough time getting to maybe more than three or four. Cedric Mullins in center, Ryan Mountcastle in left, Santander, Anthony Santander in right, Trey Mancini at first, Rio Ruiz at third, Pedro Severino catching, DJ Stewart at the DH, Freddie Galvis at short, Yulmer Sanchez at second, the pitching staff, John Means, Dean Creamer, uh, Keegan Aiken, and then a couple uh, old. Looking for some old glory Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey. I think Tanner Scott is their closer. The Orioles. Are always one of the lowest projected team They are uh, the worst projected team In the American League On the rankings I'm looking at And and basically uh, One game above the Rockies And the Pirates for worst team overall What does that say about the Rockies? Jesus Yeah right I think for the Rockies A lot of what hurts them Is that the Dodgers and the Padres Are supposed to be so good That's a good point So I think they just are going to get beat up on By two really good teams over and over that's a good point. Yeah, that's a better part of uh, 38 games that uh, they're not going to win a big percentage of when you're talking about the Rockies against those two powerhouses in the NL. Yeah, I mean, look, there's not a lot to say about Baltimore no, except for the fact that, you know, nice story with Trey Mancini coming back from cancer. That's pretty cool. Always you know, they got a that. couple of uh, veteran guys that are kind of uh, decent starters slash utility. Freddie Galvez, Michael Franco, they can hit some home runs. I don't think they're going to give a lot of Orioles fans some excitement you know when you see uh it's, there was a lot of this in the 80s where they put like brown bags over their heads I mean this yeah. is the, the classic <laughs> brown bag over your Not head to team with the Baltimore Orioles because they're gonna have trouble getting outs from the pitching side they're gonna have trouble scoring some runs the beauty of baseball is you don't have to have the best player in every position in fact you can be a little bit above average everywhere and win a lot of games maybe even a world series like the San Francisco Giants you know but they had one strong area you can win games even if you're okay in some areas and just are like the St. Louis Cardinals that won as a, you know, uh, a wild card team a few years back. They weren't great. They were just really good in every area. I, I don't see how many games these guys are going to be able to string enough runs to beat the opponent. Or, I mean, or that's save a, that's enough a, runs. They're, they're projected. Baseball. To, I mean, yeah. what's, a hot, what's a hot streak for this team? Putting Three together wins. four runs? I was going to say, like, three like, – Three wins in a row like I just like you said how can a team that can't score a lot of runs and that doesn't really have very many above average position players at at their you know throughout their lineup and they're ranked the they're projected to have the number 30 pitching staff and the number like 23 relief staff so they're not really good at any in anything. Yeah, like outside said, of guys that came up through the Orioles system and I, I mean every player here has been on like five teams. It's yeah it's just. Uh, Baltimore, um, you know, I, I'd love to. I like you said, I love an underdog story. I'd love to see them win. You know, they, they started the season really good last year. You know, in the short season, and we're playing some good ball early on, but uh, could be a long year for them. The Rays, uh, Austin Meadows, Brandon Lowe, 
Randy uh, Rosarena, G-Man Choi, Joey Wendell, Willie Adamas, Kevin Kiermeyer, Mike Zanino, Manuel Margot, um, and the rotation now: Tyler Glass, now Ryan Yarbrough, Michael Waka, Rich Hill, Chris Archer. So uh, a starting staff that the last few years would have been top five is projected to be number twenty, but. Like we said, uh, that relief staff and that bullpen, they always find great arms. They're still supposed to have a top 10 bullpen in the league, and they still have some quality players throughout their lineup. You know, uh, they have a pretty solid outfield with uh, Rosarena, with Kiermeyer, and with Margot. Um, towards the top of their lineup, Meadows and Lowe are, are solid. So, I mean, there's still plenty of pieces there. Wendell had a good year last year, and they have some versatility with their position players. So, I don't think they're a seller dweller team. I think they're probably a 500 to slightly above 500 team, pretty close to what the projections have them at. Yeah, I mean, look, this kind of fits into that model that I was just talking about a few minutes ago, where they're not great anywhere, but they're not bad anywhere either. Yeah. Yes. You know, they're they're and in some areas they're a little bit above average. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if this this team come September we're still in the hunt somehow, mm-hmm. some way. Wild card mix or just just out of it for Correct. the division, maybe. Correct. Yeah. I mean, look, if they won between eighty seven and ninety two games, I wouldn't be shocked. Well, and even their their starting staff, right? If you got good stretches from Waka, Hill, and Archer, any of them or all of them, it wouldn't be surprising. Not at all. And and the, this is the type of place where those guys too, like someone like Archer, would come back and actually get a little bit of that old glory. So yeah, they're um like you hit the nail on the head. I think when you said it is that you look at their rotation and you go, okay, it's not that great. But then you compare it to a lot of the rest of the American League, and they actually have a a rotation that does seem like it has a little bit of upside with the, those three guys towards the back of it. Who if maybe just one of them can hit and have a pretty decent year, they'll be in okay shape. Yeah, and here's here's one really important thing to consider, and this kind of goes outside the bounds of maybe analytics a little bit, I, I suppose. Maybe analytics can encompass it or incorporate it a little bit, but have you noticed that there are two types of teams that have good pitching? One is because they've got a really, really good pitching coach, and they have an understanding of how to get the most out of their pitchers. And then there's another philosophy, which is what we're going to ask of you as a pitcher. So just a quick example, you know, let's just say Chris Archer, you know, and he was traded and, and he didn't perform to the Chris Archer type levels that we were accustomed to before he was traded. But let's just say wherever he went to, whatever destinations, maybe it was Pittsburgh or, uh, well, I guess it was only Pittsburgh for him. He was expected to be an ace. He was expected to be a guy who was going to go seven, eight innings sometimes and and maybe even bail them out from a crappy bullpen. Okay, so... He's asked to do something very different. He comes back to Tampa, though, Gino. Maybe he's asked now, hey, go all out, balls out, five innings. That's all we want of you. Yep. All of a sudden, his ERA drops by like a point and a half. That's the type of thing that happens with with the players when they go to the Rays. The other example, the other type that I mentioned first was the Dodgers. Yep. You get to the Dodgers because they have an understanding, a pitching coach, uh, you know, and they've had it for a long time, even with – when when uh, Honeycutt was there and, and others, they they know what it takes to turn somebody's career around. Get the I don't know what it them. is. It's yeah, something in a, just they the bottle it up and they're good put at it. In a, put them in a six like a spot to succeed. You know. Correct. So so those are the two types of philosophies that I've noticed in baseball for the teams that generally have good pitching. The A's are like that too. They're more in the raise category where. What we're going to ask of you is very different than what was asked of you on your previous team. So 
because of that, I think they can rely on their bullpen enough that if you give us five or six, that's all we really need to make to, to get some wins. Yep. And, and so I, I think the Tampa Rays are still going to make some noise, you know. Yep, Nick Anderson as a closer and a, and a really solid bullpen. So uh, don't be shocked if you see them in the hunt late. We get to Mike's Boston Red Sox with uh, Kiki at second, Alex Verdugo in center, JD Martinez the DH, Bogarts at short, Devers at third, Christian Vasquez catching, Frenchie Cordero in left, uh, Bobby Dalbeck at first, Hunter Renfro in right. Uh, the rotation. Some bad news uh, with Eduardo Rodriguez doesn't look sort of has some dead arm. Doesn't look like he will start the season. But uh, we got Eddie Rodriguez, Nate Avoldi, Garrett Richards, Martin Perez, Nick Pavetta. The return of Chris Sale at some point. Uh, Matt Barnes looking to uh, mop things up in the bullpen there. And I think it's funny if you and I were to project where Boston's pitching staff. Uh, was we wouldn't even really have had to look at the rankings and we could have said almost exactly what we said when we talked about them on the Mike Abadir show. They're projected to be number 15 starting pitching and number 15 relief pitching because I think they don't really know. They just don't really know what you're going to get. And they, this team could be a top 10 staff and a top 10 bullpen. Uh, I don't know if they'd be top five. They probably need Sale to come back and really pitch well, but I could see them being like above average with both. I could see them being below average with both. But that'll be the real key to how good this team is going to be Because as you listen to me list off that lineup I mean, the middle of the lineup there With J.D., Bogarts, and Devers Is, is going to be excellent And then you add someone like Kiki Who's got incredible power And is going to get the opportunity to, to hit every day now And Verdugo is a very, very smart hitter All of a sudden, you've got five And now you've got a catcher spot Where you can get good offense from two Now you've got six or seven of your spots That are like above average to really good Even all-star quality hitters Yeah, look, it all goes back to What you said a moment ago Which is what we said last week or a couple of weeks ago, the pitching staff is very difficult to project. And unfortunately, the dot arm situation with Eduardo that you mentioned, um, you know, Eovaldi usually brings his best when you kind of least expect him to. And maybe that has to do with when he doesn't have as much um, of a load to carry. Although we saw in the playoffs, he was able to carry that load. He usually doesn't do it over 162 is my point. So, you know, you already have two issues at the very top of the staff and Eduardo Rodriguez with his health and Nate Uvaldi with his consistency. Garrett Richards has not been a very good pitcher since he went to the National League a couple of years ago. He was pretty decent with the Angels, but that's kind of a while back now. Um, so he's going to have to find some old form. So really, I mean, we could go on and on, but there are question marks at each one of the starting rotation positions, um, you know, can they can they put it together and be a top 15 team like you mentioned from the pitching side? Yeah, I, I think so. But I don't think that has any elite level pitching written on this for this season at all. 2021 will not be remembered for the elite pitching from the Boston Red Sox. No, they'll try but to I think they're you. hitting. They're hitting they'll try the to survive. Five. Yeah, they're hitting the top five, top seven team, in my opinion. Yeah. They're good. So tell, tell me a little bit about um, uh, uh, maybe two people that aren't household names in Frenchie Cordero and Bobby Delbeck. Well, I'll start with Frenchie. Uh, any any fan of the NL West uh, of the Padres probably remembers him from a couple of years ago when uh, there was there was some talk about him out of the Dominican Republic uh, to come in and, and swipe some bags and and to play a good outfield. Um, he 
has shown very tidy flashes thus far and then played last season with the Royals. I'm not sure if he was traded from the Padres or, or what led to him being on the Royals, but I guess I, I don't have a lot to say out of him about him because we haven't seen a lot out of him. Gina. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we haven't seen much at all, but this is supposed to be a guy that can hit some home runs and swipe some bags. Right. And his whole career totals are eight stolen bases with three caught. So that's a pretty decent percentage of bags swiped. And he's got 12 total home runs. This is all in 284 at bats. It'll be a great So, I mean, the numbers when you project them out over a full season, you know, you're looking at a 25-25 type guy. Great spot for someone with some speed and a great spot in a lineup there where um, you'll, you'll probably have, you'll be able to get some good pitches, right? Like he'll get some pitches to hit in this lineup when people try to avoid some of the other bigger boppers. So uh, we should be able to get to see some of his best at bats and, and what he has to offer here. Correct. Now, Bobby Dahlbeck, he's proven in a, in a about a half season. Well, not quite a third of his season um, last year, a third of 60, that is, that he's got tremendous power. And he, he showed it in limited number of games, 23 games, eight home runs. It, it doesn't get much better than that in terms of a ratio. So this guy can hit some home runs. He was called up for his power. He delivered power. He drove in some runs. Showed a decent eye uh, with, with drawing 10 walks. Strikes out a lot. Uh, half, about half his at-bats he strikes out. Um, but I, I think if he can learn how to play Pepper off the green monster, he can even get, bring you like a 275 average, maybe above that as well. Anything else about your uh, beloved Red Sox you want to mention before we no, move I think, to the hate? I think the Hunter Renfro move is actually kind of a sneaky, surprisingly, yeah. you know, one of those things that can paint out. And you could look at the All-Star break and see him putting up maybe All-Star type numbers, especially in the home run category, because um, he's tr- he's got tremendous power, you know. Yeah, very. I mean, his totals I like with the Padres I, over the last three seasons, yeah. uh, the last three years of the Padres are 26, 26, and 33. So he's, he's got consistent who, with, power, in, and those are not in full seasons. Not a single one of those was over a 140 game mark. When he's getting, when he's up to bat, he he's a guy that I got nervous about. When when he's up, like thinking he can hit, he's capable of hitting a home run, hitting a gapper, like a very capable hitter. He'll be, it'll be another. Again, when you have a couple top level type talent that Boston has with a, a JD, a Bogarts, a Devers, guys that are going to command a lot of attention throughout the lineup. It's a great spot again for someone someone like Renfro, who you can probably place in many spots throughout your lineup too. Wouldn't be surprised to see him hit towards the top of it, hit towards the bottom, he could hit towards the middle and kind of um if you need to fill spot and kind of mix things up lefty to righty here and there, you know. So uh very, very capable. I agree. One not a move that anyone's gonna really like Talk a whole lot about, but under the under the radar signing that will really help you throughout 162 games. Yeah, and let me just say two quick quick things. The first one is I'm going to go out on a limb. This is like prediction mode, and I'm going to say that Alex Verdugo is going to actually battle for top supremacy in terms of the American League batting crown. I would really think he's going to hit for high batting average with the Red Sox. Yep, I really think so. Keep something in mind, and this is going to be the other point I was going to quickly make. The Red Sox, specifically Fenway Park. It's really not the best for a free agent that's like Carl Crawford, right? The way that the ballpark it takes is away their speed. It, it takes away your, exactly right. The guys that do the best, and that by the way, that's why Mookie Betts was so good because his game isn't that dissimilar than Carl, Carl Crawford, but he was able to succeed there. That's why I knew he was going to succeed anywhere that he went, and that the Dodgers were the most perfect fit for the guy. 
You have a very spacious outfield. We could get into those reasons later. But the bottom line is it's not great for this type, but it's really good for the J.D. Mart. I mean, guys that really don't run, um, but, but have power. So to me, if you have a little bit of speed and can leg out some of those singles into doubles, you know, you're going to have a nice slugging percentage. So I see guys like Hunter Renfro doing really, really well at Benton Fenway Park this year. For those who play fantasy, he might be like a nice middle-of-the-pack alternative that's going to bring you closer to the top-type home run production and, and doubles and slugging percent and whatever your format that you play, he's going to get you some of those extra points um, speed-wise, steel-wise, et cetera, that you maybe didn't anticipate. And lastly, we already know about Kike, Devers, Bogarts, JD, formidable lineup. They're going to hit a lot of home runs. This team is going to score a lot of runs, Gino. I think this is a 90-win team only if we get a little bit plus side of that pitching staff. If so, hey, maybe they contend for a wild card spot. Yeah, I think right now, I think they're contending for a while. I have them third, right behind the Blue Jays and sort of uh, above, just above the Rays. I think their offense can carry them a little bit more. They need, they need just a little bit of luck. Something, something to hit in the pitching staff uh, to help them, uh, and and they should, you know, be able to at least battle for a playoff spot this year. The Yankees, who we move to, are projected to be the favorite in this division. Although I do think the projections that I look at are a little high on them, um, just mainly because of what we talked about. I think there are. Uh, a couple other solid teams in the division. I think Boston's going to be better than they were last year. I think Toronto's going to be improved, and Tampa's still going to be solid. The Yankees have DJ LeMahieu, uh, Aaron Judge, Aaron Hicks, John Carlos Stanton, Luke Voigt, Gleyber Torres, Gary Sanchez, Clint Frazier, Gio Ursula. Um, that's their projected starting lineup with the rotation of Garrett Cole, Corey Kluber, James Italian, Jordan Montgomery, and Devi Garcia. So top of the starting rotation, Garrett Cole was good last year, but I think after that, you do have a uh, a couple question marks with you know which Kluber do you get? Uh, Italian, hopefully he can bounce back. Always a great story there. Um, but I think in the two, three, four, even five spots, you have questions. Um, really strong bullpen though, still with them. They are actually projected to have the number one bullpen still, even with uh, uh, Roldis, who's getting a little older. They have a lot of depth there, so they're going to be good. They seem to me like a 90-win team or so. Uh, I just don't think they're maybe a 100-win team. I think they're going to be closer to low 90s, and I think late in the year they're still going to be having to uh, to sweat it out to try to win this division. Kluber's got the bigger name, obviously, but I think Talion is going to be the bigger move, the better move. We've seen now enough comps of Pirates pitchers going off and, and doing really well out of Pittsburgh, and I think he's going to be a great example of that. Kluber, we haven't really seen anything from in since 2018 and we're going to be seeing a lot of that Gino which is 2020 was is you put a line line right through 2020 some guys opted out some guys played some guys played very little Kluber had one inning literally one inning in 2020 and he was hurt in 2019 so and there are a few players in that category where you have to go back to 2018 now even though we're in 2021 I don't remember a season going into a season where you kind of had that kind of quote-unquote layoff um, with baseball players as many as we do now and so and it took a lot of these guys from their prime like 28 29 year age groups to 33 34 that's why there's a lot of question marks going into the season Gino with a lot of these teams and so that's baseball that's what makes it such a beautiful game that's why it's difficult to project 
in 2021, I think more than going into any other season in recent memory. But Talion, I think, is going to be the better move for the Yankees than Kluber. I think this is a team that wins the division, um, but maybe underperforms a little bit, Gino. Yeah, you said yeah. that they, they uh, are maybe a little bit overrated from the analytics perspective. I think so, too. And I think it's going to be a team where you look at it at the end of the year, it's opposite of two years ago, where you're like, man, how the hell did they win all these games? Who are these guys that they got from double A that performed so well? I think we're going to have a little bit of the opposite of that, which is how the hell did this team only win the division by two games? Yeah, I think I, that's where we're going to see this year with the Yankees, and maybe off to a slow start. Because keep in mind, Luke Voigt is is maybe out till uh, May with the knee injury. Um, you got Severino, who you don't know with him. July, maybe even Aroldis has to miss a few games. He's suspended. Uh, I think the first couple games of the year. So maybe they get off to a little bit of a slow start, and they don't have the kind of dominant season. Uh, still a good team, still a talented team, and still one of the teams to beat in the American League, no doubt about it. Um, as we move from the American League East to the American League Central, and first up, we have the Cleveland Indians. Uh, Cesar Hernandez at second. Uh, Jose Ramirez at third Eddie Rosario in left Fran Mil Reyes the DH Josh Naylor in right Bobby Bradley at first Andreas Jimenez at short Roberto Perez in center uh, Oscar Mercado in, in center The rotation uh, Bieber uh, Who was awesome last year But not so awesome in the playoffs uh, Zach Plesic, Aaron Savali Tristan McKenzie and Cal Quantrill With a closer James uh, Karinchak So you know same thing They've done a really good job of bringing up Pitchers and turning them into Top of the line starting pitchers what they've done The last few years like getting rid of Kluber, Bauer Clevenger and being able to bring up Guys like Bieber and Plezak It's pretty or you know bring up some of these guys That are they're still this good um, I, I just think there's a lot of question marks With this rotation a lot uh, I like it actually Gino Nice okay cool I, I, I like this pitching staff I, I actually like Like what they're doing here I mean The names that you said are gone I mean, that's a list of Cy Young Award winners over the last few years. But yet, Bieber and Plesak at the top of the order are only getting better and better, and these guys are good. Savali, I think, is kind of, um, you know, getting into his prime right now. He has, you know, he came into the league at 23, 24, second year. twenty. This is his 25 year, and so this is kind of when he's expected to take that step forward. He improved in a lot of important categories from an analytics perspective, especially the all-vaunted K to walk ratio, and uh, he increased that pretty dramatically, really, from 2.9 to 4.3. That's a nice jump uh, for having two partial seasons in the league. So I think this pitching staff, actually, in the first three spots, is uh, is pretty good. And Tristan McKenzie, I mean, I think this guy's going to be dynamic. Nice. So some... I think this guy's going to be a really, really good pitcher, man. So uh, I think their first four. I, I'll say this: find me another. One through four in the American League that is better than this, top to bottom, and uh, I'll give you a dollar. Okay, Mike, uh, gonna say that Cleveland is gonna have one of the better uh, staffs this year. And honestly, when you look around at the teams that we've talked about in the American League, as far as um, where I don't think there are as many holes in this rotation, and I agree with you. You know, at first glance, um, you might think some question marks, but they don't seem to have. Uh, like a down spot uh, Really throughout They do throughout their lineup though And that was one of the problems too last year Scoring some runs Will they be able to score enough runs to be a playoff team? No, I think that's where where The separation between the top level 
teams in this division, the Twins and the White Sox, that's where they're going to separate themselves from Cleveland. Yeah. Because I've got serious concerns about this uh, lineup. T- a huge strikeout team, man. Yeah. Really, and- really big strikeout team. I mean, even from, you know, they're kind of excited about that first baseman that they got from uh, from a Tampa a couple years ago. Um, I don't know what happened to his 2020. He must have opted out or maybe didn't make the team or something like that. He's got a lot of power. And I'm talking about Jake Bowers. He's got a lot of power, but this guy strikes out a ton. And and so the, there's the rest of this lineup. I think the heart and soul of the lineup from discipline, play setting, et cetera, was Lindor. And yep. he's no longer here. So, um, you know, Ahmad Rosario was a big prospect for the Mets. Um, he's got tremendous power. Uh, and speed for a shortstop. I don't know if you could say the same for a center fielder. So, um, and I have no idea what kind of center fielder he is, but the, he was a prized shortstop prospect. Naylor was a big prospect for the Padres. Uh, I think the the legit power in this lineup is going to be a must-see guy because of how huge he is, and that's Fran Mel Reyes. I think he's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Which Jose Ramirez shows up. Um, yeah, too many question marks, too much inconsistency in this lineup. If Jose Ramirez duplicates last year, you know, then I think they could put up some some runs. Um, you know, if he reverts back to that 250 hitter with a lot of strikeouts, then I don't know. I think overall he's a pretty underrated player. And when you look at the stat sheet, top to bottom, really since 2017, he's been very, very productive in terms of batting average. You know, but like I said, that 2019 regression in terms of batting average was pretty significant, and I know that was one of the reasons that um, you know 2019 didn't work out as well for them as as they'd hoped. And sure, when you go from a, a 300, 312, 318, even 270, all the way down to 255, I don't care what they say about batting average, but that's a pretty big drop off in terms of OPS, in terms of slugging percent, yeah, in terms absolutely. of on base percentage, um, and that's kind of why I'm picking on that year in particular. So. That's uh, that's kind of my take on on this lineup. It all kind of hinges on on Jose Ramirez. If he can do his thing, I think this could be uh, maybe a surprisingly potent lineup. I don't know if that's the best word. Well, yeah, because it's, 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 he's the key. If he plays like an MVP, and then you can get you know Cesar Hernandez, who's who's a pretty solid table setter at times, and then you can get Rosario, and you can get one or two of their other project guys to hit. Um, and you have a pitching staff carry that can kind of carry them and give them a nice like uh, a, a nice little bit of a margin for error with their their lineup. They're capable. Um, I, I don't think they're bad. I still think they're going to be the third team in this division and better than the two teams below um, that we'll, we'll talk about in just a second. But they're again uh, after the Yankees who are probably, you know, going to be the division winner. A lot of these teams that we talk about Toronto, Boston, Tampa, we have question marks about, we talk about uh, Cleveland. We have question marks about them. I mean, even when we get to the White Sox, we'll have some question marks about them. And then in the American League West, we're going to talk about an Astros team that looks totally different, an Angels team that every year people want to kind of buy into, but we never know. So there are a lot of question marks. You mentioned wide open in the American League. It does really feel that way uh, you know, as we move through each team, team by team by team, and look at their depth. Um, the Royals are a team that I know you've liked in years past because uh, they've Played ball a little different than others They've tried to run and play sort of small ball They did bring in uh, 
They signed Salvador Perez for a while He's uh, their catcher and usually in the heart of their lineup With Merrifield and right Andrew Penintendi they brought in He's going to play left Carlos Santana at first Jorge Soler the DH uh, Alberto Mondesi at short Hunter Dozier at third Michael Taylor at center And Nicky Lopez at second The rotation will be Brad Keller Mike Miner Danny Duffy Brady Singer and Chris Bubik I think Greg Holland closing things up Really fun lineup to watch Really fast lineup yeah, very fast lineup, and and they've got some power up and down. You know, I've been high on the Kansas City Royals taking that step forward a couple years in a row. I almost feel like maybe I'm jinxing them, so maybe I should kind of cool off the Royals for a little bit, and then maybe they'll take that step forward that I was thinking. But hey, I like the way that they've pieced together this team, especially for a uh, low payroll type of ball club. I think they've done a decent job putting together a lineup that's filled with. Really quality starters in each and every one of those positions. You mentioned Salvador Perez. You know, he's kind of the heart and soul of that team at the catcher spot. Kind of reminds me of a Molina from the Cardinals. Yep. He's that type yeah. of player. He's a decent, really decent hitter for a catcher. And uh, this lineup's got a lot of speed and power, like I mentioned. So I, I think this team can be a fun team to watch. I think if, if I'm in Kansas City, I'm really happy about the Chiefs, of course. But I think that this baseball season is not going to be like necessarily a wasted season. No, I wouldn't be. be a, I wouldn't be surprised if they got a little bit out of those pitchers. Uh, they need one, they need one or two of them to hit. Because like, if you told me Keller or Miner or Duffy or like any one of them, if they hit and have a good year, I wouldn't be shocked. They just all can't have below average years. Um, or or I agree. I think this team can be really close to a five hundred team. I do. Look, Keller Keller was really good last year. Yeah. He was actually good. Like uh, not even okay. He was he was really good last year. I I I like him as a as a I don't know about a number 1 necessarily, but he's got that chance to take a step forward. I think Brady Singer, the thing I like to look at for for young pitchers that are just turning 24 as an example is their whip. And that kind of tells you if they had that one inning where they went sideways, you know, a lot of these guys, once they get to the fifth inning, everything kind of crumbles. You do that enough times, you're going to see that reflected with a higher whip. His whip is 1.17, which is top 20 in the American League. Um, so, you know, we, we know a little bit about Mike Miner. He could put together a nice season. I think this team, the key will be this. If they're in it at the all-star break, what do the Royals do? Can they make a move? Can Go they get make another a move? pitcher? Will they make a move? Um, how far of a gap does the front office feel is between them and the three teams that are considered to be, you know, the favorites, you know, uh, the Twins and the White Sox and the Indians? How big of a gap is there? How much would we have to overcome? I think if they've got to overcome five or six games, they probably just let it ride with what they got. But hey, man. You, we've seen at All-Star Breaks teams that you never thought of having a one-game lead in the division. And I wouldn't say that I would be completely shocked if Kansas City was that team. Remember, just uh, in 2019, the last full season we had, Soler hit 48 home runs and had 117 RBIs. It's really under the radar. People would have said, huh, what, really? But yeah, they can pop. They got a few throughout that lineup there, right in the middle, too. And you add Ben Attendi in there, and you have to go from Whit Merrifield through Ben Attendi, Salvador Perez, Carlos Santana, Soler, Mondesi's very capable, Dozier. That That's not a bad one through seven at all. It's really not. 
Um, the Royals, p- perhaps sneaky, perhaps a team to maybe play some DFS this year. Maybe uh, if you're betting on individual games, maybe you're a team that you can uh, you can sneak up on and, and and wager on them when games when they are uh, they uh, have good uh, they have favorable odds and they're not the chalk. That'll probably be many uh, many cases this year. Below them is a team that unfortunately has been uh, again one of the worst teams in the league the last few years. The Tigers, Robbie Grossman in left, Jonathan Scope at second, Miguel Cabrera, the DH, Jaime Candelario at third, Renato Nunez at first, Willie Castro at short, Wilson Ramos the catcher, Nomar Mazzara in right, Jacoby Jones in center. Probable rotation, uh, their starting uh, lineup. And they got the rotation here with Spencer Turnbull, Matthew Boyd, Jose Urena, Michael Fulmer, and Daniel Norris. The closer, Brian Garcia. Uh, the the problem with them is just you know I think they're kind of comparable to the. The Orioles I think they do have a couple more intriguing young prospects And guys on the way up That they can be a little more excited about But I mean on paper This is a team that's got the projected to have The 27th starting rotation The 30th uh, relief staff If you look at their lineup One through first base Through catcher They don't have anyone that's projected to be uh, Or any position group that's projected to be Higher than average the only intriguing numbers about the Detroit Tigers in 2021 are 503,000. 500 home runs for Miguel Cabrera, 3,000 hits for Miguel Cabrera. Yep, that's and it. what would solidify <laughs> a Hall of Fame career, one of the best right-handed hitters of his generation. He's on 487 home run-wise, so he's 13 away from getting to that 500 club, and he's 134 hits away. He's got 2866. From getting to that very, very rare 3,000 hit club in baseball. So this guy's got a career average of 313. He's an absolute lock for the Hall of Fame. But that would just be the icing on the cake. Those are the numbers that we're going to be most looking towards when we're talking about the Detroit uh, Tigers in 2021. They're so bad, I almost called them the Detroit Lions. The Lions always projected to be one of the worst teams. They are uh, projected to be the second worst team in the American League, just uh, I think two games better than the Baltimore Orioles and uh, no doubt the worst team in the AL Central. The two teams projected to be the top two teams in the AL Central coming up next. First, it's the Twins, uh, Kepler, Josh Donaldson, Polanco, Nelson Cruz, Miguel Sano, Luis Arreyes, Mitch Garver, Angelton Simmons, and Byron Buxton. The pitching staff, Maeda, who had an awesome year last year, Jose Barrios, Michael Pineda, J.A. Happ, and Matt Shoemaker, Taylor Rogers, or, you know, closer by committee there for them in Minnesota. And they've, you know, they've been really good offensively. They have a very strong lineup. Their pitching staff uh, got better with the addition of Maeda last year. And, you know, if they get something out of Pineda, like they're. Two, three, or their three, four, five are sort of in that situation that a lot of these American League teams are. Is like, could you see anything either way, positive or negative, happening for Pineda, Hap, or Shoemaker? Because <laughs> I, I could, and that I think that'll kind of depend. That'll make the difference on is this team a ninety to ninety-five win team, or are they a high eighties team battling for the division and and battling for a wild card spot? When when we're talking about elite teams, I always look to see how strong they are up the middle. Garver at catcher, Andrelton Simmons at shortstop, Byron Buxton in center field. That's a, about as good as he gets as it gets in all of baseball, uh, especially defensively. Super, super strong. I think the Simmons eight, move is very underrated. And four by uh by 
fan graphs at those position spots too. So they are top ten at all of all those spots right up the middle that you mentioned, and even number seven at second base too to add to like right up the middle. And Donaldson's getting a little bit, you know, he's long in the tooth, but he plays a really good third base. Um, you know, I thought he was going to regress probably the last three years, and he's shown that he's still got it in him. So, I mean, this guy's a veteran player, MVP, former MVP candidate, plays a good defensive third base, can hit you some home runs, clutch hits. His best years are probably behind him. But um, and with Sano at first, I mean, that's that's a pretty good hitting infield uh, overall. And uh, and this this team has shown with Nelson Cruz that they're going to be one of the top home run teams in the American League each and every year. So this is put this team in the score a lot of runs category. You know, what do we get from our three through fifth starters category? But I think their offense is elite enough that it uh, puts them right into the yep. top of the division. Yep. Yep. Or they, at least they a conversation for the top of the division. Such a high floor because of that offense and how good they are. And uh, they've done a really great job there. Now they got to continue to take a step forward. Can how? What can they do come playoff time? They got to get there. But this team should. They, uh, they should have a... a a chance to have one of the better pitching staffs in the American League, like we said, in a in a league that has a lot of question marks. So, who do just... you like better, the pitching staff we just talked about, or the one you're about to talk about? I think the one that we're about to talk about is a maybe it has a little bit more upside because I'm not sure if Pineda, Hap, and Shoemaker have their best ahead of them. I wouldn't be shocked if any of them pitched well, but I do think we can look at uh, a team like this and think, you know, Giolito. Um, Cease can continue to step forward And you can you know probably get pretty good Floor type years from Keuchel and Lynn So I think this staff Is probably a little bit better So does uh, Fangraphs that actually has them ranked As a top 10 staff they have them ranked Number 7 there um, With their starting pitching and then you bring in Liam Hendricks that's moved them up To a, a top 3 bullpen You look at their their lineup um, It is a, a strong one uh, Anderson Moncada, Grandal, Abreu, Jimenez We'll talk about uh, in a minute Robert, Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn Adam Eaton, and Nick Madrigal So not a lot of down spots um, Through that lineup for the White Sox Who was a team I was pretty high on last year They took a nice step forward Do you think they're going to continue to improve this year, Mike? Yeah, I think so too I, I think that they're they're going to take a step forward uh, I think that they've got enough guys Who are in the prime of their career and uh, and a super super exciting youngster, Luis Robert. So I think this is going to be one of those teams that's really fun to watch. And um, you know, for me, you know, obviously out of the outside of their number one, I don't know about Keuchel. I don't know about Lynn. Um, I think they've got question marks to me outside of their ace, outside of Lucas Giolito. That's what's I think, so great about I'm, the American League this year. Yeah, but see, some teams we say three through five. Some some teams we say. Four and five. It's not often that you find an elite team where you have question marks two through five. So yeah, I I don't worry as much about Keuchel and Lynn. Um, I think they'll be solid, to average to above average. I don't think we'll get the kind of like Cy Young caliber years that we've got from them in years past. But I think if they can just be solid enough, I do. I don't think. Anybody will like the fact that you know you come into starting the season and Elo Jimenez, who is going to be a big part of your lineup, is going to be out till September, and who even knows uh, with the pectoral issue. So that's not a positive for them. But I do think I think they battle with the Twins. I think I do think it's them two battling for the division with uh, you know 
Whatever happens with the Indians And possibly a a feistier Royals team Behind them But I think in both of these divisions I I don't feel like the winner of the division Is going to be a 100 win team Because I think that there are four teams in each That feel they're pretty competitive I think that's a spot on assessment You know, it's unlike unlike the, uh, the NL West Where you have kind of two teams that are Clearly at the top and going to be registering a lot of L's for the three teams below them. I think here you have four teams, especially three teams, but a fourth sneaky team that are going to be beating up on each other all year long, where it makes it really, really tough for them to have one team with 100 wins, let alone two or more. Mm -hmm. So, but they're 100 win quality. Yes, yes, I agree. I think there are there are a couple good ball clubs in this team. It just feels like some of the floors of the the bad teams are starting to rise a little bit in, in some of these divisions. We're starting to see some from. That's what ends up happening when you're bad for a while. Some of you, you get prospects, and some of those guys become good. <laughs> and teams like Toronto starts to rise. Teams like Kansas City starts to rise. We'll see if they can, uh, and even even the White Sox here, what they've done with some of their to- young talent through the last few years, they start to to rise. As we rise over to the American League West, we will start with the Angels. They've got uh, David Fletcher, Jared Walsh, Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, Justin Upton, uh, Tawny, who's looked really good early on in the season, uh, playing, uh, you know, hitting and pitching. Fowler, Jose Iglesias, Max Stassi. I think. Uh, we had uh, even Otani leading off one game, which was so cool. Like he pitched the first inning and then let off uh, a game, which is crazy to think about. So for them, if you can if you can project a full year out of him, which has sort of been hard to do because he's been so banged up, if you can project a full year out of this guy, giving you you know twenty twenty five starts maybe and um, playing four or five days of the week in the field. He is a legitimate star that can help them. He just hasn't been healthy enough to really make an impact. You add him to Trout and Rendon, then all of a sudden, that's enough to be competitive in an AL West that doesn't look as top heavy either. With the Astros, don't looking to be as good. Um, it's it's just always going to come down with this team to their pitching staff. Is a pitching staff that sends out Dylan Bundy, Andrew Heaney, Griffin Cannon, Jose Quintana, Alex Cobb, and then however they want to handle Shohei, is that going to be enough to to make them a playoff team? You know, after the Rendon signing last year, I was like, you know what? Or the was it the year before? Yeah, I guess it was the year before after yeah, the Nationals yeah. won the World Series. I felt that it was kind of wasted money. The Angels kind of have a reputation for wasting money on big-name free agents. Not that they're bad free agents that they necessarily go after, although some of them, they did not get their money's worth. But for whatever reason, they don't win. They don't get career years out of the guys that they bring over, you know, whether it be pitching, whether it be a Josh Hamilton, whether it be, whether it be does, even Albert Pujols, perhaps, is in that category. Yeah. Um, I just... I. I hate to say it, but I think Mike Trout's career is going to be kind of wasted. I was just thinking that with, word too. You feel angels. like wasted. It's just like it, he flies so under the radar with everything he's doing, and people are going to be one day look back at the numbers and realize how incredible he was. And I hope that he gets the opportunity to play in some meaningful games because this division is ripe, Mike. It's ripe. Like it's on ripe, paper. and I really want to make a case for them. Me too. You know? I, mean, I, do I really too. want to. I but do when too, I look but at I can't. it, I just I, here's can't the thing. I think pitching. that. They, They've got good individual hitters. And I don't know how to quantify this in words, but 
I want to see if they can together as a like lineup a team win hitting, games. Runners in scoring position, get big hits that matter, yeah. get guys over. You know, Because I think at the end of the year, when you look at their individual stats, you're going to be like, oh, wait, this Jared Walsh, okay well, Walsh is not bad. It's Jared Walsh is pretty decent. Hey, Jose Iglesias, wow, he had 20 home runs. Wow, Upton, you know, great slugging numbers. Trout is Trout. Dexter Fowler kind of found some of his old form. Shohei Itani, yeah, he, they got... 400 at bats out of him finally you know and you look at the stat sheet at the end of the year it looks decent but they had 79 wins you know that type of thing I'm, I'm i'm concerned that that's what's gonna come out of the angels this year you know i think 84 wins tops yeah they're they're projected it's exactly where they're projected it on fan graphs at 84 and and that's the thing is that like they're they're project and they're projected at 84 and the aim and uh, the Astros are projected at 88. So this isn't supposed the A's are supposed to be even right behind the angels at 83. We don't think very highly of the Mariners or the Rangers when we get to their uh, lineup in just a second. So uh, it's a great opportunity for an angels team that just sort of feels like a, like you said, like a mediocre team and, and maybe they'll, they'll win a few more games than they should because they're not in the, the greatest division. But if they could, if they would have gotten Cole instead of Rendon a couple years ago, like think about how much that would help their team right now. And you and I weren't even all that high on on Cole when he left, but he pitched very well last year. And for them to just know that every four or five days they were going to get a game where they were going to go out there and only allow like two or three runs, and they were going to be in the game, they don't really get that consistency. And so, like it, you, I think you hit the nail on the head when I watch the Angels because. You know, we see a lot of Angels games here in Southern California. They're all on TV. We can watch every single game we want. Um, it's like one game, their lineup will be great. And then the next game, somebody will throw a gem, but they don't score. What you said was perfect about like as a team, can they put it together on both sides? Can they do it with their lineup? And as a as an actual team, can they find ways to win? Because it just hasn't seemed like they, they've seemed like they found ways to lose over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing with them. And uh, when, when you're talking about the division, and I agree top to bottom, you know, it's, it's a division that's ripe for the taking. But I, I, I think that Fangraphs is underrating the A's pretty Probably. dramatically. Yeah, I think, I think and, this and that's, A's that's team totally and the Astros team, I think these, these two teams, in my mind, have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. And I think that they're both maybe underappreciated you know, when you look at the Astros lineup, and you're going to go over it in a moment. Lineup's incredible. It's a lineup. great lineup, and and you still have Zach Greinke, McCullers, Rizzo. I mean, and I don't know what the situation is with Verlander. I think he's out the whole year. Yeah, so they'll probably be like Framber Valdez, Uquidi, uh, Christian Javier as guys to uh, to help out there. So yeah, I think the, that's a pretty decent pitching then, staff. Like we said, when we start comparing it to some of the other ones that we mentioned, it's not. It's let me say this. It's worse than the Astros staffs have been over the last few years, but in comparison with the way the the rest of the American League staffs are stacked up this year, it may not be as far of a decline as it looks or as it seems. No, I think they're going to get a lot of outs. And when you're talking about the A's, what's wrong with Frankie Montas, Jesus Lazardo, uh, Sean Manaya, Chris Bassett? Mike they're my, they're my pick in the division. I think they're going to win the division again. I don't think they're going to be like last year. I thought they were a, a team that actually was capable of winning the World Series. They seem that good in the shortened season. But I think, just like we were saying with the Rays, I think if you were to put the Rays in this division, I would give the Rays a shot to win. I just feel like the A's getting all these games against 
A questionable Angels team A Mariners team that does not look good A Rangers team that does not look good And an Astros team that is still going to be good But I don't think they're going to be I don't think they're as good or dominant As they have been in some of their better years I think this is a really good spot again For the A's to just do what the A's do Like probably find themselves In the like 85 to 87, 88 win range And like right there for a division title um, In the wild card mix And if if the Astros aren't great They'll have a shot I would pick and, and wager on the A's if I could Yeah, the A's are my division winner I think they get to 90 wins 90 wins plus I like this lineup uh, I like the pitching staff I think they don't have a lot of big glaring holes mm-hmm. I think they're going to get a lot of outs And they're going to score just enough runs To be able to win this division with the Astros, I mean, look, they, this has been their division for a long time now. It's kind of like the Dodgers of the of the West. Um, Dusty Baker is a fantastic manager, probably one of the more underrated managers of our time. He's taken every single team that he's managed to the playoffs, and that's a lot of teams that he's managed. Um, this guy is a stud, knows how to work with veterans, isn't great at developing young talent. And that's perfect for the Astros because they've got a pretty veteran-laden lineup but they're not an old lineup. No, These guys are still in their prime of their career, Gino. So I think it's a two-horse race in this division with the A's winning it. But the Astros, I think, are pretty much right there. So the Astros lineup, uh, Altuve at second, Bregman at third, Brantley in left, Carlos Correa at short, Kyle Tucker in right, Jordan Alvarez the DH, Yuli Gurriel at first, Martin Maldonado at center, Miles Straw in uh, Martin Maldonado the catcher, and Miles uh, Straw in center. It's probably some combinations of that. You got Granky, McCullers, uh, Valdez, Uquiti, Javier. We'll see. You mentioned Odorizzi. Um and when you you know they have positionally are supposed to be top seven in right field, um, in left field, in third base, and at shortstop. So when you are have that top level talent at that many positions, you're always going to be pretty good. The A's are similar, Mike. You know they um they've got Elvis Andrews at short, Jed Lowry at second, Matt Chapman at third, Matt Olson at first, Marquena the DH, Loriano in center, Sean Murphy the catcher, Piscotti in right, and Seth Brown in left. Maybe a couple other names that you don't know as much about, but uh, the catching spot is really good. Murphy is a very underrated catcher. First base, they have one of the best first basemen in the league in Matt Olson. At third base, they have one of the best third basemen in the league in Matt Chapman. Ramon Laureano is as good of a defensive center fielder as anyone. He can pound the ball. He's also got speed. So they've got, you know, top level talent at four or five spots throughout their lineup. I agree. I think it comes down to these two. But let's both go with the A's. This is a team that you are always high on. And last year, I finally uh, was a little higher on them with you. And uh, let's get high together. How about that, Mike? (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a good plan because uh, because A's don't, their high doesn't let you down, Gino. No, no, and they they just they overachieve. You don't look at the A's team, and you're not really ever disappointed with them because um, they go out, they play smart baseball, and they seem like they find a way to to fill in bullpen arms, fill in rotation, and uh, I, I kind of trust the A's and having another solid solid year uh, when I don't really trust a lot of teams in this division, especially. These last two teams we're going to talk about uh, the A's uh, staff. You mentioned uh, you got Mont, you got Montez, Lazardo, Bassett, Manaya, and Puck. That's good. Deekman as the closer and a really good bullpen. I don't think we can say the same for the Mariners. Uh, J.P. Crawford at short, Mitch Hanager in right, Kyle Lewis at center, Kyle Seager at third, Tom Murphy the catcher, Ty France the DH, Dylan Moore at second, Evan White at first, Jake Fraley in left. Another team that you just 
look at um, in their one through nine uh, hitting lineup, their batting order. Like, where are the strengths? You got a couple fine. Uh, veterans, you know, Hanager and Seeger, who could have a little bit of pop. Uh, their pitching staff, Marco Gonzalez, Paxton's back, Chris Flexen, Justice Sheffield, uh, Kikuchi, Chris Dunn. So they look like they're going to maybe be going to a six man uh, rotation early. R- uh, Rafael Montero is the closer. I just, they look very much like, uh, unfortunately, like an Orioles type team. And I think the only Positive for a Mariners team is that They probably play in a division That's just a little bit weaker because this Division maybe really only has like Two and a half good teams And the AL East probably Has three and a half to maybe four good Teams so here's what I'll tell you The thing about the Mariners If I'm a Mariners fan that I could get excited About Marco Gonzalez Put together a really nice year last year James Paxton was A Cy Young type of candidate Probably didn't meet expectations with the Yankees, but he's back to where he had his best work in Seattle. They've got enough prospects to make Sheffield and exciting. Yeah, you want to when you have prospects, it lures you in. Unlike the Orioles, where they just have like a bunch of guys that I mentioned that have been on their that are now on their fifth or sixth team. They just don't have any exciting young. Detroit's got a couple, but Baltimore is hard. They're just it's very hard. But the Mariners. Taylor Trammell. This was a top-rated prospect uh, for in the Padres organization. Even Ty France, I think, getting a full season can put some dynamite numbers up. Right? They had last year's Rookie of the Year and uh, Kyle Lewis. Or was it last year or the year before? I guess it was last year, right? Yeah. Kyle Lewis, tremendous center fielder. He's really, really good. You know, Seager, probably one of the more underrated players in this division. So I mean, they've got some young guys. Even their uh, one of the relievers that they got from the Angels. Keenan Middleton, pull up his numbers. You're going to be pleasantly surprised at how strong he was before he got hurt with the Angels. I mean, he was really, 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 really good. He was considered to be their closer of the future. Kind of surprised that they've moved on from him because this guy's got tremendous ability. So, I mean, I think this team, they're not going to necessarily win a lot of games, Gino, but I think they're going to play a more exciting brand of baseball. I don't think they're going to be any that, of the that lower, bad. Than yeah. Any of the other lower level teams. They're, they're, yeah, they're on paper. You you start to go through their rotation, and if you told me they had like one of the better rotations in the entire American League, it wouldn't be a shock. And that's how that's that would be their template to being competitive. Is that Gonzalez has another really good year? Paxton uh, has a, a solid year. Sheffield has a nice year. Kikuchi has a nice year. All of a sudden, you compare that rotation to. The question mark rotations that we have in a lot of other places This one on paper does not feel all that much worse uh, That was what they have as like their highest ranked unit of anything Was their starting pitching, which they have at 13 So if you told me they ended up being like, you know Definitely uh, going above their projections And they were a top 10, top 7 staff overall And maybe one of the top 3 best staffs in the American League That's how they're competitive That really wouldn't shock me Especially because, you know the Astros lineup is good. The A's lineup is pretty good, but they'll get uh, some games against the Rangers who are not good. They'll get some games against the Angels who are okay, fine. Um, it doesn't feel like, like they're not like an Orioles team who's going to have to go. Oh crap! We've got the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, and the Yankees, and then our down series is a Rays team that still has like is capable of scoring runs. Th- this feels like it's not as like daunting for a bottom type team for the Mariners here, you know. Completely agree. And for any of you Mariners fans, I think you're going to be very happy with what you see from Taylor Trammell, 
He's got speed. He's got power. He's only 23 years old. Uh, as can be said for any of these top-level elite prospects, it'll be interesting to see what we get out of them, Gino, because of the wasted 2020 season. No minor league season, as we discussed earlier. You know, they, they, uh, it'll be up to the teams and how they develop, develop guys during this interim time period. That'll tell us a lot about which teams maybe surprise us in, in the win column and which teams surprise us in being more competitive than we thought, we'll especially see. for the teams that are bringing up a lot of young guys. You know, that's one of the key mysteries going into this year. That with, with the, the last year, which was just like a, a question mark, you know, like think about the development from some of these players, too, that we haven't seen. Think about the last time we saw some of these players in like September of 2019 at the big league level and how much some of these players have grown uh, that we didn't get a chance to see all that much last year. Or maybe someone that got hurt earlier was on a taxi squad and didn't get an opportunity. So exactly uh, right. What did they do development wise with these guys will go a long way into telling us what kind of season we're going to get out of the Mariners. You know, if the Mariners as an organization, and I know they had a little bit of turmoil at the top of their uh, front office, um, but what, whatever they did will largely determine what 2021 is going to look like. And in a small sample size, we at least know that they were able to produce a great season out of Kyle Lewis, right? Who's just turned 25. Well, not just turned, but he is 25 in the middle of his 25-year-old season. And uh, by all accounts, he looks like he's just getting better and better every single day. So if, he's, if we're going to get what we got out of their center fielder, with some of these other youngsters, then we could expect that some of these guys are going to take a big step forward, you know, and then guys, like I mentioned, who have been around the game for a while, who have not had an opportunity to be starters like Ty France. He's got a chance now to get 500 at bats. I think this guy could hit 20 home runs, 25 home runs, given that opportunity. So we spend a little bit of time on the Mariners, but to me, they're yeah. kind of an intriguing team, man. They're fun. They're fun. Um, as we get to the final team in the American league East and the final team in the American league that we have to talk about today. The Texas Rangers, Leody Tavares, uh, Nick Solek, uh, Kinner Falla, uh, Isaiah, uh, Joey Gallo, Willie Calhoun, David Dahl, Ro uh, Rogan Odor, Nate Lowe, and Jose Trevino, some of their uh, major everyday players, their pitching staff, Kyle Gibson, Mike Fultonevitz, uh, Kohei Oiara, Don uh, Dane Dunning, and Jordan Lyles. So Straight off the press, by the way, Gino, the Rangers decided they're moving on from Odor. Okay, cool. In the last hour. So Great, he's not going to make the there. opening day roster this year. Willie Calhoun is expected to be out until uh, April, middle of April at least. And Chris Davis till the end of April, like April 19th or so. So uh, good, uh, good breaking news there also, Mike. This team is supposed to be one of the worst teams in the league. And I, I mean, you look at their lineup all the way through. The only thing they're projected to be above average at is right field with Joey Gallo, who can mash. They have a lot of unproven uh, players, or especially now, or young guys that haven't really, really contributed in, in the majors. Does that mean they can't? No, but there it feels like there are going to be a lot of, a lot of question marks throughout both their lineup and their rotation. And this is probably one of the few teams that we've said that about for both. Yeah, they're going to fall below on uh, on all the, in all the major categories, and that will result in a low win total for this team. 
Um, even the guys they brought in, like David Dahl, for example, the guy was expected to do some pretty big things with the Rockies, and he had some flashes of uh, brilliance, really. But what does he do outside of Coors Field? I mean, you kind of have to downgrade anybody that leaves Colorado. Especially if uh, they leave there and they were a little underwhelming there. Exactly. Um, yeah. You have all utility man, Brock Holt. Um, the guy's main asset to a team is his versatility. Um, his strength is not as a starter. You know, this, of course, he wants to play every day. He wants to prove that he could be an everyday, whatever, third baseman or second baseman or whatever it is that they're going to ask him to do. But to me, Brock Holt is a, a superstar utility guy, and that's kind of where he belongs. So now you already are a couple of positions in with new faces that aren't going to be bringing you, a, you know, average or above average production for your team. And then you've got a lot of holes already. Yeah, uh, I, I can't see this team even winning 70 men. No, I, I agree. I think they're going to be really, really bad. Uh, the Texas Rangers cleaning up the American League East there, uh, the American League West there. As we finish up with our preview of the American League, we're just a couple days out from the start of the baseball season. A big thank you to uh, my good buddy Mike Abadir, who's one of the bigger baseball fans I know, a big Red Sox fan, and I think he has some reason to be optimistic this year after. Uh, uh, a struggle last couple And uh, a really good year before that I think you have the opportunity to bounce back And be a playoff team this year too So Mike thanks so much buddy I really appreciate you helping out Talking some uh, American League with us And I think everyone who is probably listening here And follows along on social media with me Is probably following uh, the Mike Abadir show But if you have not subscribed to that Make sure to go do so You can listen every Thursday when we are live From 7 to 8 o'clock Eastern time and then the uh, the show will immediately become a podcast for you, so you can subscribe and, and find it anywhere you can. And Mike, and I think the... by the way, we're going to be wrapping this whole conversation up kind of nice and neat with a bow. Uh, just probably since we've covered all the teams on this show and on we'll that do our show, final predictions. Just there. our final predictions. Yeah, yeah, we'll do our final predictions, division winners, and maybe some of a. Uh, I know you always like to go through some of a uh, like uh, predictions for MVP, Rookie of the Year. You do a really good job of knowing some of the prospects coming up. So yeah, this will be sort of like the. Uh, you get a lot of the meat here and the potatoes, and then we'll put a bow on everything uh, on the Mike Abadir show on Thursday because that's actually going to be opening day of the baseball season. Make sure to tune in there. Where can we follow you on Twitter, Mike? At Mike Abadir, M I K E A B A D, as in David, I R on Twitter. No spaces, no periods, just all one word. Gino, thank you, my friend. It's been a lot of fun covering the American League with you, and uh, I'm excited that. To see how you all compute this and put it together into prediction mode. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We'll we'll have our all of our final. Uh, we'll, we'll, I put it into my brain. You put everything into your brain over the next couple of days, and then we'll see what it spits out uh, when we uh, when we reconvene in a few days. Thanks so much, buddy. Have a thank a you, Gino. We're a great Western week, and uh, we'll talk on Thursday. Baseball season starting opening day. Do not go anywhere, folks. We still got plenty more here on this episode of That's What She Said. That is American League Baseball Preview on That's What G Said. We'll get to the National League a little later on this week. Now uh, we head to the horse racing portion of this episode, and we've got a lot coming for you. We've got Wednesday racing from Oaklawn, Best Bets, Penn National, uh, Best Plays, Sam Houston, Full Card. Jessica Paquette joins us to talk about the late pick five. Then for Thursday, we've got... Best bets from Gulfstream Park, Sam Houston full card with Sam Sherman joining us for the late 
pick five there. Lots for Wednesday and for Thursday. But before we get into that, we have to let you know about the big week coming up at Stable. Wow, I, I couldn't believe when I saw a lot of the uh, the news they were posting. I'm recording this late on Monday, so uh, a lot of you may catch this Monday eve- Monday night, early Tuesday morning. So the, the schedule for Stable Duel throughout the week, let's go through it and then I'll hit on some of the big points. Tuesday, games at Parks, uh, Mahoning Valley, so you have multiple options at, at both. Then on Wednesday, at Tampa, there's a $25 top 10 contest. The winner gets a free entry into the Bluegrass Blowout. We'll tell you what that is in just a second. Remember, it is opening week at Keeneland. So on Wednesday, you can also play in a $5 contest at Tampa. You can play in a $2 parks contest, a free ride at Mahoning. At Sam Houston, there's a $5 contest. And don't forget about that BTV D-Gen special. It is a $3 Wednesday night contest over at Penn National. They have that live stream on uh, sto- on social media if you follow Stable Duel leading up to the first few races at, at Penn National. It's giving you all sorts of analysis with different guests on uh, horses to include in your lineups. Then on Thursday at Gulfstream, you can play for 10 bucks. You can play in a $500 double up. In the $10 contest, the winner gets a free entry into the Bluegrass Blowout. So you can qualify and you'll also win the cash. Uh, there's a $100 top three and the winner gets free entry into the Keeneland Kickoff. There's a Sam Houston $2 contest on Thursday. There's a Golden Gate $5 contest on Thursday. Then on Friday, Gulfstream's got a $5 contest and a $25 top 10. They've also got a $1,000 triple up. Then Keeneland opens up. They've got a $75 opening contest, $7,500 in prizes, and the top three win free entry into the Bluegrass Blowout, which is the big contest on Saturday. So Keeneland also has what they're calling a Feeder Friday. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in just a second. You can play contests at Tampa, at Santa Anita. Santa Anita, three different options. And the the Tampa contest is a free ride. It doesn't cost you anything to get involved. So Saturday, with uh, it being a massive day at Keeneland, also a big day at Santa Anita, you've got uh, the Keeneland Bluegrass Blowout. For a $150 entry fee, it is a $25,000 prize contest. Keeneland also has a smaller contest for a $10 entry. They have a $500 top three. Gulfstream has a $5 and a $50 double up. Tampa has a free ride. The Santa Anita Derby contest is a $50 contest worth $3,500 in, uh, in prize cash money. They also have, listen to how long it's taking me just to get through the week contest schedule. Uh, Santa Anita has a $100 triple up. They have a $5 game on Saturday also. And then on Sunday, Gulfstream, three different options. Santa Anita has two different options. And there is a Golden Gate free ride. So that's the schedule all week long. Listen to what they're doing uh, at Keeneland. That's called the Feeder Fridays. So it's a crossover feeder contest. There are Friday contests that are $250 in the Stable Duel app. And if you win, you win a free entry into the track's live $400 fall challenge during the October meet. So that fall challenge is a contest that Keeneland uses $250 for live bankroll and $150 that goes to the prize pool. Players can wager on any race at Keeneland. This is a contest that is in October. So if you win the one of these feeder contests, you are going to get yourself a spot in that Keeneland contest later in October where you can play on track. You have four Fridays and four opportunities 
to get into these feeder contests. Friday, April 2nd, this first Friday. Uh, Friday, April 9th. Friday, April 16th. Friday, April 23rd. Those are the Feeder Fridays, $250 contest that could get you an opportunity uh, and win you into that $400 Keeneland Challenge where you could play live on track. So it's just going to be huge all meet long at Keeneland with Stable Duel and uh, the kind of contest they have this week coming up in horse racing. So think about it. We've got... The Bluegrass and the Big Stakes races at Keeneland for opening weekend. It's the Wood Memorial and the Big Stakes races at Aqueduct. It's the Santa Anita Derby and the Big Stakes races there. It's also closing day and closing weekend at Sam Houston. They have street, uh, three stakes races there. So there is so much happening on Saturday. So much throughout the week. And Stable Duel with these Keeneland Feeder Fridays giving you the opportunity to win a contest on Stable Duel. Qualify for a live money contest at Keeneland later in the year and really parlay uh, some of that money into uh, a big, big score. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, they're giving away Keeneland tickets for free. Uh, You can win a race day experience at Keeneland for April the 7th or April the 11th. All you have to do is just get to StableDuel.com and enter. It's totally free. All you have to enter is your email and your name and your phone number. While you're entering, they put you on the on the subscriber mailing list, so that way they can let you know when there's big contests and other big things happening, and uh, they'll give you a call if you win. doesn't cost you anything. It takes you two seconds. You go, you just type your email, your name, and your phone number. And if you would like to go to Keeneland on April the 7th or April the 11th, you can win uh, six box seats, programs, plus stable dual swag. Wednesday, April 7th, or Sunday, April the 11th. If you have any uh, questions about that, uh, you can follow, look at my Twitter or social media. If you go to at StableDuel, you can see all the specifics or StableDuel.com to find out how to win those Keeneland tickets. So we talked about the big Stable Duel contest. Let's get into Wednesday racing, and I'm going to start with one of those contests. I'll give you a couple plays for one of the Stable Duel contests for Wednesday, and it is for the Penn National $3 BTV uh, D-Gen contest. We are going to give you a few best bets throughout the day. So get the past performances out for Wednesday for Penn National. We're looking at March 31st. So I'll start in uh, race number one with the two Johnny Lightning. I think if you just toss the races uh, going long, you're left with a horse whose form sprinting is pretty solid. And with horses uh, throughout this this race like Suppress, um, Helms Deep, and possibly even a horse like right next door with Communicator, um, there could be even Papatoni towards the outside. There are enough pressers and Horses that look speedy that I think Johnny Lightning gets a nice trip from off the pace. The number two, who is 9-2 to two on the morning line. So uh, for stable duel, it'll cost you $6,500. If we can get like 7-2, to two, I'd make a win wager on the two. Johnny Lightning. In race number two, the four uh, does look tough to me. Looks like a very good spot for the uh, the horse coming in from Laurel for a barn who's done really, really well with uh, new faces just like this. And I just don't think much of the group in race number two. So uh, unbeknownst to me, going to be very tough in there at a chalky price. But I'll spend up in, in Stable Duel in this. In race number three, the six, uh, Octoro Orphe. Should get a, a pretty nice trip in here, right? With the one quicker having some speed. The two ring the Bella is not exactly slow. The three G Daddy is pretty quick. The four 
you rocket also has a little bit of pace and uh, the seven son of darkness also has a, a little bit of speed and even towards the outside you know you've got Franz warrior who's pretty quick four of swords who's pretty quick I, I think it, it sets up nicely for a horse like the six who has been facing Pennsylvania breads and now does have to step up against open company but she has been competitive against open company before and seems like he's just uh, in nice form right now and, and should get uh, a nice trip based on his running style that's the number six horse in race number three in race number five I did think the six Jenna's little Agnes uh, made some sense in here so you got a horse who debuted against open maiden special weights against in a race that's come back pretty live uh, over at parks back in November uh, you have a stakes placed horse and a next out maiden special weight winner uh, from that race Jenna's little Agnes draws the outside did show a little tactical speed in that debut against better anything around like four to one I'd make a win wager and at six to one uh, isn't going to cost you a whole lot to use in your stable dual lineup for the uh, the five thousand dollars off your salary cap in race number six the five his name is sue is one that i would spend up on in the seventh the number one mr shenanigans second off the bench looks really really tough to me in race number eight uh no real strong opinion there in race number nine, I do like the three, uh, Norman's girl, Gale, who I think you can excuse the uh, the last effort and two starts back. You know, now it's going to be your second start against winners, um, stretching out a little bit. Expect him, uh, her to show a little bit more just tactical speed in here. The number three, Norman's girl, Gale. And in race number 10, um, I'm looking at the five in here, Foxy Haya, who should be sitting close, uh, just really the opportunity to get a, a very nice trip in here at five to one cost you six thousand in your stable dual lineup. So those are some of my uh, must use horses for Penn National for stable duels. Some that I'll also be making a, a few uh, wagers on at the windows. Best of luck Wednesday over at Penn National. Let's head over to Oaklawn for Wednesday, March the 31st. Get those past performances out. I've got three plays for Oaklawn on Wednesday. We're going to get to race number six there, and I'm looking at the number six, City Charm. So let's go through his short career. It's debut. He is at Churchill against Maiden, $7,500 claimers. He's a little bit too tough that day, and then he's sent to the bench for a few months. Comes back, wins pretty nicely on the drop against Maiden, 25 claimers over at Ellis. Then comes back off the bench, doesn't race from August to February, and on February the 5th actually wins against a a $30,000 claiming group, and he actually wins pretty nicely. Uh, He was you know, six, uh, seven, eight off. And he was in the middle of the racetrack and he was last in that field. He angled out and he went right by and that was his second straight. So they ended up stepping him up and they, you know, took a shot, but he ends up hooking a a sloppy racetrack that day. So city charm now is going to get a little bit of class relief. And I think this is a really nice spot for city charm in a race that looks like uh, it's got some pace for Jackman. You have a couple horses adding the blinkers who you think maybe want to be more affordably placed and spotted bull and outlier. You know, C to success has a little bit of speed. The number seven, Wyakin, also has a little bit of pace. The eight, Cold as Hell, also adds a little bit of pace. City Charm has shown the ability to come from way off of it, has a little bit of versatility, but does have some positional speed. So he doesn't have to be dead last like he was uh, a couple starts back. Maybe he can sit just a little bit closer. The number six, City Charm. If I get anything around uh, five to one or over, I'm going to make a win wager on the six in number six, in race number six at Oaklawn on Wednesday. Let's get you to race number eight at Oaklawn Park on Wednesday. I'm looking at the two Laughing Fox. Um, 
you know, if he's over like nine to two, if he's around that morning line, like nine to two ish or so, that's fine. It just is a it feels like a great spot for him. He is a horse who has faced a lot better, and he's a horse who doesn't really have any issues going very long. He's just super grindy. And if you look at some of the races he's coming out of, even the recent ones, races behind Pioneer Spirit, Rated R Superstar, uh, that's a lot better than what he's facing in here. It's just you know, going long, will he stay? And is he even got you know any of that good form left that uh, that he used to show the two laughing fox? If he's around nine to two, I'll make a win wager on him. Make sure to throw him in some of your uh, your late exotics there at Oaklawn in the ninth and final. Let's go to the number five Conquistador Show. So he's been in in pretty nice form uh, in his last few, and he got over to the rail last time out from the outside. He was, you know, fifth, about three, four lengths off. He moved up to fourth. He was tucked in. He was waiting inside with nowhere to go. He got a nice opening at the top of the lane, but the winner had already opened up. Thought it was a pretty solid second. Both of his starts at Oakland Park have been very, uh, very good. He's proven uh, at this distance, proven at the track. He's going to go third start off the bench. He's going to go first start off the claim for a barn who is capable off the claim, and he uh, he picks up. John Court. So capable connections, just ones that have been struggling uh, at the meet, in particular the barn. So let's see if you maybe get a little bit of an inflated price because of that on the number five Conquistador show. Anything over five to one will make a win wager on the number five in race number nine at Oaklawn Park on Wednesday. So that is Oaklawn for Wednesday. Let's head on over and talk about the first half of the Sam Houston Wednesday card. And then Jessica Pickett's going to join me to talk about the late pick five. Get the past performances out for Sammy Houston for Wednesday. We're looking at March the 31st, and we're looking at race number one. We've got 5,000 beaten claimers in here. Um, I'm going to start with the number nine. Uh, This is a great, great week of racing at Sam Houston. It's the closing week at Sam Houston. And if you look at the uh, the races Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like the, the late pick five that Jessica and I are going to talk about is really, really strong. The late pick five that I talk about with Sam Sherman for Thursday is not like as strong in just a pure quality, but from a betting standpoint, it's also really good because it looks like there are a couple vulnerable favorites and in, in some really, really deep races uh they they just went all out this week. Everyone trying to get a last race in at Sam Houston before the meet ends. So uh, in the opener on Wednesday, I'm looking at the nine Texas Money Man. In his last start, he was behind uh, one of today's rivals, who uh, the number one, my father's eyes, who draws the rail today. Texas Money Man actually broke well. He broke right on top. He was battling in between for the lead, and then he got shuffled back. And, and it, you know, it's really hard sometimes. You get shuffled back, you try to come on again, and, and you just can't. Now you get the cutback. Now you get the outside draw. Third start off the long layoff. Second start at this level. I like Texas Money Man. I'm going to have the nine on top. I'll use in all exotics. Uh, the two, Coco Tiger, who broke through the gate pre-race in his last start. He showed some speed from the inside, but he got caught up in a wicked, wicked pace battle. You have to imagine he'll be forwardly placed in here again. That's the one thing that concerns me a little bit about my father's eyes with with Coco Tiger right next door and other speed in here. He might be in a tough spot drawing the rail, but he is capable and he has shown the ability to win in different ways. So he might be able to just work out a kind of a trip he needs from the inside. Also want to mention the number six gum wrapper who showed some speed early, was pressing just off, backed up versus better. Um, But what's wrong with the January 8th race at Sam Houston? Uh, Going five and a half furlongs uh, against non-winners of three, 5,000. He ran into Valiant Appeal, who's won three in a row. 
I thought the six also has another sh- uh, a shot in here. I stacked him in this race nine two six one. I'm playing against the seven Westfest, who has been just not in great form, and he's continued to drop down the class ladder. And when horses start dropping like this, I want to see them hit a point where they're waking up somewhere. And he is not. He's beaten two horses in seven races. He's 0 for his last seven. He has no win since December 2018 when he was in the Boyd Caster barn. And he's went back and forth. Uh, he's had four trainer switches since then. From Caster to Asmussen, back to Caster, to uh, a Folter, now back to Asmussen. Playing against. 9, 2, 6, 1 for me. Question marks about the 5, Boston Repo, uh, with uh, with Relu jumping aboard. Uh, but yeah, 9, 2, 6, one is how I have him stacked with the number nine Texas Money Man on top. Moving along to race number two, maiden seventy five hundred dollar claimers in here seventy five uh, seventy five claimers seven furlongs the distance. I will go to the seven Malibu Prince who was behind Perfect One when they raced on March the thirteenth, but Malibu Prince was a step slow. Uh, crossed over to save some ground, settled in fifth, was behind everyone, but was only, you know, two lengths out of it, and was waiting behind horses, traveling well, stayed inside, tried to make up uh, ground on the top two, but just, just couldn't. They were just going a little bit too slow. And Malibu Prince, with, the, with that race under his belt, second start off the bench, second start over this racetrack, coming in from Southern California. I think where he's drawn, he's going to get a nice trip in here. You have Perfect One from the inside who, you know, he had speed, but he couldn't get the lead. He was chasing from third. He moved up the challenge at the top of the lane. He was second best. He just couldn't really pass. Now he's a first-time gelding, and he's going to cut back. I mean, he obviously makes sense, but I actually have the... I have him stacked 7-6-8 in here with uh, the two uh, un- underneath them. So I have 7-6-8-2. The 6 Graphite, in his last start, tried... Maiden $25,000 claimers on the turf. Two starts back going a mile on March the 14th. He was actually, it was good. He was a fine start. He was in between. He was, no, it was March the 4th, excuse me. It was a fine start. He was in between horses. He was three lengths off. He was in a little tight. He got shuffled out of that spot. He ended up losing a couple lengths and momentum. And he was in some traffic. He really got into a good stride late. It's a better than looks third place finish that day. That was Graphite the last time we saw him going on the main track at this level. That type of effort would would be pretty competitive in here. I think Graphite has a shot. The eight Byron's Mirage didn't talk a whole lot about. He's a total wild card for Danny Pish. I mean, he comes in from Belmont. It's a big drop. First time for the Pish born. He's shown speed, and he obviously has just had some physical issues. He's a four-year-old who we see a lot of layoff lines for him, but he raced at Belmont and at Saratoga at Aqueduct. And what's nice about him is yeah, he's that he's actually shown a little bit of speed, so he's got a little something there at least. I have seven, six, eight, two, perfect one, uh, three, revving up, who broke on top last time out, puts two starts together, first time gelding if you're looking to go a little bit deeper. The nine... Vic's Lincoln Lawyer, what do you do with this one that Asmussen claims? He's just not been very good in his last couple starts. Can Steve move him up enough to get a win in here? Seven, six, eight, two, three, nine. I, I rank them, you know, it doesn't mean I'm using all horses like that, but I sort of kind of stack all the horses in order. And then if I want to play any kind of, you know, deep rolling exotics or any kind of tries or exactas, I kind of, I know who I'm, I'm looking to use. And um, I, I, I kind of know if horse scratches who I who I am kind of upgrading and who to move up a little as we move to race number three, Sam Houston on Wednesday. You got four horses from that March 18th race eight. I'll start with the two, 
Toa. He had a good start in, in, on that March 14th, uh, March 18th race, and there were four other horses that wanted the lead, so he had to deal with all of that pressure, and he was inside. He was always battling with at least two other horses. He tried to shake clear at the top of the lane, but he, he, he opened up a length. He just he was quickly tackled by Camps Bay. I thought Toa ran really well that day, though after having to deal with all that pressure. He probably won't have to deal with nearly as much, but he will have, I think, two of those rivals and uh, at least one of them from a pace standpoint, you know, maybe another that'll be pressing uh, with with the three others in here as far as their running style. The eight answer in the wind was part of that pace with Toa last time out. He feels like he's a big key to the race with his pace. Like if he doesn't go, Toa could end up sitting a, a pretty nice trip from the inside. So I'm using the two everywhere. I'm using the seven Port Hunter, he was a step slow uh, inside last time out. He settled behind horses. He was a sixth. He ended up with nowhere to go, traveling really, really well. Sneaky trouble that day in that very same race behind Toa. So 2-7. The 5, Matheson. I mean, he's just an obvious contender dropping in class. He you know, faced a, a lot better last time out, and he's, he's going to be the chalk in here. The 1A, Deano's Cape. Is Carl Broberg first start off the claim? This one comes in from Fairgrounds. He broke well. He sat third. He was in the two path. He was up to second. The challenge just off. Uh, it was a, a pretty nice victory. And Deano's Cape will now uh, try to go back to back, and will step into the Carl Broberg barn. Uh, I had six eight four underneath them. If you were looking to go really deep, you've got Major's Vindication, sort of like a starting over point here for a new barn taking the big drop down in class. Just seeing um, w- what this guy has. Uh, you have the four uh, Aloha Luya, who just has never really run all that well going long. Um, and then you know what do you do with uh, the eight answer in the wind who? Has the ability to show a little bit of speed there from the outside. Two seven five one a or my horses I'll be using in, in most of the exotics underneath them or maybe in some deeper spots. Horses I'm, I'm questioning, taking another look at six eight four as we move along to race number four at Sam Houston. You've got maidens, fillies, and mares. Three, four, and five year olds. Texas breds, five and a half furlongs. The distance here. The number two, Wits Girl. I, I really like in here. You're going to get a huge dock upgrade with Goncalves jumping aboard. Um, th- there's a filly here with a lot more speed than she was able to show last time out. She broke fine, but she was not asked for run at all. And she ended up. Take two, three deep in between horses. Now she ends up dropping in class. She draws the rail. I think that's going to force her a little bit here. There is not that much speed. Clipper Cove is sort of quick, but if Wits Girl breaks and Goncalves gets aggressive from the inside, she could be pretty tough to run down on the drop and the slight cutback in here. The number two Wits Girl. The four Clipper Cove will be forwardly placed, second off the bench, slight cutback. She's dropping in class. She had a good start. She was second chasing. She was right up on even terms before fading and finishing a, a fine third. And she'll be really tough and the one to beat in here. The nine casting pearls had a slowish start in her career debut. It was against Maiden, Texas bred 5,000 claimers and she was sixth, about four lengths off. She angled at the outside. She made a big four-wide move right up into contention. She was a clear-cut second. She just could not go on with uh, the the easy winner that day. But a good second for casting pearls. Two, four, nine in all exotics. Underneath them, in some spots, the three, Trinity Queen, who 
is, is kind of sort of a measuring stick off of those last couple efforts at this race. If nobody jumps up and runs well in here, she could just sort of run what she's been running and, and be competitive. The one, Sherry's baby, who drops and cuts back, she's never got a fast dirt track to run on, and this is a career-low spot for her, so maybe you can make a, a case for her in here. Even the six Virginia Strong on the drop-in class missed the break. She was never involved in her career debut. So horses that you can make some cases for that haven't done a whole lot wrong and, and should be pretty nice prices in, in the fifth race. First level allowance, a mile and a 16th on the turf course. The three, Leather and Lace. Yes, she is 0 for her last 10. But she does have some legitimate excuses. And let's talk a little bit about her. So she was bumped at the start. And she ran into some traffic in between horses. She was waiting behind horses. She tried to move in between, and she had no room. She angled to the outside, and she just missed fourth. That was last time out. Two starts back on January the 28th. She ran into some traffic. She ended up last going into the turn. She was 12th, about eight lengths off. She stayed inside. She worked through late, and... You know what? It was a pretty solid effort. Both of the last two are better than they look. There is trouble, and she doesn't really have to improve all that much to be right here, and she's been running good enough figures that she can compete with some of the best in here. I think the number three, Leather and Lace, has a major, major shot. I'll be using the five, Queen of the Lane, who had a good start. In her uh, most recent race, that was at Fairgrounds on February the 25th. She settled inside. She was third. She was close up, uh, about a, a length or two off, in fourth, about behind a wall of three battling. And so she tracked back a, a bit more, about four or five lengths off. She tried to come on again into contention, but she had nowhere to go. She got shuffled back. She got steadied. It was a brutal, brutal trip. I mean, she loomed up traveling like the winner and then just ran into a brick wall. Nowhere to go. I'm using the five everywhere. You probably got to use the one no moss tequila everywhere, who was stakes placed in her last two. She broke well, but she was in some traffic in the most recent race on March the 20th. She had to back out of a spot. She ended up fourth about three or four lengths off. She was in the two path. She was chasing really slow fractions. She may have had a three wide move, but she actually had the lead right after the wire too. It's a wicked, wicked beat for no Moss Tequila, uh, a must use to me in all exotics. The 12 is another one that I would look to. Connectivity, who, you know, just coming off of that third place effort, don't really have to sell you on why she makes sense in here with her solid turf form and now going to go third start of the current form cycle and third start off the long, long layoff. 3, 5, 1, 12. This, this is why these, these races are so good this week. I mean, look at the six Swanage. You can make a case for off of those back-to-back solid efforts stepping up. Is she going to have to improve a little bit? Sure, but... You know, uh, there's nothing wrong with her recent form. The two, Malibu Midnight, the dam was a four-time winner on the turf, won a stakes race in 223000 The only sib that tried the turf won on it. She might be okay first time on the grass. The eight, Musical Millie. Look at her overall turf form. In her last start, she had to shuffle back from the inside early. She settled seventh behind horses. She had nowhere to go. She got pushed back inside. She angled out, and she came rolling. I mean... There's nothing wrong with that effort against first level allowance company. What about the 11? March is May. She was just beating the neck when she was at this level in front of Musical Millie. But I think this is a tougher spot. 3, 5, 1, 12 are my tops. 6, 2, 8, 11 is how I had them stacked if you want to use other horses beneath, under an exotics, or if you want to go a little bit deeper. That was a, a really 
fun pick five, uh, early five races to get through. Early pick five on Wednesday. Now let's jump into the late pick five with Jessica Paquette. Jessica's been uh, on the show a bunch this year, helping us talk with about Sam Houston, and we're going to talk about this late pick five sequence. But first, we are going to hear a word from one of our sponsors. Then it's late pick five for Wednesday. Sam Houston with Jessica. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap, past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Mixed emotions on the uh, final week of Sam Houston It has been an incredible meet And I'm so happy that things have been going so well over at Sam Houston um, Always sad to, to see uh, to see a meet go that, that you enjoy playing uh, But another major positive for me in particular is I got to, to meet a friend uh, this meet I had never really interacted with Jessica Paquette all that much I think one or two times maybe on TVG Or a little bit here and there on social media But uh, when she was Covering stuff at Suffolk But now with all the work that Jessica was doing at Sam Houston We were able to uh, have Jessica on our show And we've been very lucky to have her on I think three or four times throughout the meet And we had to bring her back to talk one more time uh, About the final week of racing at Sam Houston So Jessica Paquette joins us again Jessica, how you doing? I'm doing great, Gino Thank you for having me The most fun part about all of this Has been getting to connect with so many people on Twitter I, Like we're yeah. watching the with our friends It's kind of, it's been a lot of fun This, I mean, and, and there's a lot of negative on social media and, and there's plenty of negative And I can agree with a lot of people's uh, uh, Stances on that But I think about in the last 
five, six years, how many people I've like developed relationships with, how many people I've able been able to interact with and uh, bring them on my show or go on their show or talk with them or um, just a whole bunch of friendships, information people I've learned from that I never would have got if there wasn't a, a Twitter out there. So um, with all the bad, I think there is still plenty of good. Oh yeah, I went. I've met one of my like really genuine like in my life best friends because the Twitter Jason Beam and I you know became friends on Twitter a million yeah. years ago. And we are you know he's one of my favorite people in the whole world. So he's, the Twitter is the Twitter's one of one- everybody's favorite people in the whole world. He is such a good <laughs> dude. We all root for Jason in every way, shape, or form. I'm so happy when whenever I see him uh, popping up at another racetrack. Anytime he wants me to come talk with him, I'm I'm always excited. We've had him on here talking wrestling with us and a little bit of everything. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, um, my girlfriend who is the mother of my child now, um, we like. Started reconnecting because she would post about like silly stuff about her trips on the metro on Twitter, and I oh, was well. and I was like laugh about them because I would you know and she would talk about all the crazy things that she was seeing in public transportation and stuff and like look at what's happening here and and I would laugh and we started talking and it was like we went out on a date and uh, you know the rest is history so uh, oh. yeah it's 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 good and there's a lot of good you can take from social media and uh, and we're able to uh, try to help some of the folks out there. This week because it is the closing Week Jessica uh, again We've been so happy for Sam Houston And we've uh, we've said it a few times when I've had you on Here but um, anytime that I can work with uh, a group of people Or a team that as is as Good as Sam Houston is I want to keep all the Praise on them as possible they've been Awesome for the betters and, uh, and an Awesome partner for me to work with over the last couple of years They've been so much fun I mean it's it's easy to promote a product where the takeout's low the fields are big the racing's competitive there's just so much to like about it we don't have we don't have to lie <laughs> right <laughs> we never lie we never we don't have to put on the acting chops there you know of, of like our role sometimes where we're like promoting something that we're like oh, I don't know but this We've is on yeah. that no I don't know what you're talking about never have had to do that but uh no. This is this is great stuff, and I'm I'm so happy that they've had such a successful meet, and I'm I'm very happy for our buddy Chris Griffin too, who's done a great job calling the races over there. He's going to be getting an opportunity to get um more of a a year round type job where he's going to head over and call the races at parks, and we'll knock on wood and keep our fingers crossed for Chris being over there on the East Coast with that location. That could even springboard him to uh, even bigger jobs on some of those East Coast tracks. I think he's as good as anyone in the game uh, He's been so much fun to work with he, He's wonderful, I think he'll do great at Parks Let's get into the pick 5 for Wednesday So this was actually a day that they added Because of uh, the some a couple of the days that got cancelled Because of the weather But mainly because the, the money was so good The handle was was so good They, they had another purse increase And they wanted to add an, an extra day of racing So here we are We're going to talk about the pick 5 on March the 31st In race number 6 and we're going to go to uh, an optional 40 Non-two of the year here uh, They're going to go a mile on the main track A couple of pretty nice horses in this field Jess, we've got a, a sharp St. Louis guy who just continues To run really good races down on the inside You've got Rotation who's been in Some some real quality efforts You've got Topper T who steps up for Broberg Coming in from uh, from Aqueduct uh, Tin Badge was over in Iowa Running against Stakes Company here This is a good race to start out your pick 5 yeah, this is a stakes quality field and it is. you might have to go a lot of different ways here. I don't think there's anyone who really is at this point in their career a true standout amongst their comparable peers here. Rotation I think looks awfully tough. Yep. Um I liked his effort last time out. I thought that was a big return to form for him. Uh, Topper T's the big question mark. I just don't know what to do with him. 
Yeah, he's just like a total wild card coming in from from Aqueduct from New York for Broberg, who has has really started to uh, to pick things up. Um, you know, throughout the meet, he's a little slow to start, but he this is a sharp horse right now. Um, I think starting with rotation is probably where I'm going to end up in this spot too. I think I lean slightly towards him on top, but uh, I mean, we got a strong entry here too. Like, Good Scout has done you know very little wrong in his last few. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's one I'm using as well. I mean, he just keeps winning. He's just been an absolute machine so far this season. I mean, those both of those races were really quite impressive, too. A horse like Sheriff Brown comes off of a win last time out. He doesn't really have a lot of speed, so he he, he scares me a little bit because he could be compromised by by pace. But uh, he'll he'll come running and, and put in a good effort. And I, I mentioned Tin Badge, who probably needs one for uh, for his best, but he's got massive speed and he is fresh. Um, yeah, anyone else in here uh, in, in here worth mentioning? I mean, I think that kind of covers yeah, it. I, I think we got six of the seven, so that'll probably yeah. that'll probably be the Elliot Bay who uh, we we don't right, mention. That's good. Who, yeah, yeah, the other get, the other one who gets in the winner's circle there as we move along to race number seven. Great thing about Sam Houston when that low takeout pick five starts in race number six. If you get knocked out, or maybe you get through that first race, but. You, there are a couple horses that you didn't get to use on your pick five ticket. You come right back and you can play a pick four with that same low takeout. This one will be a Texas bred first level allowance. They'll go a mile on the turf course here. Who are you starting with? So I'm going for a bit of a long shot here. I'm taking a little bit of a swing with number six, Jewel Street. I like that Luzzy's back aboard. Uh, I think Luzzy's just so good on this turf course. His timing is fantastic. And the, this horse's effort two back was not that bad. No. She was like really it was an okay effort the stakes effort I'll, I'll draw a line through that I think she was just in a little bit over her head but if she can run back to that race from two starts back that was also her first start off a layoff I don't know I think she at 15 to 1 it looks a little generous to me I agree she's got a, she's worth using in your pick fours and pick five she's got a couple of losses to I'm a discreet lady who's just really really sharp and then look at some of her races on the grass towards you know the middle to end of, of 2020 they're not bad at Lone Star really not um, and this is just going to be her third start off of a pretty long, you know, couple month layoff, and third start now for this barn um, coming back into them. So I think they they're going to to run a big one. I agree with you. I'll include along with the the three. I'm going to use Bowson. The blinkers on. Uh, I think he's he's a little bit interesting um, for for Broberg because he feels like the type of horse going this trip will be good for him. He, he has to prove if he wants to go on the grass. He's only been once, and I, I think it's easy to excuse. He's ac- actually a half to a horse named Lady of Gold. Who was only one for 16 on the turf But she did have uh, three seconds Five thirds and was a five time Stakes placed horse going long On the grass so there is a little bit of turf There for Bowzun um, I actually have uh, Jewel Street picked third So I'm, um, we'll be using all over the place Probably got the Sharp Farms Faith From the inside um, I mean it probably Be tough to leave out a horse like John Doe who Comes out of the Houston turf but I, I think Sometimes these Asperson horses are always Going to be overplayed a little bit so yeah, That for, one's a little over bet here Yeah so, so for me it's like the Asperson horses I kind of feel like I really have to like them if I want to use Them because they'll probably be undervalued Yeah I completely agree it's kind of I, It's the other Asperson I'm a little interested In like singing aces maybe um, At 10 to 1 with Ray aboard. I thought that ever last time it was okay The switch to the turf I think is interesting I think there's certainly enough turf pedigree there But um, John At the John, price I'd much prefer uh, I'd much prefer the 10 over the 9 Yeah, yeah. absolutely uh, Let's move along from race number 7 to race number 8 Start of the late pick 3 there at Sam Houston We've got a 50 non-2 
claim or 15 onto allowance They'll go a mile on the turf course We talked about a sixth race that was pretty stakes quality There are a couple nice horses in here uh, Like the number four convention who's the morning line favorite For Asmussen just missed last time out Against Flexati And uh, he's run pretty well here twice After coming in uh, from Churchill Downs Where he, he did, didn't really seem to fire against uh, the better company Yeah tough to get past convention Really yeah, I mean I agree there's just a lot to like, but I do. I, I'm obsessed with the pedigree on number eight intimidation. I can never get past this horse's pedigree. And I think I get suckered in every time he runs, uh, whatever it's, it is what it is. Maybe he'll, you know, he owes me one at this point, but magical ride. I mean, this horse is obviously a full to uh, ride on Curlin, which nice and fine, but victory ride. This horse is second dam. Like you and I have been watching racing since we were like nerdy kids, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I remember seeing Victory ride at Belmont Park when I was a teenager. And to this day, she is one of the most physically impressive horses I've ever seen in my life. Like when I think to the idea of the perfect racehorse and the perfect thoroughbred, she is still what I think to. So that's where I go with it. He didn't run that bad. And it was his first time going long, too. He wasn't that far behind convention. What's funny, he was actually favored over convention in that very same race. So and he uh, often I agree. Bred for two turns. This is yeah. not. Not see any scenario where this horse really wants to sprint. Yeah, so um, I don't think you can just completely dismiss him. Um, other horses, uh, I think worth mentioning. The six, I I just sort of try to t- totally treat like a wild card. I mean, this is a horse who lost to Midnight Bourbon in his debut, and then came back and uh, and and broke his maiden at Indy against Maiden Specials, and now shows up in the Asmussen Barn. Um, does he need a race? Maybe, but uh, if this horse takes a lot of money or opens up really live on the board, uh, maybe he is live in here. Uh, the two Warlock Dawn, just another one to mention, like some of the company that he's been coming out of. He comes out of a, a race where he finished third. On the turf last time out but the two back race At fairgrounds he was behind big Lake who came back to finish third in the Rebel and then Gagetown Just finished second over the weekend in the animal Kingdom stakes at turfway so um, He's faced some some really Tough company this is a good race like The sixth and the eighth race here Have some legitimately strong Like allowance to Stakes quality horses in them for sure. And, and this may be, you know, for those of you playing after Sam Houston ends, take note of some of these horses. I think they'll be able to hold their own wherever they go next. Yeah, I, I completely agree. We uh, we even saw that with a horse like uh, Latruska coming out of the big race at, at Sam Houston and, and heading over and, and putting up a big fight over at Oaklawn Park. And she's going to be, uh, I think, locking up in a few weeks with some of the big ones at Oaklawn, too. So uh, these Sam Houston horses, because... The racing is deeper because of the purse increases because you're getting barns from all over the place. These horses have been they have got like a, a more competitive foundation than than probably four or five years ago they would have at Sam Houston. You probably would have seen horses that come out of Sam Houston races some places and went ah they probably didn't face as well. I, I'm telling you, um, especially like grass races, higher level grass races, and a couple of these uh, allowance that we talked about uh, about right now they are good. Uh, heck, we even get another one in the the ninth, Jess. We get a first level allowance here on the dirt, and this one is going to go five furlongs for some of the horses who may not really uh, be able to go longer. But we've got some quick horses in here, some sharp horses in here. You've got Full Trigger, who has won two out of three, really, really quick. You've got Get a Load of This, who had a monster. Effort last time out and has won uh, Two of the last three also You've got Jody's Angels who quit who's quick Pickens is really quick Valiant Appeal has won three in a row uh, Tomato Bill uh, Did not run poorly last time out Another very contentious race In what's a really contentious pick five Yeah th- this is a really solid field I went with Tomato Bill um, You look back to him at kind of as a As a two year old really in 2019 they must have thought He was a good one because they went right you know kind of 
after that maiden win right into a graded stakes. And I know he kind of didn't pan out to be a top tier sort of horse, but I liked that race last time. Yeah, and, and you can make excuses, right? Like you when yeah. when you for a horse like him, when you start at the beginning of his career and you go, Okay, maiden special weight first time out of the box. He ran second in a graded stakes, his second start. Then they tried the turf. You can make an excuse for that. They came back and his and he hit a, a race that was on the slop. You could probably make an excuse for that. He came back and he raced, and then we didn't see him. For an entire what ten months or so? Yeah, he's so, probably bumps in the road. Yeah, uh, I think he's he's got to be ready for one of the best efforts he's ever showed uh, coming up here. Second start yeah. off the bench, right? Second time for Asmussen. If he's gonna do it, I think this is gonna be the time he does it. Um, kind of all all the stars are aligning for him here. Yep. Feels like a great spot for him And I think when you look at the way the race shapes up You've got a ton of pace in here And with his draw It'll probably give him the opportunity to sit off a little bit If he needs to since he's towards the outside Yeah, I completely agree So uh, I think Tomato Bill is a must use Um, I thought Backshot, you know, Broberg uh, Has Backshot who comes in from Oaklawn, Churchill, and Keeneland And he's probably just coming out of a a lot tougher races uh, in, In the last couple The, um the eight I wanted to mention too, Lovey Dovey. He's entered again for uh, I think it's Saturday, so I yeah. wonder if she's gonna scratch and go there. But I like this horse as a long shot, no matter like any scenario. Right? Yeah. She she could have a ton of pace to chase in here, and maybe just kind of fall into a nice spot. She was able to run down a horse named Fantastic, who was like a one to two favorite that day. Um, and so, she was on green doing it. I thought oh, I thought that was Doyle, all like, over, and and she. She's got like a, just a bunch of regular like you know Second start off the bench Second start over this track Second start for these connections She has every right to improve She gets off the rail Goes inside to outside With her running style That should make things a, little, a lot easier for her To kind of fall into a nicer trip So Last time But I, I think she'll be fine Yeah um, She's fun if she's in this race So keep an eye on her And where she shows up Because she is cross-entered um, Yeah one uh, for me, it was uh, one seven and then uh, eight. Don't I? I wanted to just to mention the two because man, he was awesome in that last race. He went like twenty one and what twenty one and one forty four and like and really th- hung up at the end. Oh yeah, it was just a, a like run them off their feet type of performance. And if he's able to break from the inside with Mister Two Thousand, uh, can call Fizzleboard. Um, we'll see if he can get the job done there. And again, this is I gotta say from there have been. Pick five sequences or pick four sequences at Sam Houston uh, throughout the meet that are that are fun, that are good betting opportunities. This one right here for just being a Wednesday afternoon, I think is as strong as any sequence that was not including multiple stakes races. I, okay. I mean, honestly, even the maiden special weight that we end with right here. Like this is a good mile on the turf maiden special weight. We didn't have um, a lot of the like 5,000 beaten claiming races in this sequence that we're talking about, Jessica. This is another group of really nice horses. Where are you starting? I'm starting with the one, Black Rock Castle, who I just, I feel like this horse is dupe, is sitting on a maiden win. I liked the race last time out. I like to switch to Luzzy a little bit. I think Luzzy will be a good fit for this horse. And just the pedigree. This horse is bred for the grass. Declaration of War out of a chest House mayor, and you could really see, like, he got over it well in both tries. Even that first try, he was six, but it really wasn't bad. And then he, you know, moved forward next time. We'll see, we'll see. I, but he's my top selection. I think he, you have to use Black Rock Castle, um, sort of like a, a wide trip. And it's not the type of trip that, like, wins on the grass a lot of the time. And like you said, Luzzy jumping aboard, you just have to imagine with the post, you know, you move from post 12 to post one, you'll be able to get a much more ground saving trip, third yeah. off the long, long layoff. I think all signs point to a big one from the one Black Rock Castle. You know, I loved 
Loved, loved Schemer last time out. I was expecting a big effort from him. I and, feel like you to my notes before we had this call. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. And, and then you know he just like he just didn't run, and it was in the slop. I think we can make an easy excuse for him and and look back at the two two back race going a mile on the turf when he ran really well and say you know what I think this horse is a lot better than that effort and we have an excuse being in the slop. And he's done zero wrong on the grass, short of win. I mean, but both of those turf efforts have been really competitive. Have to use him, too. Um, I guess the other wild card in here uh, is the horse to the outside, Heliochrome. From just a, a pace standpoint, he's really, really quick. He just seems like he only has one way to go. I guess when they draw the outside like that, it, it kind of makes their plan pretty easy. Like, they have to go. But I see maybe Mega Bond, uh, maybe Coloquist. There are a couple others in here who have some speed It probably won't be all that easy for Heliochrome from way out there Yeah, I don't think so I mean, I really like the California Chromes on the turf But this one doesn't seem like this is really his spot Jessica Paquette, she's helped us out all throughout the meet at Sam Houston She's been doing a great job handicapping the races for Sam Houston And Jessica, I was uh, following along on Twitter I wanted to congratulate you on the half marathon Thanks that I thought you com- that I saw you completed. So congratulations on that. That's always a uh, a difficult task, and I know you've been uh, working hard and uh, and training for a while. And then tell us a little bit about a, a new venture. I think I saw you post something that you're going to be uh, working with a new team. I am. So I'm joining the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation as their director of communications and annual funds. So everyone in racing can expect to get harassed by me in the near future. Uh, I'm looking forward to being able to give back to the horses and the sport in a really meaningful way. This is going to be a great fit for you This is uh, anyone that has heard Jessica on this show uh, Or follows you along on social media Just knows the love that you have for horses And how your intentions are always To put the animal first And uh, to always give back to the animals For uh, everything they give to us Um, I'm very excited for you And I look forward to hearing more about uh, about you uh, With this venture Because I I know anywhere you go, anything you do You're always going to do a great job You bring an energy and uh, an enthusiasm Like a fun, but also a Respect for people and I've, I've really enjoyed Getting to know you more over the last couple months Likewise Jessica Paquette give us your plugs where can we follow you uh, On social media Follow me at JM Paquette on Twitter for dog and horse pictures Awesome stuff uh, Jessica Let's close this week out uh, and make some money For those folks uh, Sam Houston did such a great Job and I, uh, I, I had a lot of fun talking with you Likewise good luck everyone Thank you so much Jessica Paquette let's recap uh, The Wednesday card in just a minute Folks don't go anywhere Big thanks to Jessica for helping us out all through the meet. She did a, a great job, and we wish her the best of luck in her new endeavor there. So make sure to give her a follow on social media. You can follow along and, and see everything she's doing and uh, see how she does this closing weekend at Sam Houston. So for me in race number six, just to kind of uh, recap and go over everything, I had rotation on top of the 1A, good scout, and the 2 uh, right behind them, Topper T. You want to go a little deeper? I had the five tin badge and the seven Sheriff Brown, but six one a two for me as the uh, the top tier must use horses, and then five seven if you want to go deeper or as more uh, under kind of questionable horses there. In race number seven, I did think the three uh, Bowzon had a big shot on the grass for the first time. I'll use the one Farms Faith. I will also include. 
the six in all exotics, Jewel Street, who Jessica mentioned. The nine, John Doe, you know, depending on what you want to do. Um, I, I need three, one, six, nine in some other exotics underneath. I wouldn't toss the nine. The five and eight would also be uh, other horses I would look to include. Uh, Olga's son, second start off, exiting some open races. And you've got the eight, Stan's hooking bull. The turf races are not that bad for Stan. Three, one, six, nine, five, eight. That's how I have them stacked with the three Bowzun on top. If you are looking for a single, uh, it might be convention for me in, in race number eight, the number four, who uh, I really liked last time out. I needed him last time out. But you know what? He actually ran pretty well. He had a good start on the inside. He was in uh, a little bit tight, but he was saving some ground. Uh, he was third, a couple lengths off. He was waiting. He angled around three wide in between. He just couldn't get to Flex Audi. He just missed that day. That was his first start going long, and now it's going to be third start off the bench. For Convention, who is continuing to move forward and to progress. The number four Convention feels like a, a horse if you're looking for a single in the late pick five. It might be this chalky single uh, if you're looking to use other horses. The eight, Intimidation, who Jessica mentioned. The six, uh, Actal Gali, who I'm treating as a total wild card. The one, even First Avenue, I would use a, a little underneath. He's on the improve. He won last time out. He added blinks. He stretched out. He was still slow away. He was last. He split horses from the back. He angled out. He just got up. The two Warlock Dawn comes out of some tough races too. So I'd have him stacked four uh, with one eight to six in race number eight at Sam Houston. In the ninth there, tons of pace. Uh, I thought the one back shot could get a, a great trip. And Tomato Bill with that outside draw felt like a must use. The eight... Um, Lovey Dovey depending on where she shows up she's also uh, an interesting horse at a price to include I mentioned uh, her with Jess and then the two get a load of this who is really really fast here uh, other horses who you might think about using would be the five Pickens and the six Valiant Appeal who's sharp but I think one seven uh, I like the most in here one seven eight two in a, in a lot of those exotics and then to close it out, in the 10th at Sam Houston, I'm going to use the 1, 8, and 12, Black Rock Castle. I think I'll probably get bet a little bit from the inside. The 8, Schemer, uh, just tossed that last effort. And the 12, Heliochrome. But I probably don't even really play as many tickets with Heliochrome on top. More so Heliochrome with that speed as more of a horse to use underneath because uh, that one will probably at least pick up a, a slice with that outside speed. So one eight twelve to close it out at Sam Houston. On Wednesday. So we will move from Wednesday over to Thursday. Start talking about the Thursday racing at Gulfstream Park. It's not the championship meet anymore, but there are going to be still some quality races and some really fun stable duel contests. First, let us talk about Old Smoke clothing.com quality clothing and merchandise that horse racing fans and those who love the atmosphere and lifestyle of racing will be able to enjoy. High-quality products rooted in the iconic symbols of racing and the racetrack experience. We're talking t-shirts with horse names, polos, hoodies, long sleeves, zip-ups, hats at OldSmokeClothing.com. When you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll cost you nothing for your shipping. Free shipping when you use that promo code G-I-N-O. Tis the law. You a fan of his from last year? Authentic. Bob Baffert. T-shirts with all of these horse names. The, the Baffert silhouette. You can actually sign up for what is a one-year membership in the Old Smoke 
Clubhouse, and they are giving you four quarterly deliveries for your $500. Each package will include a t-shirt only available to members, a horse racing themed gift, package fillers, you'll get a, a headwear piece made exclusively for members, you get a designer outerwear piece made for your member, made for the members, 20% off all orders at OldSmokeClothing.com, access to the online forum where you can interact with other like-minded horse racing fans. I mean, these are folks who are such big fans of racing that they named this company after John Morrissey, Old Smoke, the founding father of Saratoga Racecourse, who was uh, many, many things, but a street brawler, a gang member, a cargo thief, a brothel bouncer, a political enforcer. He was actually in both the U.S. Congress and the New York State Senate. OldSmokeClothing.com, they love horse racing. If you love horse racing, check out the website. It'll be a, a great way to represent the horse racing fan in you. They'll even do custom designs for you. Maybe a, a horse that made you and some of your friends a lot of money or something that you say when you're trying to root home your favorite horses and, and get a big score. Check out OldSmokeClothing.com and use that promo code GINO for free shipping on your order. Thursday racing. Let's get to Gulfstream Park. I've got four plays over at Gulfstream Park. Now remember, I'll always try to give you a value line, which means I've got that set as the price for me for that horse. So uh, let's talk about race number one with Dispense. What's great about uh, playing Stable Duel is you pay for horses based off of their morning line. So you can lock horses in at whatever their morning line odds are. You know, sometimes you you can tell, oh, that horse is probably going to get bet down a little bit, and you're never going to get the price that you, you thought the morning line was. But in Stable Duel, you can actually take advantage of that. So I think a horse like Dispense might be just, in fact, that. This is a, a filly who was 4-1 to last time out in a race that I, I think was tougher at Gulfstream Park on February the 18th. You know, and if you look at her last two races, she actually ran pretty well in both of them. On February the 5th, she chased Lone Speed, and on February the 18th, again, was chasing Lone Speed. She had a good start from the inside. She settled second. She was, you know, inside third. She was three lengths off, chasing Lone Speed. She got stuck in behind. Then she got a really nice opening. She moved through, but she just couldn't get to the loose on the lead. Beach Chick. I think Dispense will probably end up going off at, you know, like 4-1 to or 7-2. to If she is anything around 5-1, to I'll make a win wager on her, and I'll make sure to use her in a, the Stable Duel contest on Thursday. But in the first race, the number one, Dispense, make sure to use in your early pick fives. And if she's around 5-1, to let's make a win wager there. In race number two, I'm looking at Chip Shape, who is looking for his third win in a row. Paco sticks aboard. In his last start, he was so much the best with track announcer Pete Aiello actually said. He was waiting inside. He was loaded. He had nowhere to go. And then he he got a small opening. He tried to move inside, but he got completely shut off. He lost all momentum. He had to back up, take back, lost two lengths, and then he had to angle outside and re-rally. It was super impressive. The number five, Chip Shape, was another one who I wouldn't be shocked if he gets bet down a little bit because his race was visually impressive. Uh, he's 8-1 to one on the morning line. That's only going to cost you 3000 on your stable duel lineup. If he is 4-1, to one, I will make a win wager on him in race number two. We are now going to go to race number four. And I'm looking at the seven, Bach, who tried the uh, the dirt for the first time uh, last out. And we've seen him go long on the grass before and actually have some success going long on the grass. Now he's going to stretch out and try to go long on the dirt. He, it was a fine start, but he ended up taking back to fifth, three lengths off. 
you know, in the two path, he was within two lengths or so. He just couldn't go with Burhanu, and he got up to second. He ended up losing a three-way photo for the place. It's a little bit better than it looks on paper. The number seven, Bach, is a horse I'm using in the early exotics, and I'll make a win wager on the number seven, Bach, if we can get anything around, you know, five to one or so. That's the value line there for me. Let's move to race number seven. I'm going to give a look to the seven in here. That is Man of Vision, who hooked an off-track last time out. I think it's an easy excuse for him. He's drawn well. He cuts back. He's now in with Florida Breds. Man of vision with that positional speed drawn to the outside, but a couple others to his inside that may be quicker. I think he ends up sitting a very nice trip from uh, from out there. The number seven, man of vision. So four plays for me on Thursday over at Gulfstream Park on April the 1st, April Fool's Day. Uh, in race number one, I'm going with the number one, Dispense. Anything around five to one, I'll make a win wager. In the second, the number five, Chip Shape. Anything around uh, four to one, we'll make a win wager. In the fourth, the number seven, Bach, anything around five to one or so. And in the seventh, the number seven, Man of Vision, anything around uh, seven, anything around like five to two, but I'll probably use him as more of like a late exotic single there on Thursday over at Gulfstream Park. So best of luck at Gulfstream on Thursday. Let's head on over to Sam Houston. I'll talk about the early part of the card, and then Sam Sherman's going to join me to talk about the late pick five. Get those past performances out for Sam Houston, April the 1st for Thursday. We are looking at race number one. I thought the one DM now on the slight cutback on the drop-in class showed the tactical speed last time out. Hooked Dr. Francis, who went on to, to win uh, off of that. Cal Lesson, who's a, a pretty solid type, a lot better than what this $15,000 level uh, should uh, present for DM now as far as challenges are concerned. The one DM now is my top selection. I'll use along with the five, Sapphire, who was a monster winner and will try to wheel back quickly off of that big, big victory. The six free flying fast... I really liked her last time out. I, I thought her win was pretty impressive, and two starts back, or three starts back on January the eighth. I thought she had legitimate trouble that day, so I, I was expecting a much better effort from her last time out. She didn't really run all that poorly. She's got a, a little more pace though than, than she showed, and the the race has come back live. She actually was favored in that spot against twenty five non twos. I'm gonna give her another shot back here. One five six for me. If you want to go a little deeper, obviously the four Fox Appeal is going to take some money. The three, uh, Anxiolytics, Blinkers on there, second start off. Uh, you can toss the last effort because it was a, uh, an off racetrack. Two starts back, maybe there was an issue because it sent her to the bench for a little while. So maybe you give her another an opportunity at this level. I had him stacked one, five, six as my must-use horses uh, with three, four underneath, depending on how deep you want to go. In the second at Sam Houston, um, I will start with the eight. That loving feeling who should be forwardly placed on the stretch out. I think this one has an opportunity to sit a nice trip. You're dropping in class. You're stretching out that loving feeling. Number nine, Tesk who's got some solid races going long on the main track, now is going to go uh, first off the claim for Carl Broberg. Overall, very solid uh, dirt form. Last time out, you can you know put a line right through because that was a race that was on a good racetrack and off track. Two starts back was on the turf. Look at the form from January of 2021, and prior to that, you have uh, some really nice efforts against better. I'm using the nine all over. I'm using the 10 everywhere. Queen of Carnival is another one who's just dropping out of better grass races and has run pretty well in in limited sample size on the dirt. Queen of Carnival is a must-use for me. I'm using 8, 9, 10 everywhere 
on other tickets or underneath spots, the four and the six Mucho Moss, who is just logical and, and same with River Liberty. Like I don't really have a ton of knocks on them. I just kind of think the others to the outside have a little more upside at bigger prices. I have eight, nine, ten, four, six as horses to use. Eight, nine, ten over four, six in some of the exotics. In race number three at Sam Houston Mile, uh, on the main track we got allowance non threes. The Number five, Clay's Moonstone is in excellent form, super logical, and one that will get a pretty nice setup in here with horses like Amazing Ride and Margo Mania, and perhaps you even get a little speed from the inside from uh, um, you know one or two of, of My Heart Sings and Tahitian Breeze. But I do think My Heart Sings is, is a real wild card for the newborn, and anything similar to that two-back race at Keeneland would, you know, would dust this group. The Canterbury race on the grass was pretty good. So I think My Heart Sings is, is a horse who I have to use in the early exotics, um, along with the five, Clay's Moonstone, and along with the seven, Margo Mania. Because with her speed, stretching out, second start off the bench, uh, that's a long, long layoff. She's exiting a live race. She could get a lot out of that last race and be very, very tough to run down if she clears. Five, one, seven. Uh, trying to beat the four, amazing ride on top. We'll we'll play that one more uh, underneath spots. I just don't, I don't know if she's going to get the kind of trip she wants. Maybe she falls into a, a good spot, but I like others a, a bit more in here. We move along to race number four. They are going five furlongs on the turf course. We've got Texas bred first level allowance. The number four lucky promise third start off the bench, adding the blinks. The two back race sprinting on the grass was very good. And he drew the rail that day. He was inside. He was fifth. He was sixth. He was just a couple lengths off. He moved in between and then to the inside. He was a bit flat late. He actually ended up just missing third. And that was his first start in a few months. Now he's going to go third start off the bench. Third start of the form cycle. Adds the blinks back to the grass. Dropping out of a stakes race last time out behind the really nice silence Dioro. I like the four. Lucky promise. The five, Captain St. Jock, just feels like the really, really logical horse to beat in here after a, a nice effort against Open Company last time out. He did get by Ari Klesik Man, the number six right next door, who will try to show his good speed. He drops out of a stakes. He took a shot against Better last time out. The two, Gradester, would be a horse if I wanted to go a little deeper that I might include underneath. So I have four, five everywhere. Uh, I have six and two underneath spots uh, if you want to go deeper or look for some horses to uh, to play some tries and supers with. In the fifth race at Sam Houston, we've got Texas Breds, Phillies and Mares, four-year-olds and up, which have never won two. Six furlongs, the distance. I'm looking at the number five, Jans Tap and Go, who's going to go second start off the bench and will now come back into the Caldwell barn. Goncalves jumps back aboard. That was a pretty nice win off of a long layoff. We hadn't seen her from February of 2020 to March of 2021, and she sat and she won nicely. I think it's a really nice spot for her to, to wheel right back. The number five, Jans Tap and Go. I will use everywhere with the 10, Gone Baby Gone, who's coming out of that really strong race behind Happy Sailor, who uh, ended up winning out of that, and it's just an excellent form. And the horse behind, mostly distorted, actually ran pretty well uh, coming back out of that race too, but Happy Sailor is just is really nice right now. And Gone Baby Gone has done little wrong in her three-race career. We'll use the 5 and the 10 everywhere. The 3, Natalie's Joy. If you want to go a little deeper, I have her in the third spot. I have the four, Granny Jewel, in the fourth spot there. Coming off of that race uh, last time out where she actually took a shot against the boys. Now back in uh, and back to the dirt. And she's kind of 
got a little versatility to her. I wouldn't be shocked to see her, you know, work out a trip pretty close with Luzzy, and she's another one who ran into Happy Sailor, and maybe her form's a little bit better when you start to kind of uh, dig through it. 5-10 with 3-4 in race number 5 at Sam Houston. Now we are going to get to uh, our conversation with Sam Sherman about the late pick five. We go through races six through ten. Sam Sherman joining me here on That's What G Said for Thursday's late pick five from Sam Houston. Getting into the late Thursday card at Sam Houston this week. So if you're following along, get those past performances out. We're looking at April 1st. No April Fool's Day here. Sam Sherman, the man, Sam is joining me. We've been very lucky to have Sam joining us. Uh, have Sam join us a few times throughout the meet at Sam Houston. I had never talked to Sam. Um, I think more than just a few things back and forth here on Twitter, heading up to this year. And uh, I think that Sam back four or five times now. He's helped us pick a ton of winners. And uh, I think a lot of you out there have seen and followed him along on social media. Really sharp handicapper. We had to get him back one more time to talk pick five for Thursday. Sam, how you doing, buddy? I'm great, Gino. Thanks for having me. I can't believe the meet's already uh, coming to an end. I know. It's been so great. Uh, positive that we got at least another extra day uh, in that final week, and, and we are able to end it uh, on a bang with a couple stakes races on the closing Saturday, too. But uh, just a really successful meet, man. I Like we said, uh, we've said it a few different times, just seeing so many people on social media talking about Sam Houston, playing Sam Houston, uh, talking about it in a positive light. It just really shows you that uh, everyone over at Sam Houston and a lot of the people in charge there, Frank Hopp and uh, Chris Griffin, who is going to be moving on after, uh, after the, the meet, they've done it. They've done a really good job. Yeah, they've done a great job. I saw Chris over the weekend. Uh, sad to see him go. Yeah. Uh, but the last week, <clears throat> last week looks great. I think there's a lot of trainers, you know, really trying to take advantage of this last week of the high purses. Mm-hmm. You could see there are some deep, deep races, and uh, yeah. we're going to get to the late pick five on Thursday. So get those past performances out. We're going to flip to race number six to start. We've got an optional 15 claimer here with a five furlong turf sprint. We've got a huge f- field signed on. Karate Hottie is entered for main track only. So if this thing runs on the grass, we're going to get a field of 12 in here with a lukewarm favorite. Um, Stay Thirsty, my amigo, is sharp right now, but isn't quite as good on the grass. You've got Broke Financing, who's coming off of an okay race uh, in, in a pretty tough spot. And, and then after that, I mean, there are many, many ways to go. This is, I think what you were talking about, like this is a great pick four, pick five kind of race, and this kicks off to pick five. Yeah, this is crazy. I mean, I think almost any horse in here could win this race. Um, I mean, yeah, this pick five on, on Thursday could could pay a ton. I thought there were a couple that were interesting in here. One was NJ's Brass. I know she doesn't have, you know, the grass on her form, but she's been pretty consistent at Sam Houston uh, with two wins already at the meet. I think she's kind of like an every other race type type of mare, too. You know, she wins, get third, wins, got fourth. I think she could do okay in here, especially, you know, the favorites, you know, if, if they do stay on the grass, he's going to be all the way on the outside in the 12th. 12 posts that's gonna be pretty tough um you know cypress point on the rails also interesting well that's tough with so many horses um line of rank you know she's won eight times i think i'd probably lean nj's brass in here try to get eight to one yep i think i think if you like any of these horses you're probably going to get a pretty good price in here you mentioned three of the top four that I must have. Uh, NJ's brass, <laughs> it, which is funny. Uh, NJ's brass for sure. What's great about her too? She gets off the rail. And she's not like she's got a little bit of speed, but I think she's better when she's able to track a bit. And so she got 
in a bad spot She was down inside, she ran into some traffic It was a little bit better than it looks And when you go back and look at her grass races So she's got three of them One of those races, she was third against Optional 80 claimers at Saratoga So, yep. you know, she actually ran pretty well On the grass too, these connections have been good All meet, I think uh, you have to use her In here um, I'm. You mentioned line of rink. You get back to Luzzy now, um, and just look at the the two back race. Maybe she just needed a little one, uh, a little start off the of the bench. She was actually tracking in second, and she just ran into Lone Speed, Delicious Pursuit, who just kind of opened uh, opened up. You mentioned Cypress Point, and 100 percent agree with you. I I couldn't make a horse like her my top pick because of the draw. If she was yeah. drawn more towards the outside, I'd feel a lot more confident. I could see her getting that shuffle, getting in a little bit of trouble, and and having having an issue there. So, um, yeah, th- those are the three I needed for sure. Um, I'm okay if you want to swing against Stay Thirsty from way out there. You know, broke financing. I, I guess wouldn't shock that race last time was okay. I- I'd even prefer like more middle price horses, like like the five or six, if you wanted price horses. Those horses haven't ran. A ton on the turf, but both of their dams One on the grass, and maybe they've got a little upside I think we sniffed out the the three horses Though that I, I for sure need uh, in, in those one, three, and eight Yeah, I agree with you, I mean This is, uh, I think You might need even more than that this Oh, race, sure, sure This race is, is so tough um, And I mean, yeah, if you can narrow it down to three In one of the minutes, I think you're going to be in a great spot Moving forward, just because People are either going to go deep in this race Or they're going to get knocked out Yeah, I mean I think that's just the only way the only way this is going to go. I think of the 12 horses in here, you know, nine of them have your realistic shot of winning the race. Completely agree with you. Uh, I could only like eliminate one or two. Uh, and even them, if they jumped up with a little bit of upside, it would not shock all that much. A great, great race to start that late pick five on Thursday. We move to race number seven, 10,000 non three claimers. Uh, started the late pick four, or started the late pick four. So, again, if you, you don't want to spread out too much, maybe you try to take a stand, you get knocked out, you come right back and play a low takeout late pick four here. Uh, where do you start in this one, Sam? So, I don't understand why Dias is 20 to one. Me neither. I mean, That's got, I, I thought that was, I, I could, yeah. Some, every I, now and then there's a, a, a tie ball or misprint. So, I, I thought that same thing. It must have just been a mistake because all you have to do is just toss the last race. Exactly. You toss the last race. I mean, but it, just go back. I mean, favored, favored, three to one, two to one, you know, two to one, even money. There, I mean, there's just no no way that 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 he's going to go off at 20 to one. I mean, if he did, I would be all over that. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think he has a realistic chance of winning. You know, I completely agree. I think he might be my top pick in here. I mean, you know, there's just ask Joel, who Steve might like more. You know, he has his leading rider on him. Um, but he's also got the trainer, uh, Clark Brewster is one of his main trainers. So it might be a situation where, Hey, I'm going to put my top jock on it because it's one of my top owners yeah. and he owns, he owns the other horse. So it might be, I don't like just that much. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't either. Um, so I, I, I usually think, play against him. Like he, uh, yeah. you know, most of his starts. Yeah. And I think people are going to, you know, see Elliot and just assume that that's Steve's, you know, he likes that a, horse more than Dyer's, yeah. but I, I'm not sure that that's the case. Um, you know, Twilight Fantasy on the outside has a good chance. You know, these horses coming in from fairgrounds to Houston have all done pretty well. But, I mean, he wasn't running in great horse, great races at fairground. Yeah. Um, I mean, Carl knows what he's doing, so that horse could win. It's, I mean, another, you know, really tough race. I'd probably go with Dice as my top pick. I mean, you're, it's going to be more like 3-1 to one than 20-1, to one, though. Yeah, 
Don't don't expect twenty. If you get under five, if you get over five, you'll be happy. I agree. It'll be like seven to two ish, three to one. Um, some of the other horses uh, I wanted to mention. Uh, you mentioned Twilight Fantasy, who's probably tough to completely eliminate. I don't. Yeah, I usually play against Just Ask Joel, who's kind of a grinder and just sort of fell into one of his more recent wins. The Nine Tactician probably makes a lot of sense. I wonder if seven is a little farther than he wants. I don't really love horses leaving the Asmussen barn, but it's not like he's been out of that barn for all that long. And Young's been been having a pretty solid meet so far. Um with Lezzy aboard, I think this horse will probably be close throughout. So I'll use the the two, the nine. I'll probably throw the three real foot in. Um mm-hmm. same sort of thing like real foot just tried the grass last time out and what was wrong with the two back win at Oakland Park going six furlongs, non two. You know, um, something comparable to that that would would probably be competitive. The figure was a little bit low, but then you look down towards the bottom of the page and actually ran uh, pretty well at Oakland Park when uh, in Steve's barn before too. So I wouldn't be shocked to see Real Foot run okay in here. Uh, I had three, yeah, I think those are the, the three. I had nine, three, eleven, and two as my uh, as my four in here to to probably use in a lot of exotics. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's another race where you where you got to go deep. Um, I've bet on dice a couple times, hasn't come through. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, to, you know, Thursday this will is, be the day. This is going to be the time. End yeah. of the meet. Now it's the time to to break through uh, with dice as exactly. we move move through to the late pick three here. We've got maiden twenty five thousand dollar claimers, five furlongs uh, on the turf course here. Uh, who are you looking towards? Yeah, so I think this is the race where I tried to narrow it down and find find my single. I think I'm just going to go with the favorite. Thinks think it's a donation. Um, you know, it is. A, it says Joaquin Garz is a trainer. It's Danny Pish. Uh, Joaquin's his brother-in-law. Ran pretty well first on the turf, last out. Um, might have needed a couple races. You know, it looks pretty consistent, but it is a five-year-old mare, three starts. And I just didn't see a lot in here that anybody else looked nope. great. I think it's that's just sort of like a process of elimination type Completely race. Completely agree. You start looking all over the place and it's like, okay, you got needs no alibi who comes in from Gulfstream, but this is not necessarily uh connections that win a whole ton. Shani Gonani was behind Think It's So Donation, and I have more right to believe that Think It's So Donation can even improve out of that because she just ran better. Shani Gonani was okay. Um, you know, you start eliminating like the first time starters don't really have all that much breeding, scattered miss. Their barn has, has been ice cold, and they're gonna you're gonna draw the rail in here too. Uh Queen of Shanghai. I mean, I don't really trust. I mean, I get I I guess if you want to use underneath, there are some some grass races there. It just feels like this is a perfect spot for think it's so donation. Third start off the long layoff, second time on the grass, showed some tracking speed, so probably sits right behind scattered miss if they want to go and Leslie always does a good job of getting these horses forwardly played. This this just feels like a good spot to try to shorten up. And I, I think you know if the way that we're approaching the pick five, the first two races feel like races where you probably want to go a little bit longer to start the pick five. You're going to have to pick a, a spot one or you know somewhere to shorten up. And and it's fine if you're going to shorten up with the chalk. That that's fine. You just you know take the chalk and move along. Yeah, I agree. And I think you know that's probably the race to do it in. Just because, like we said, there's just not a whole lot else in there that I think. Is going to be competitive No there's just, there's no 10, 15, 20 to 1 shot That gets me excited or I feel like they got great Pedigree or there's a whole lot of excuses For some of their poor performances Just feels like it's a, a great spot For the chalk there in race number 8 We'll move to the late daily Double, we've got first level allowance uh, Texas spreads here Phillies and mares, three-year-olds, and up five and a half furlongs. A horse that you know pretty well, Miss Aggie Bling, got claimed off of you uh, just uh, a few days ago. And Miss Aggie Bling will now be stepped up and show up here in this first-level allowance spot. What do you think about her chances in here? 
Um, I don't know. We gave her three shots at the level. Last one, she didn't run very well. Um, we knew she'd get claimed last out and probably show up here. Um, I don't know. It's kind of the end of the meet. The purses go down at Lone Star. Um, it makes sense that somebody would claim her and try this. Yeah. Yeah, we knew this was going to happen. I mean, if Carl wins the race, you know, good for him. Um, next time I see him, he'll hopefully be buying me a bunch of beers. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, um, you know, it's just part of it. Um, not, I don't know. I don't, I'd be surprised if she wins the race just because she, know, she, has, she hasn't. Yeah. Exactly. She hadn't, she'd had um, opportunities and didn't really seem like she had that many excuses. And she didn't run poorly at the level, but sort of felt like she just needed a little bit of a drop, which she did. And she ran well last time out again. She was on and off track. And who knows sometimes if that's a positive or negative. But yeah, I, I sort of feel like you like just from a pure handicapping standpoint, she wouldn't be like an absurd, you know, long shot to that would win this race. But I, I don't know. I thought there were at least three or four others that felt like they had better opportunities. Yeah, you know, we kind of thought that maybe the three-year-olds, especially with the weight break, could be tough. And, I mean, I think the ones in here, I like, kind of are the three-year-olds. I like, you know, Austin Gustafson, that's a lot of bling, 15-1. to 1. I think it'd be a mistake to leave that horse. You know, off the tickets, dropping out of two stakes races. Um, I mean, nobody was going to beat Star of the North two back. I mean, that's the horse is a freak in that race. Um, then Happy Sailor ran pretty pretty well. Um and the barrel last, I think that's a lot of bling. And fifteen to one looks interesting. Texas Red Bell, yep. um, same sort of situation. You know, she's got worse numbers each race, but I mean, she could you know just wire the field. Um, and I think getting off the inside too. for her is going to yeah. be key. You know, because in her debut, she actually beat Rosie Jane, and she was able to kind of sit off a little from the outside. And then her last two starts, she drew post two, she drew post one. She was sort of just kind of forced from the inside to use some of that speed to try. And and so it put her in tougher spots. I think she can sit maybe off a little if she has to, or just not be forced, right? If nobody else goes, then she can just break like a rocket and try to cross over. So, I, I, yeah, for me, she's a must-use too. Yeah, and I mean, I think going from... You know, six and a half, six back to five and a half won't yep. hurt her. Um, I mean, I definitely prefer her over Rosie Jane at two to one. Completely I agree. Think, I think a lot of people are going to be going to be on Rosie Jane. That might be a single on a bunch of people's tickets. So if you can find anyone else in here, it might pay more than the morning line price. Yeah. Um, I think Texas Red Bell. That's a lot of bling. Those are probably the two horses that I'll use in here. Um, I I mean. I wouldn't use Rosie Jane defensively just I don't think that's going to help you in no. the playoffs. No. The if you're taking the stand against Rosie Jane, for me the other couple to include um uh the 10 Bebop baby who, you know, this is going to be tougher but she just is in nice form right now and and maybe she kind of falls into an okay spot from out there. Um I did think you could make a case on deeper tickets uh for both the 7 uh, Annie 8 true runner who might be able To, to sit a, a little bit um, She could get a good trip in here You know she's coming out of races behind Happy Sailor Uptown Bling where she didn't get the kind of trip she needed Where they were lone speeds there and Miss Yachty could could end up falling into a good spot So I don't think this is a You just need Rosie Jane race by any Means and we would tell you that we, we thought The chalk was very logical in the 8th race This is one where I, I would just Like I would on one ticket Maybe single Texas Red Bell And then on another ticket yeah. play you know deeper and, and, and see if I can get that sort of separation Yeah I like that idea a lot um, I don't know I, I wouldn't single Rosie Jane on anything no. I think that's the wrong no. way to go 
We close things out with Maiden Special Weights, a mile and a 16th on the turf course here, three year olds. And uh, again, another just massive field here. We have 12 lined up. I think the the favorite on the morning line is a lukewarm three to one with chrome finish. Cairo Warriors at seven to two. You've got Gray Storm and Dyna Strike, who you know are going to take some support. Um, also, you, 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 Pure Courage is also interesting. Many ways to go in this one to close it out. That's just that's what makes this a great pick five sequence. Yeah, I mean, I kind of I thought Go Speed Racer Go the three was interesting. Um, you know, led for the majority of the race at Gulfstream. You know, a maiden 35 at Gulfstream, probably pretty similar. I mean, maybe even better than a maiden special weight in Houston yep. just because, I mean, the trainers at Gulfstream right now have monsters. Um, so, I mean, if you can't win a maiden special weight there, even if you drop into 35, you're, you're probably facing some freaks. Um, I thought Dynastrike was interesting. Um, ran okay on the turf, um, third race. And, you know, Steve's horse, too, Chrome Finish. Um, I like the pattern of a horse getting better each race. Sure. This isn't um, one that they brought in off of a bad race and dropped here. You know, like this is a horse that's on the improve. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I don't, I don't see any reason why, why that Colt, you know, can't improve again, paid $175,000 for it. Um, they're by no means giving up on it to run here no. you know, for $40,000. Um, I think this is another race. I mean, they're, I don't know. You could probably spend a couple hundred dollars on a ticket, and if it hits, I mean, you're gonna you can make a ton here. Well, especially if you're playing a ticket where you're you know maybe you're singling in the one spot, and then the two or three other races, like if what sort of the approach that we're saying, maybe we single the one chalk in race eight, but in three of the other races, we're not even using those favorites, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and we're spreading out because then you know, okay, if my ticket hits, it's not gonna hit and pay a hundred bucks or fifty bucks. Like this thing hits, it's gonna pay five hundred at the very lowest, anywhere up to you know a pool a pool job in a pick five, you know, with with some of the possibilities. So I think the horses you mentioned are completely Live and horses I had pegged uh, To use on my tickets The two pure courage is one that I for sure want He just missed second last time out He had some early trouble He was a little bit green late And I think when you look at his pattern I I do think they like this horse They debuted him at Keeneland going long And he he actually was in a a pretty tough race And then he went to Churchill A race was taken off the grass And in both of those starts he actually got some action He was like less than 8-1 to And then he was less than 5-1 to in his second start He came back off of a long layoff on the grass at Sam Houston And he ran off in the race prior to the post parade And just like never showed up And then they dropped him in last time out And he woke up a little bit And they step him right back up Because I I think they like him and don't want to lose him And I do think he's still kind of green Watching his race visually He's still figuring things out if he improves just at all, like one little step forward for him, um, I don't, and I don't think the stepping up from the maiden fifty in this particular spot, I think it's, I think it's wide open, but I don't think there's anyone that's like a monster that really scares me away. Um, I'll, I'll throw him in uh, with the horses you mentioned, the six, seven, eight, all looked live. The eleven Cairo Warrior, you can mention, yeah. even the first time gelding for Pish Whitaker. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see this horse showing a little bit of speed, stretching out and and like trying to hang around late. Yeah, I mean, he was triple, triple, triple crown nominated, so I thought you yeah. know, a lot of them at one point at least. Um, I think we were talking about the earlier turf race, you know, how, you know, 10 of the 12 horses could win. I think it's a you know, similar situation here. You know, you talked about somebody sweeping the whole pool. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see that or, or a carryover or each carryover. Exactly. Um, I think you got to go. <laughs> I mean, if you can afford to, I mean, like five or six deep in here. Yep, to feel I agree. I agree. And even then, I wouldn't feel comfortable. I mean, not at all. I yeah, not at all. 
this is a tough, tough, tough race. And it's fun for as as handicappers, you know, uh, in a closing week like this, where as you said, um, everyone's trying to get one last run at these purses that have been really, really good. Everyone's trying to get one last run for some of their horses that like this track, like this turf course, um, before they go to a different racetrack or before they maybe have to ship ship around and go somewhere else. This is going to be a really fun closing week at Sam Houston, and uh, man, it, it's been a lot of fun uh, getting to getting to know you better the last. Couple months I really appreciate all the hard work You've put in and all the the, the hours That you've given me here on that's what G said uh, Let everybody know uh, where can we follow you You've got uh, OnlyFans going on Where you give uh, great selections and that's sort right. of A grid for some stuff and you're A great follow on social media always posting um, Stuff for Sam Houston Always having a, a fun time too uh, Where can we follow along Yes I'm on Twitter at Sherman underscore Sam uh, Yeah Gino it's been great I, I really appreciate you know, all the promotion you do at Sam Houston, it's my favorite time of the year. The horse is running in Houston. Um, you know, we moving on to Lone Star. It's just kind of, I don't know, not the same. Um, so I appreciate everything you do. And yeah, I think it's going to be a great last week in Houston. Yeah, and uh, look forward to We'll get you back a couple uh, a couple times throughout the Lone Star meet when they have some of their big days and, uh, and, and, and some other days. I don't, need to, I don't need to type you as just a Texas guy. I can bring you on to handicap other big races all over the place. I'll, 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 put, I'll put a little pressure on you some of the places to, uh, to branch out of the, of the Texas uh, typecast that you've been here on. That's what G said. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, I just warn everyone, you know, I probably know 70% of the horses on the backside. And, you, and that's um, what helps. That's what makes yeah, it a difference, and, too. Yeah, handicapping the big stakes races is definitely not my forte. Um, but, but yeah, and, I'd love to come back on during Lone Star. It's, you know, it's kind of a little circuit, so you know, I bet three quarters of the horses in Houston will be the same ones at Lone Star. Sam Sherman, a great follow of social media and a great friend of the show here on That's What G Said. Thank you so much, Sam. Good luck this week, and I uh, hope you succeed in all your wagers. And uh, I'll be going back and forth with you all throughout the weekend. All right, thanks a lot, Gino. Talk to you later. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll uh, wrap up the Thursday action from Sam Houston. Had a lot of fun catching up with Sam throughout the meet. Best of luck to Sam on this big closing weekend over at Sam Houston. Let's wrap up uh, races 6 through 10. So for me in race number 6, I mentioned the 8, NJ's Brass, who I like quite a bit. The 3, Liner Rink. I've got the 1, Cypress Point, as my must-use horses all over. Then what do you want to do with horses like Stay Thirsty Amigo and Broke Financing? Uh, below them, I had the 5, and the six stacked up Ashley's new shoes and uh, adhere to me. In race number seven, I had the nine pegged on top here. That is Tactician. I will also include the three, Real Foot, the two, Dias, and the 11, Twilight Fantasy in my pick fives, pick fours, and in all exotics. In race number eight, this felt to me like the single with the number four. Think it's a donation, chalky single, um, and eight, you know, would be the other logical horse. But I just don't, I, I can't really find too much of, of what I love other than uh, and looking like the four is going to be tough in here. So I won't try to, uh, to get too cute there. In the ninth race, you know, what do you do with Rosie Jane? I, I, I don't think she's by any means a single. Uh, horses who I like much more than her, the six Texas Red Bell, who I, I would maybe single on one ticket and try to get a little separation here. Um, no happy sailor to deal with, moves from the inside to the outside. I'll use the 10 in uh, most exotics, Bebop Baby, who's sharp looking for a third in a row. And I probably have six, 10, three. And then 7-8, Miss Yachty, who can sit a little bit, and True Runner, who might have a, a little more punch on that cutback. 6-10-3-7-8 there in race number 9. And then to close things out, I mean, we talked about how difficult this race was. I had the 2, Pure Courage, on top. I thought the 6, 
Dynastrike was a must-use. You know, you look at the 11 Cairo Warrior. What are you going to do with him coming back to grass? I think he's probably going to be really, really tough in here. Uh, the 8 Chrome Finish, and not exactly just a complete toss. The 7 Gray Storm. The 3 Ghost Speed Racer. And the 10 Whitaker. 2, 6, 11, 8, 10, 3, 7. In, I mean, just a really, really fun Thursday late pick five. The Wednesday late pick five is great. I mean, the Sam Houston racing to end this meet is excellent. And hopefully we can make a a little bit of money to close this thing out strong. We're going to head and start talking about episode two of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier with Tim Kelly. Before we do, I want to talk to you a, a little bit more about Cindy Carava, our friend, full service realtor, Cindy Carava, because one of the more difficult events and stressful events in life is moving. Everything that goes into that process of relocating, all the different factors that you have to worry about. Cindy Carava, and the website is cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. She's going to make your life a lot easier. She can help you in many different ways, selling, purchasing, leasing. She can help you find vendors like handymen, painters, landscapers, gardeners that she's personally used in her own home. Maybe you need help getting pre-approved for a home loan. She can connect you with the lenders that she works closely with and can highly recommend. Covering all parts of San Gabriel Valley, North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. Maybe you just want to see how much your home is worth. She'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. You can find her all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, reviews on Yelp and Zillow, or the website cindycarava.com where you can find all of the new listings and everything going on there. Reach out to her if you have any questions. Make sure to let her know that Gino said hello. Right now, you're going to hear from one man who says hello, Tim Kelly, as we talk about episode two of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We spend about an hour or so going through everything that happened in in episode two. So if you have not seen the episode, spoiler alert, we are going to go through scene by scene, all the major quotes and how everything impacts the greater Marvel Universe, the MCU. A really fun discussion for Marvel fans here as we get really into the weeds. Episode two of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Episode 2 of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series on Disney Plus Tim Kelly here with me like he is each and every week to discuss everything happening in uh, Marvel, the MCU All of these uh, new TV shows that have been released Going to be some movies being released coming up in the next few months So in episode 2 now, Tim, we are really starting to find out about uh, the Star Spangled Man uh, We're starting to find out about this new Captain America John Walker and his partner Lamar Hoskins We have a lot of questions to ask about them We get to see uh, Bucky and Sam together for the first time uh, In what probably about six months or so And it's uh, This thing is moving quickly These are about 40 minute uh, 45 minute episodes They're a little longer than we had with WandaVision And from what I had heard at the beginning of this uh, series that it's basically like a six-hour movie. It really does get that feel two episodes through. Absolutely, yeah. It feels like it's moving along at a good clip. Uh, Definitely keeping the action and the plot points uh, uh, progressing. Uh, not stalling. Uh, you, you you can't give it the same criticism that a lot of people gave for WandaVision that, you know, it's it starts kind of slow. I disagreed about that, but uh, I digress. Um, this is definitely more in the in the line of of just an MCU movie uh, down the middle. And they're 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 hitting all the right chords so far. And 
one uh, other topic that um, it, in a lot of the press releases and some of the interviews I watched uh, leading up to the show with some of the writers and the creators, they discussed how the uh, the topic of race was going to be a major, major uh, issue, uh, issue, sort of a plot point throughout this show. And we yeah. see it massively in the first two episodes. And uh, so much that this is something that throughout comics has always been um, um I, I, an issue has been something that they've uh, they focused on for a while. It, it, uh, a black Captain America, would the world be ready for one? Would, you know, um, and right. the idea of you know some of these black super soldiers that were getting worked on that people didn't know about. So this episode was um, was was very eye opening in a lot of ways. And again, I think it ha- it's hammering in on something that you and I discussed last week. What Marvel is able to do so well And what they've been able to do so well With these movies and with this particular universe Is we're, we're talking about You know Bucky And and the Falcon A guy who's flying around and like a superhuman With a vibranium arm Yet they're dealing with these Race issues and it becomes mm. So grounded while it's so Like fantastic at the same time you know So true and that's what's always been Kind of um understood about Marvel comics specifically is that it takes place in the real world, in our world. It's these crazy fantastical characters and stories that are happening. But, you know, Spider-Man lives in New York City. Yep. Uh, it's not Metropolis. It's not Gotham. Uh, and there's there, there's strengths to that type of storytelling, too, where you create your own story. But I think Marvel really does so well at reflecting things that are going on in our society. And I mean, already in these two episodes, we've touched on uh, redlining and now uh, even referencing the Tuskegee experiments uh, with with, uh, this new episode. So uh, just fascinating how they're doing that and really great. It's a great time for them to be doing a show like this as well. Let's get right into it. We'll hit on everything as we go in our scene-by-scene breakdown of the episode. Uh, Obviously, you're listening now, so uh, I'm sure, spoiler alert, you know, we've been talking about what's been happening. And we're going to go through everything happening in this episode and sort of how it all connects to previous episodes, previous shows, projects down the line, characters, comics. We'll, We'll touch on a little bit of everything as we start this episode with the the new Captain America It's gonna be weird I'm gonna try to I guess I'm gonna be Referencing him in a few different ways I guess like New Cap (laughs) Cap John Walker You know there's just a bunch of different names we can uh, We can use to discuss him but uh, The the new Captain America He's in his old high school locker Room and his high School girlfriend who we presume is Now his wife uh, walks in and They're talking about their old days And then high school glory she would sneak In there and see him before big football games And give him a kiss for good luck and he's he's preparing for uh, this big moment. He's you know he's kind of about to really be unveiled as Captain America and uh, and have a, a big interview. So he's nervous and he's uh, he doesn't want to fail. He said the world expects him to be something, and she wishes him luck. She walks off, and his buddy, uh, who we find out to be Lamar Hoskins, comes in. And he kind of catches John Walker, who's bumbling as he's practicing saying his name. I'm Captain America. I'm Captain America. <laughs> I'm Captain America. And uh, Walker mentions that you know he's been in a lot of meetings, handshakes, lots of bureaucratic BS kind of stuff, but he just wants to do the job, the fighting. And yeah. Hoskins lets him know that the the suit comes with expectations that you can't just punch your way out of problems anymore, which I think is a pretty interesting line that we can uh, delve into a little bit more. He says, "Time to go to work," and then we get the Marvel open. So this sort of yeah. cold open is really 
um, to kind of show you that at the beginning, what I got from this is like, this is not a bad guy. Right. You know, yeah, it's an endearing, it's an endearing scene. Uh, I wasn't prepared for that so early on. Uh, especially I, coming I off the heels. Him. Like, we want to hate yeah. this guy. He's the new, he's not Captain America. You know, we want to immediately not like him. Exactly. And I mean, that that introduction from last week, just visually, something about that, his smug face, seeing him it in that. It was so snossy, like chin yeah. and everything. It was like, get <laughs> this guy out of here, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And so, yeah, I thought it was really smart in the writing to to kind of make him a, a three-dimensional character that we we kind of side with and we kind of understand uh, where he's coming from. Uh, and at the same time, uh, drop a little bit of foreboding, um, just a little bit of detail about his character that this guy wants to fight more than anything. He doesn't really want to be diplomatic. And Maybe to be hot, fair, that's, that point. parallels, right, right. And that parallels uh, Steve at the beginning, if you think about mm-hmm. it. Um, he, he didn't want to do all the, 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 the showmanship aspects of, yep of Captain America. He just wanted to fight for, for his cause. Um, it seems though that Johnny, John Walker just wants to fight. Uh, mm-hmm. so there might, that might be a key difference there. There's no world war two going on right now. And this guy just wants to fight. A couple things that, that I also thought about this scene and, and what it, uh, it might be, maybe tells us about him. Um, so this girl, um, who we're thinking is his wife now, or at the very least his girlfriend, I'm assuming his wife, he, she, this was a high school sweetheart. So I mean, you, right. you're pretty loyal. That like that's a loyal guy, you know. Like he's Good you're point. with someone for that long. Uh, you're now Captain America. You're still with the girl from your high school. He's super sentimental about the locker. Going to see right. his old number. He kind of scratches off his old locker and he sees his where his name tag used to be. You know, years ago underneath. Um, and he really does seem. Like he wants to do a good job And he honestly does um, and, and also another thing I, I picked up Was that they mentioned that they Just just weeks ago they were involved In some sort of a mission So this has all happened yeah. pretty quickly for him This hasn't been like a you know Obviously Captain America's only been gone for now six months uh, Steve But this has really only happened in the last Couple weeks really Since Sam gave the shield back I, I mean I, I think they were probably right. Already in the process of doing this but um, they kind of needed Sam to give the shield back in order for the the process to be completed. Yeah, that's another thing that kind of makes us side with him. You know, he he's he's reacting to his situation. It's not like this is his grand scheme or something for him mm-hmm. to be Captain America. He didn't ask for it. He was chosen, and so we can kind of side with him for that. And also, uh, the other endearing thing about him is, you know, we see those two characters that you mentioned. You know, his his wife and Lamar. They both seem to really believe in him and are mm-hmm. devoted to him. So as as a viewer, we we have reason to as well. We now see. Uh, we'll get that Marvel that Marvel open. But what's cool is it's the song that the band is playing on the field for this big ceremony of the Marvel open. It's not like the normal song or right. sort of it's in sort of like a WandaVision way. They're going with like a little different in like intro theme. And it's the high school mm-hmm. pomp and circumstance all over the place. It looks like it would be like the biggest homecoming you could ever imagine. Um, and they were playing but, Captain America's theme too. I, I, I didn't yeah. notice that off the bat, but in, in a review, I saw that. I thought that was very cool. Um, and that, that whole, um, Montage is actually it visually kind of rhymes Captain America's montage from the original movie. Good stuff. As uh, yeah. he's signing autographs, huge celebration, mm-hmm. and this is all part of Good Morning America. This is this is basically like his first big intro interview 
where everybody can find out who this new guy, the new Captain America is. Um, they have a little corny small talk to open the interview. Uh, before he says that Captain being Captain America is the greatest honor of his life. The uh, woman doing the interview runs down his resume. He's the first person to ever win three medals of honor. He ran RS1 missions in counterterrorism and in rescue. His body was studied by MIT and he tested off the charts in every category. And as she says that, they're showing you know footage and clips of some of the things that he's done. And at one point, there's a little scene of him throwing around the shield, which yeah. is is something that is interesting because if this guy right now does not have super serum and isn't a super soldier, yeah, his coordination and ability to throw that freaking shield was like unfathomable. Yeah. You know, yeah, that stood out to me big time, and, and it immediately raised all these questions. Like, okay, has this guy been exposed to the super uh, soldier serum at that point? Uh, is it is there some type of a propaganda going on in here where they're kind of you know burying that lead? Um, or like we kind of mentioned last week, is he a mutant? Is something going on with that? Or is this just the MCU presenting us with, you know, there's there's people out there that are just that exceptional that they can throw Captain America's shield like Captain America. It was a little confusing for me at first, but I, I suspect that that's part of a kind of a mystery that they're trying to they, kind of plan. They are. The they're teasing us with yeah. that because there are a few different things throughout the episode that really make you kind of raise your eyebrow. Mm-hmm. I mean, like immediately he says right after that, as if like he's not, it, it's almost like he notices the footage or, you know, which we don't even think, know that he, that he could see the footage in that interview. You might mm-hmm. be there. You might not even be seeing what they're, what the audience is seeing, but it's like, he kind of interrupts and says, Hey, listen, I'm not Tony Stark. I'm not Dr. Banner. I don't have the flashiest gadgets or super strength, but I do have guts. He compliments Steve Rogers and says he was inspired by him and that he just wants to make people feel safe. And again, he does not come off as a bad guy at all here or in the locker room before coming out. Like he is saying all the right things, doing all the right things. And we just see (laughs) Bucky watching all of this on TV and he is pissed. He's not happy whatsoever because this is like Captain America is everything that is good to him. Captain America is the reason why he's alive. Captain America put his faith in Sam, the Falcon to be, you know, the next Captain America. And now Bucky is seeing this phony guy with the shield in cap, like in Steve's costume. Like this is Steve's costume, you know? Yeah. And, and what's worse, I think he describes him as a lot, like a brother to him or something yeah. like that. And I think that's was the, like the, the thing that really the straw that broke the camel's back in, in terms of cringe for that moment. Well, yeah, and I, I, I think I saw too. Like, we gotta remember, he was in one of the very first Avengers movies. You know, uh, and and like in mm. the timeline, he's one of the earlier characters that we're ever introduced to, Bucky. You know, like he, oh yeah, absolutely, he's been around from the very beginning with Cap. So even though some, you know, he may not have been like the main guy a lot of the time, there were some movies where he was obviously huge, and he he's been here through it all and kind of seen everything. So. Um, this is, yeah, this is, this is kind of gut wrenching to him as, uh, Sam and Joaquin are prepping for a mission and Bucky shows up. He's not happy with Sam for giving up the shield. He said, you have no right to give up the shield, Sam. Um, that they kind of bicker a little back and forth, but Sam tells Bucky that they've got other things to worry about right now. And that's when he mentions the flag smashers group in Munich. Um, he's going to go check it out. Sam has a feeling they might be a part of the big three. (laughs) <laughs> what what big three? The big three. What big three? Androids, aliens, and wizards. That's not a thing. 
Every time we fight, we fight one of the three. And uh, he, he mentions uh, Gandalf, and that's, that's when Sam says, how do you know Gandalf? He says, I read The Hobbit in 1937 when it came out. And uh, this, is, this is funny. I got that reference. This is such a, a buddy cop, right? Like, this is like a yeah, buddy cop oh, yeah. movie. Like, you're getting, like, lethal weapon vibes and stuff. Like, every time these guys are together throughout this episode, they have a really fun chemistry. They play off each other very well. And uh, it's like this frenemies, like, love to hate each other. But then when when the chips are down, they're going to – they got each other's backs. I love it. Yeah, it, it is that buddy cop dynamic, that 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 bickering where they're getting closer along the way. I, I do think that they're really nailing it. And that – Big three, I, I thought, was a really, really just a funny moment, uh, <laughs> yeah. that kind of a standout moment that, that kind of comes back around in an important way, I think, yeah. Yeah. later in the episode. So they're in the plane um, getting ready to uh, to jump out for their mission, and Bucky's kind of upset because, you know, Sam has a different way of going about it. Like, the thing about Captain America, Steve Rogers, was that he not only was he like the most wholesome and he had like the most genuine person and the best moral code, but the guy always had a plan. He had a game yeah. plan before everything. And Sam doesn't, you know, he just doesn't right. operate that way. He he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't like master plan everything out. He just kind of goes for it. We've seen him now in a, in back-to-back episodes where he just kind of um, tries to kind of, you know, play it by ear and like audible, see He's- what's happening. He's winging it. Yeah, no, there we go. You're right. But I'm Tim Kelly here uh, every week, uh, folks. Uh, Make sure to leave your tips with the uh, with the uh, waiters. So he, uh, there's a moment there where Bucky kind of he he calls him. Sam calls Bucky Buck, and Bucky stops him and says, "You can't call me that. Steve called me that, and he had a plan. You don't have a plan." So there's this dynamic between the between the two of them. Which we also find out uh, a little later in the episode that um, a lot of it is really Bucky projecting things that Sam's got nothing to do with. Yeah, um, Bucky is operating out of, uh, I think, well, we, it, it, he explains it, you know, he comes out with it later on in the mm-hmm. episode. But it's yeah. really, it's it's his own insecurities that are at play in, in all of this. You know, he's looking at Sam as a reflection of himself. And uh, and what what he's dealing with in himself is that penance that we talked about last week. You know, he has to forgive himself and he can't forgive himself um, if he sees Sam as as a reflection of himself. And he sees Sam as somebody that he doesn't really forgive or understand or identify with. So it, it, it's a challenge. for that's part of, you know, their their main conflict right now between the two of them. <laughs> this next part's hilarious. So Sam, Sam jumps out <laughs> with his wings and then yes. Bucky. Bucky just decides to jump out without a parachute. I love him just like fall. He just like he exposes the vibranium arm and just was like using the arm as his like yeah. to, to break his fall on the way down. You know, just like and he just lands like on the ground on his back and Sam's laughing at him. He says, "I got that all on video. You know, I got that all on film." Yeah. And, uh, in I hope that comes laughing. back around too. I hope he's you showing that, that video to somebody by the end of the series. That'd be a great callback. Him falling. Um, yeah. So Red Wing flies overhead, which is great because Bucky hates Red Wing. And uh, Bucky ends up going over to meet with Sam. So they kind of try to figure out what their uh, what their plan of attack is going to be. They think the group they're looking for is smuggling weapons. Um, Bucky wants to go investigate a little closer. And uh, Sam says to him, which is funny, look at you all stealthy. A little time in Wakanda and you come out White Panther. And he, he says, <laughs> it's actually White Wolf. Which is a funny okay. nod to uh, you know, yeah. what, 
comic stuff and what what they called him uh, um, at the end of the Black Panther movie. So Sam and Bucky watch this group of the Flag Smashers. They are loading boxes onto a truck, and they're not exactly sure um, what they are at, at this moment. But Bucky wants to to just go ransack them right away. Um, he says he only thinks there are two of them. Sam is quickly able to uh, you know use Red Wing to find out that there are like seven of them over there, and we see them lifting these boxes. And these aren't even like regular people; they are like lifting like huge like ton boxes like with no problem with just ease, dropping them on the truck. So um, they are uh, the group they were looking for. And they also look to be hiding someone uh, They sense a hostage As these trucks drive off Because now all of a sudden instead of seven people uh, Sam can see Eight and so They have to go after uh, Immediately they think there's a hostage they, They're they going to go attack And Falcon, uh, Sam And Bucky decide to, to head after him Bucky was able to Pretty quickly get into one of the trucks And find out that they have stolen a bunch of vaccinations. So weird in this day mm-hmm. and age, right? Like, right. Yeah, I thought, anything I like thought that was yeah, you know, very interesting. It's COVID a time of era. vaccines right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like they're stealing a bunch of vaccinations because remember, this is a show that was supposed to come out what like a year ago, right? Uh, like this was supposed to be one of the first one on Disney Plus. So I think at least like eight to, to twelve months ago in that range. Um, but for us now, like vaccination th- is a, it just like, means a whole different thing. It's so so strange. Um. So we find a, a young girl I don't know maybe what, in her, Like teens Like 16, 18, 20 max or so I'd say right. um, And Bucky you know Thinks this is the, the hostage That they have And uh, as he says hey you know we're here We're going to help you The girl smiles So kind of initially you think she's just kind of Happy to see someone here <laughs> to save her And then the next thing we see is Bucky flying out of the truck onto the windshield of another car. Uh, She puts on a mask, and now there are four of uh, these flag smashers all on top of the truck, teaming up on Bucky, just beating his ass. Sam comes in and trying to help out, but but they're struggling with these flag smashers who are, uh, and they're they're no doubt like super soldiers. They have super strength. They um are able to you know show the kind of brute strength that uh, Sam mentions that Bucky also has um so mm-hmm. they're not doing great but Captain America to the rescue TK with Lamar yeah. Hoskins they come to uh, to help out they come out of a helicopter and at first Cap is using the shield pretty successfully and helping them out Sam dodges one of these flag smashers who runs right through a uh, a sign and just shows no damage Like these are superhuman beings Cap yeah. takes out a gun To help save Hoskins And um, we're getting this Really great on top Of the truck scene That's almost like a like a train robbery Scene you know like an old right. western Something we'd get in Star Wars too that, that we've seen in like the Mandalorian yeah. or you know Solo Some of those movies so this I thought this action sequence was really really cool and this is one of those Like action sequences that we've Come to know and love with Marvel Yeah it was a big tentpole at, at, you know action Scene it, it stood out for me at, uh, Reminded me of the the One that they you know opened a series with Last week with the helicopters yeah. and I think they're using our heroes Really well uh, Falcon's 
powers are really you know well shown on screen really impressive to, to watch and i like to and watch like uh, our heroes his it's like oh, his, yeah it's like he's improved with his technology and the suit and all that stuff you know i think they even referenced it once Absolutely. or twice with like the stark technology you know yeah yeah you can kind of see it in there that it's stark technology and I, I i love the way he uses his wings um for for defense and I, I love the way he's zipping around uh, outside and that they get their asses kicked. They get their asses handed to yep. him. I yep. thought it was a lot of fun. And too. that's you know, he I don't always see our the guys character to get his ass kicked. You know, like that's right. just part of Sam and, and Falcon. And he does a really great job of playing that. Like he can he can get he can take a few punches, but he's never out. You know, he's down a few times, but he's never out. Bucky, it's funny because. I was reading, uh, I don't know, a recap, a, a write up about an article somewhere, and they had said, you know, Bucky was like going toe to toe with with Steve Rogers, who if you're talking about hand to hat combat in all of uh, Marvel. Mm-hmm. They said, like, who is it? It's probably like Cap- Steve Rogers, Wolverine, you know, and like and like right. one or two others is like the real badasses, and Bucky was was standing up with him. But I think right now a lot of uh, Bucky's issues too are so mental, right? Like he's not mm. in a great place mentally, and I think that when same same with Sam, and I think when that is the case, that also reflects your work and what you're doing. These guys, they're just even though these are super serum, super soldiers that they're facing, they seem like they're just kind of a step slow and kind of a step off right now. Bucky and Sam both. Right, that's a great point, and it also uh, shows how they tell the stories of the characters within the action so well. Yes. Here, I mean, just the fact that um, you, what you just said, but also John Walker, how he throws the the shield with kind of reckless abandon. He, uh, Bucky at one point has to dodge that shield, uh, and if he didn't dodge it, it presumably would have just hit him square. Um, the fact that he's breaking out the uh, you know a gun to use something that Cap wouldn't do in the modern era, it just shows uh, it's very strong character moments that are shown within the action. It's not just action for action's sake. So Sam uh, makes fun of Bucky. Says that little girl kicked your ass, and, <laughs> and so Sam has to kind of save Bucky, who's like trapped, hanging onto a truck. So he has to sort of like fly and catch him, so he doesn't get run over. Um, and so he, like, he, they, they're able to get away. Uh, but the group is also able to get away. So you know they don't complete their mission by any sense. Sam and Bucky realize those were in fact super soldiers, and. Walker and Hoskins, they don't really have much better luck either. Uh, Walker's able to use the shield to save Hoskins when he falls to the ground, but Walker himself gets knocked off a truck and onto a car windshield. So for uh, Falcon, for Bucky, for Cap, New Cap, and for Hoskins, like mission unsuccessful so far. Yeah. Yeah, they all take L's here. So they – uh, they have something to work towards too. Still, I, I like that. All the all the bad guys so far are getting away in this series. Yeah, and it, in the first few episodes, it's great because it keeps yeah. the doors open for for later mm-hmm. on, right? It sort of like sets the tone, but then it gives them them a, a, a greater mission uh, even than their initial one. So as as Bucky and Sam walk together, uh, Red Wing is now gone. Bucky's not really yeah. too too upset about that, you know. <laughs> but he wants to find where the serum is coming from. Uh, Cap and that's when Cap and Hoskins drive by, um, and they offer a ride. Cap wants to team up. He's pretty sure what they're up against is one of the big three: aliens, yeah. androids, and wizards. So he says the same thing that Sam just said a few minutes ago. Which is one of two things, right? Um, it's it's either that that is just something that's in the zeitgeist now that Sam didn't really make up, 
or it's a sign that you know they're being spied on. And and they uh, mentioned it later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he with even, Red Wing, he, he even says like, "We've been tracking you. Mm-hmm. We weren't tracking them." And so you're. That's a great point. It's like, are did they just say that to kind of like, uh, if if you wanted to 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 get buddy buddy with someone, right? You you mm-hmm. you you find out the things they like and what they say and how they talk and you sort right. of say the same things, right? Did Mirroring, he just Sam yeah. say that? And and just now he's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna say this because Sam's gonna love it and, and he's gonna like me for this. So a uh, yeah. great point here. Uh, a lot to that one little line. And then Sam mentions super soldiers. And again, it's because we do these recaps and it's because we've uh, Marvel and Star Wars and all these things we've watched through the years have done a pretty good mm-hmm. job of dropping hints and then coming back to them. But when he says super soldiers, Walker looks over at Hoskins. Yeah. It, he he looks at him like he it's a noticeable like, "Oh, really?" to where it's they either one, they are, you know, super soldiers or two, They've had a discussion about this three. They know what's going like there's, you know, there, there's more, they, they know what's up a, a little more than they're leading on here. There, there's something sort of to that. Maybe I'm reading way too much into it because I'm, I'm like looking for these things sometimes, but it really feels like, uh, like that. And no, I think you're onto something with that. Yeah, I yeah. definitely think that there's something going on there. Uh, my, my, my first, my gut instinct is that, you know, they are already enhanced Yeah. and probably the same source of their enhancement is, is the, the, whoever gave, gave the super soldier serum to the flag smashers. Who we, I think are going to be uh, referencing in a little bit, the power brokers mm-hmm. is, is I think what he's uh, being called and what he was yeah. called in the comics. So that's my theory. Yeah. Yeah, Captain keeps uh, Walker keeps asking them to work with him, and again, like he doesn't come off as a bad guy. Even even here, he just he wants he right. says, "Hey, you know, I think we're we're going to be better. We have a better chance, all of us together. You know, you know, let's let's team up." Bucky just is not having it. Just because you carry that shield doesn't mean you are Captain America. Uh, but after a bit of coaxing, Sam and Bucky decide to take the ride instead of walking the twenty miles to the airport. Yeah. And so while they're riding together, these four talk about those eight super soldiers whose mission is to get things back to the way they were before the blip. So we find out a, a, a lot of like um, really good um, uh, just information that we need in this next little bit. They talk about the globe, the GRC. And this is when Cap actually says he was tracking Sam and Bucky. He was not tracking the other terrorist group. So um, the GRC is the Global Repatriation Council, um, and their job is basically to get everybody back to where they were before the blip. Everybody back home in their own countries, and to sort of um, help divert, uh, help like divert money and funds to all these different things to get people back set up. And this group, mm-hmm. the Flag Smashers, does not like that. They want things to be like they were. During the blip, in fact, one of their big mantras is one world, one people. We hear them chanting a couple times throughout this show. So um, some information that just like really necessary here, finding out about this GRC, finding out a little bit more about the Flag Smashers and what they're um, what they really believe in. Um, And it's it's at this point where Bucky just kind of has it and he, he, you know, he doesn't really want to work along with these guys. He hops out of the car. Uh, Sam ends up hopping out of the car with him also. And Walker says, I get it. 
I'm not trying to be Steve or trying to replace Steve. I'm just trying to be the best Cap America I can. And it would be a whole lot easier if I could have Captain's wingman at my side. <laughs> Which just yeah. a line that just really pisses Sam off. Again, it's like yeah. he seems like he's being genuine, this guy, John. And even even that line, like, I don't think he's saying it as a slight. I think he genuinely no. wants these guys' help. It just comes off as like and everything he's kind of trying to do is is like not going right for Bucky and for Sam. It's just he says it, it almost feels like He'll take one step forward and then two steps back with them, you know, like right when it feels like yeah. they're about to kind of let him in. It's like he'll say or something else will kind of happen that'll it'll, it'll really get to Bucky or really get to Sam. Yeah, Sam, I think reply like uh, you had to say that one last thing. So, something Always the effect. one last line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, I kind of felt the same way, you know, I almost at first when he said it, I I had to think twice about, you know, why that was even offensive, really. It was a, almost like a more of a microaggression yeah. uh, type of thing. But uh, it was I think that he he referred to him as a, a, cap a wingman. wingman. Yeah, not 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 his equal, not his partner as a wingman. So that that I guess implied that he would be his wingman, you yeah. know, that he would be you're my sidekick, you know. You know. Right, right. <laughs> So that just, I guess, didn't sit right. And it, and it shows, I think, that that character, the new Cap, is his heart is in the right place. He just has some flaws that he has to overcome, you know, and that, that there are some, some blind spots, I guess, in his personality. Uh, and they're, they're really important, too. I mean, they're not something that you can really overlook. They're, in many ways, the difference between a, a hero and a villain. But I think that they're, they're planting those seeds to show that, Deep down, he, he's a good guy and he's redeemable, and that you know he does have good to do. Hopefully, I think I called the sm- flag smashers, flag stompers. I think I've called them both, uh, both throughout, throughout, throughout. throughout. But uh, they, uh, I was like, I was laughing. I think I had a reference as uh, a couple different notes. That's oh, funny. That's so a, we now, we now, I didn't, uh, it. I, I didn't hear it, but <laughs> that's funny. We now, I'm gonna uh, call them flag stompers from now on. There we go, right? Yeah. We now uh, flash to the Flag Smashers who are being helped out by the local people in Munich. So it, it basically looked like this was like uh, a local person's car dealership that they own and sell used cars out of. And they have uh, this person who now believes in their cause has opened their doors and has kind of given them a little bit of a sanctuary because they are fugitives on the run. And uh, this this gentleman actually says – all the local people want to help the cause. The freedom fighters who are pushing back, they are calling them Robin Hood. Every day more people love you. You will find refuge wherever you go, one man says to them. As he's got them set up in a cool little bunk downstairs, like internet. They got their own little room and a, and a bunch of beds. Um, so uh, this is a... This is an interesting dynamic here, Tim. It's, it's very... Um, their group is a very, like... Thanos kind of villain group to me in that it's it's evil and it's bad but but like they have a lot of um like legit legitimate like reasoning for them being bad like in their head they're not the bad guy what they're doing is for a greater good yeah like they're zealots but I mean they're they're kind of right uh I think you know it's probably not right for all the aid to go to the people that came back from the blip yeah. Uh, as opposed to the people that were there all, all along uh, suffering. So it, like, th- there's about, probably their standpoint, a point. Somebody, yeah. I, and it, I was something I read somewhere like, could you imagine um, during this five year period when people are gone, think about all of the money that was probably get, being used like to for them 
for different projects right. for different things, you know, improving stuff. And now all of that money is going to be taken from them and given to other people. So your five year life where things were actually sort of good for, I guess, some of the people who were around, not good, but you know, things were, were getting better. There were a better, like they were able to allocate their resources probably a little better. Um, that's not the case anymore. So it's, it just reminded me a lot of like a Thanos like way of thinking, you know? Yeah, I guess that they're the original like Thanos was right people. They're in that world that Thanos, you know, affected yeah. and like maybe they they liked it better during the blip. So they yeah. they would have literally in a way being be saying Thanos was right. So that, that's mm-hmm. pretty funny actually. Yeah. Um yeah. So this girl uh we find out now her name is Carly, which is which is really kind of cool because in some of the comics the the name of the actual flag smasher leader was Carl. So they just changed right. it because it's a girl. I think it was Carl Morgenthau. And and actually mm-hmm. he was the flag smasher. Uh, I don't even think it was as much yeah. of a group as this is. So they've tweaked it now to make it more of a group and they've changed it as just some, something, a little nod to all the people who I'm sure were waiting for a name when they said Carly. They go, oh, Carly, Carl, Carl. Yep. You know, people were able to tie that together. And that's just one of the great things that um, some of these universes do. You know, how I can't even remember how many things I, on d- throughout this season of The Mandalorian I'm, like, waiting for. And then, like, all of a sudden, right. Bubba Fett shows up, right? And there's this moment with him. And then Luke shows up. It's just like you're waiting for these moments and they happen or, or these name drops or, like, you know, uh, at Grant, uh, Admiral Thrawn, you know, and like different things, which are really, really cool. And uh, I think that this name um, wasn't quite as big in the lore, but just kind of like another one of those things that they play on um, for the people who uh, who know like comics canon and who have uh, who are big fans all throughout. So we see yeah, the f- there's a few more uh, of those actually in, in this episode. I, I just wanted to point out while you're on yeah. that subject. Yeah. Um, so Flag Smasher Carl Morgenthau also about him. He was a brief ally of uh, John Walker, the new Captain America. So they could be leading us to kind of explain or, or, or show us down the line that they were connected in, in some way with their backstory. Maybe maybe in the, in the way that I described before. Of yeah, with the power broker. They, they, the power through, broker gave them through both. the power broker uh, who was able to give give all of them um, mm-hmm. this super soldier serum because the, the so the power broker character in some of the comics was basically someone who had the serum and you could you could basically pay him for it to mm. become to become a super soldier but a lot of like like in any you know of these x-men marvel stuff that we've seen through the years a lot of the people who were given it didn't make it they don't their bodies right. don't make it they end up dying in the process of trying to become these super soldiers so um uh, that that's who he is and we are going to you know find out a little bit more about the the power broker in a second because mm-hmm. i'm that's who she's getting a text from we 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 think we are led to believe she's getting a tech. Uh, Carly gets a text message that says, you took what is mine. I'm going to find and kill you. And um, <laughs> we see one of their group is able to kind of hack in um, to a police database and scrape their identities. They're on a, a wanted list. They're being looked for. So they're they're on the run. But they've got this like excited energy because there's their cause is gaining a lot of steam. People seem to be agreeing with their cause. You know, they're getting all like all these people helping them along the way, stay out of trouble, and they all start to chant, "One world, one people." So, uh, yeah, yeah, these these bad guys really do think that what they are doing is for the greater good. They have a greater cause, but um, on different levels of this, what's great is we've got you know 
uh, Falcon, Sam, and Bucky, they're looking for the Flag Smashers, while the Flag Smashers are also being looked for by the Power Broker. You know, so there's this like multiple dynamic right. going on here with with them. It's like this group is sort of like fighting a war on two fronts, and we're gonna see um, as they try to escape from the Avengers, and they also try to escape from this this power broker. Are they going to be able to to stay on the run? I thought that was kind of a cool dynamic here. Is like it it also kind of puts you in, in one thing that um, I think a lot of these shows like doing too is like, are they really bad? These people, right. like you know, you start asking some questions about them, like. What are they stealing from? Maybe are like, are they really Robin Hood kind of people? Are they just trying to get rid of that? You know, we're asking a lot of questions, but I love it when shows can do that and make you wonder, like, are these people good or bad? Yeah, it's amb- ambiguous in that way, and uh, that makes it a little bit more fun. So Bucky decides that he just wants to take the shield and finish the job. Uh, Sam reminds him what happened last time they stole the shield. They were on the run for two years. And they recently just got their asses kicked by a bunch of super soldiers. They have no wings. They don't have anything right now. Um, Bucky does let him know that they might be able to get some information from someone. So Bucky takes Sam to go meet somebody. They show up in a small-looking town. Uh, One kid outside while they're walking through this town calls Sam Black Falcon. And Sam corrects him. He says, "Uh, it's just Falcon, kid. The kid responds, my dad told me it was Black Falcon. And Sam says, is it because I'm black and I'm the Falcon? And the kid says, uh, technically, yes. And Sam says, so are you like black kid? <laughs> Which, you know, and it's just a little small scene in passing, but it does go to show you how much they want to um, highlight the topic yeah. of race in this show. Because that little interaction right there is something that could have totally been without, right? They could have just showed up right at Isaiah's yeah. house, no problem. But that, that, it's it's meaningful, I think, for what this show is trying to do. It was a loaded exchange, absolutely. I mean, it says a lot about, you know, identity politics in this country and, and just the idea that, you know, his, his identity, um, Sam's identity, being black is kind of first and foremost in, in a way, even if it wasn't necessarily his choice. That's how he's perceived in this society. And I thought that that was really... Uh, an important moment to kind of set set the stage for that scene, which dealt uh, even in more depth with with this very subject. So they uh, arrive to see Isaiah. Uh, when they knock on the door, a young man at the door tells them, "No Isaiah there." Um, then he says, "They are not getting in this house." He gets a little more aggressive. Bucky tells him, uh, "Tell the guy from the bar. Tell him the guy from the bar in Goyang is here. He's going to know what that means." <laughs> So the kid lets them inside the house to see Isaiah as Bucky starts to introduce Sam and sort of tell Sam who Isaiah is. Isaiah says, if by met you, you mean I whooped your ass, then yeah. (laughs) And this this scene to me was just wow, like very powerful. And the most important thing I think you're going to take out of all this entire episode of uh, Falcon Mm -hmm. the Winter Soldier. um, He says, we heard whispers. He was on the peninsula, and he's kind of pointing to Bucky, talking about Bucky. But everyone they sent after him never came back. So the U.S. military dropped me behind the line to deal with him. I took half that metal arm in the fight in Goyang, but I see he's managed to grow it back. I just wanted to see if you'd got that arm back or if you'd come to kill me. And Bucky says, I'm not a killer anymore. And Isaiah responds, do you think you can wake up one day and just decide who you want to be? It doesn't work like that. Well, maybe it does for folks like you. 
So we find out now that while Bucky was the Hydra killing machine, the U.S. was trying to send in soldiers to kill Bucky. And everyone that they were sending in, it's like sending them into the Bermuda Triangle. They're just not coming back. They're not, they're just dying, dying, dying. So they decide, hey, we're going to just basically send this black super soldier on a mission that he's not going to succeed at. Like if any if he dies, who cares? We're basically just sacrificing him. But he succeeds. Um yeah. he actually wins in the fight against Bucky. He takes his arm off and we find out that uh afterwards he's not greeted with like any kind of warm hero's rewards and and he'll he goes on with even more, but uh yeah. right off the bat we find out that this guy kicked Bucky's ass. <laughs> yeah. Uh, such a great backstory. I love it. And yeah, you're, you're dead on. This was the most important part of the, uh, the episode. And I, I really hope it's not the last we see of it. I would love to see more of this backstory. It sounds so rich and interesting. And yeah, the fact that there was in this, in this universe, a black captain America, uh, that was whitewashed in history and, and treated, uh, betrayed really by his country. Uh, when he got back, he, he, he mentioned that he, he spent 30 years in jail uh, and got experiments done on him. And none of the, the, the fanfare and the heroes uh, return that, uh, that Steve Rogers got. So it's ultimately an incredibly tragic character. And then learning more about his backstory in the comics, um, you know, he's one of 300 uh, uh, people who were experimented on. He was the only one that, that uh, survived that. And the, and the, I, I just think that, it's a great, great story uh, to, to be telling in this universe. And I really hope they're, they're not just touching on it and paying like a little bit lip service to it. Uh, but um, it's, it's, it's great because it specifically references, I think, the Tuskegee experiments, which is another uh, a dark chapter in our history where we, you know, betrayed black people by uh, um, unknowingly taking all these men and, and experimenting on them with, with syphilis uh, without their permission uh, without their knowledge, and just it, it's one of the 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 darkest things that you know w- we've done in our history, and many many dark things, and, and that we've done against uh, against black people in this country. But it's good that uh, a story like this can touch on something like that, even even if they don't directly reference it. It's very clear that that's sort of the inspiration for the, uh, this backstory. And just think about what what this is doing to Sam mentally Who he's been struggling with this Trying to take the Captain America mantle He's been like a great soldier for the US The Air Force and all these different capacities And and now he's like having to deal hear this story About something that he didn't know He was lied to And Isaiah angrily states that he does not want to talk about it anymore Because Bucky says there's more people like them out there He wants to know how Isaiah says, no, I'm not, I don't want to talk about it anymore. And then we see how strong this guy is. He flings a tin from the table and it gets stuck in the wall. He says, you know yeah. what they did to me for being a hero? They put my ass in jail for 30 years. People running tests, taking my blood, coming into my cell. Even your people weren't done with me, which is a reference to uh, Hydra for, uh, you know, mm-hmm. he talks about Bucky. He says, get out of my house. And Bucky tries to like reason with him for a second, but Sam just kind of grabs Bucky and, and they decide to leave. Because Sam is upset And so outside they're arguing And Bucky uh, He's mad that Bucky never told him about Isaiah He asked if if Steve knew um, A black super soldier decades ago That nobody knew about Uh, Steve did not know And so as Bucky and Sam are having this heated discussion The cops arrive 
and approach Sam. And this is like one of those totally racial, like racial profiling situations that happens oh, yeah. all over the world, all like all the time. Where to you know, uh, and and they really uh, emphasize the fact that the cops are um, are really only like asking uh, Sam for his ID. They're not really approaching yeah. Bucky at all, and. And these guys aren't like they're not fighting even. They're not even like pushing each other really. They're just kind of having like a heated discussion in the street, and and it, this becomes like a scene. Um, you know, the the cops ask Sam for his ID. He's really pissed off. This is like a total racist shakedown sort of thing. And then they they realize this is Falcon. And as the cops are trying to get it all straightened out, Bucky tells Sam hey, he didn't mention Isaiah because he's already been through enough. Which in that sense you can understand why uh, You just want to like This guy's I don't even want to bring like Get him involved in anything anymore Like I don't want to mention his name I don't want to have anybody having to go talk to him Like we'll just leave him alone But uh, they can't really c- finish their conversation Because Bucky has a search warrant uh, Warrant out for his arrest He missed his court mandated therapy So they have to take Bucky in and arrest him They have to take him back to the police station This was a scene that was like uh, one of those like really uncomfortable, you know, something that you see sometimes in movies. But like guys like you and I, I'm a white guy who you know has lived with pretty good privilege my life growing up. Like I don't ever try to pretend that I understand what something like this is like. I just kind of try to listen uh, when I hear other people talk. What's what we've had to kind of just listen the last couple years uh, when people are talking about yeah. some of the things they've dealt with. But this was like a really um, again like we say a real grounded dealing with. Um, everyday issues, and and this is this was something. And again, you know, the, this little scene and the scene with um Sam talking to the kid right before they go in Isaiah's home, just to sh- just to really hammer on this story is all about race and how throughout this even the story of Captain America, like race has been uh, such a big part. Yeah, that dynamic uh is prevalent pretty much no matter. Uh, what scene we're talking about, where where we're talking about the the racial profiling that we see there. It, it, I mean, it directly follows a scene that we're dealing with. You know, a reference to the Tuskegee experiments, and then we see. I think that that they sandwich those scenes together in a way to to just highlight the fact that nothing has changed, or little has changed. At least you yep. can say little has changed. Um, yeah. To where these these problems persist today, and they're they're not just a relic from our past. So back at the police station, Bucky has been. Uh, released. He's about to be released really quickly, and we see Doctor Rayner, the psychologist, show up, and Bucky, Bucky's therapist. So Sam, she's talking to Sam. Sam assumes that she helped Bucky get out, but she did not. Captain Walker did, and he's got a big smile on his mm-hmm. face. He actually knows Rayner. They did some work together before, so he stepped in to get Bucky out. Uh, he actually tells her, I heard you were working with Bucky, so I thought I'd step in. Bucky isn't going to be working a strict schedule any longer. He's too valuable of an asset to have him tied up. So do whatever you have to do with him and send him on his way. So she <laughs> wants to finish some of their uh, work um, in the, the condition of their release, uh, in, in what she's calling a condition of release session with Sam. She wants to have a little group therapy sesh. But I thought this was also um, uh, an important part of the episode and just just one thing Really to take from this is that This Captain America seems to have A lot more power than Steve Rogers ever did Yeah that's a good point I, you know what I didn't Really think about that but he yeah, would have able been to able to like, Get somebody out of jail you know what I mean like He he was a right. soldier they were like Directing him to do a, a, a Or if if he would have Been able to have that kind of power he never would have Abused it 
you know. Yeah, you're right. Um, you're right. And th- this this Captain America plays the game, the politics game, a little bit more, and he cares about that stuff. I think a little bit more than yeah. uh, than Steve did. So we have a group therapy session here, which is totally just like anger management, you know, like counseling. Yeah. Um, it's it's Sam, it's Bucky, and it's Rainer, and she wants to try and exercise first. The miracle exercise, where they talk about if they were to wake up and uh, a miracle were to happen, what would that right. be? And uh, Bucky says it would be if Sam was talking less, <laughs> and Sam says he wants the same. Like a very frenemies uh, exchange here uh, that I oh, thought yeah. was funny. And then the the soul gazing exercise where they have to turn their chairs to face each other and sit as close as possible. And they even get to the <laughs> point where their like legs are interlocking with each other. Right. They're like the moving the chair parts. Those are little things that I even wonder if like how much of those things are like written in scripts or people just improvise that kind of a stuff, you know, because that was just funny. That's like really good stuff. I loved it. I loved how they turned that exercise into a staring contest. Yeah. <laughs> a, and, she, and she gets um, mad. She says, wait, wait. Yeah. Wait, what? When she says, "What is? Why does Sam aggravate you?" And don't say anything smartass. And she, as they're looking at each other, uh, she gets mad because they're having, like you said, they're having a staring contest, <laughs> which is something that the, they have a lot of fun doing. Because you know, Bucky stares, and Sam will will stare back at him. So, um, that that was fun. They're starting to really like annoy her, but but it, then they get into this very real moment. And like yeah. you said, I think it. This is what it all comes down to with Bucky. For for Bucky right now, as he is struggling to to deal with like having mental capacity back, as he is struggling trying to reacclimate into the world and and be as normal of a person as possible after all the horrific things he's done, he looks at Sam and says, "Why did you give up the shield?" Yeah. And you know, Sam is mad, kind of frustrated because it doesn't have anything to do with Bucky. But this is where Bucky, you know, ha- lets him know it does to me. Because he says, quote, Steve believed in you. He trusted you. He gave you that shield for a reason. That shield is everything he stood for. It was his legacy, and you gave it away like it was nothing. Maybe he was wrong about you. And if he was wrong about you, maybe he was wrong about me. So we get this major self-doubt, major projection from Bucky, and we understand now a little bit more up to what's going on in his head. Yeah, and I liked this probably the best out of anything in this episode because it was so real to me yes. and the way it it you know illustrated human emotions. And when when we have as as a human being uh, an issue with another person, it's like nine times out of ten at least that issue is just something that's reflecting that you see in yourself that you don't like about yourself. I mean, how common do you, do you hear that sort of thing? It's like when you see somebody who's crazy homophobic, the expectation almost is like, okay, maybe that person is, is, you know, a closeted uh, homosexual and that they just can't accept it. Um, it, it, It's, it's a similar thing where, you know, you're, you're the problem that you're externalizing is really an internal problem. And then they put that all out, you know, for us to really understand here in, in a way that that felt natural and really uh, just illustrated and highlighted what the, what these characters are going through in, in, in this moment and, and their ultimate trajectory and where they need to go. Sam says, maybe this is something you or Steve will never understand, but can you accept that I did what I thought was right? Mm. So um, this this session did, w- was good and bad, right? Like they, it's great. Mm. Because it's what you're supposed to do in therapy Like get get out What's the deepest inside of you Like like get yeah. your honest feelings out there Even though it might 
kind of hurt whoever you're in therapy with or whoever you're talking to or talking about but but it gets it gets what the reality out there um but a lot of times what it does is initially like at the instant reaction is it pisses people off you know like married couples leave therapy and they're mad at each other because of the stuff that they said or people are sometimes like very impacted by what they've said and, and everything that's been stirred up so they're at this point where they just want to squash the beef, go handle the flag smashers, and then never talk again. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, Sam gets up and leaves, and as Bucky's walking away, Dr. Rayner can tell that he's still troubled, and she even asks him, you know, what, like, you want to talk more about it? What's going on? Like, I know something's up. And he, he says, Doc, what was rule number two again? And she says, don't hurt anyone. And he walks off. So mm-hmm. he's talking about himself. You know, is he going to go crazy and just kill, you know, right. he's talking about watch out for everybody else. It's just, it's funny. Cause I, I took that initially as like himself is hurting right now, you know? And, and is that like, is he all, is he breaking that, that rule too right now? Just by, by what he's doing to himself. So just so many, so many me, uh, meta levels, uh, with, with these shows, and, um, they, uh, they walk outside of the police station and it's Walker and Hoskins honking the horns. Like just. <laughs> I, I get like a very like frat broy kind of a feel from him, you yeah, know. Um, yeah. Uh, sort of like a phony, like, hey guys, you know, like he'll kind of play it on, but like there's a deep dark secret underneath, and we we kind of see that in this little interaction because yeah, um, uh, Walker and Hoskins inform Sam and Bucky about the leader Carly Morgenthau, and as Bucky kind of just continues to be a dick to Walker, Sam tries to defuse the situation. But he agrees that they really shouldn't work together because Bucky and Sam are free agents. They can go on their own and they can do things that Cap and Hoskins can't. They have protocols and authorizations they have to get by. And as they walk off, John Walker says in one of the first maybe real like sort of kind of you get a sense of evil from him says uh, a word of advice. Stay the hell out of my way. Yeah. So uh, it's getting aggressive. He, getting aggressive. Yeah, he's he's with not him. happy to get turned down repeatedly by these guys who, you know, he just went and got Bucky out of jail and made it so he doesn't have to do this court mandated stuff. And and now they they keep turning him down, and he keeps you know telling him he's not the real Captain America. But he's starting to get upset. And remember, like his buddy Hoskins referenced earlier, this guy could be a hothead. He's someone who likes to try to punch his way out of things. So right. Uh, right. That and it it, it kind of reminds me to your uh, to what you said before. It's like the frat brother. They wanted him to join their. He wanted the Sam and Bucky to join their frat. They don't want to join their frat. So now he's saying, uh, "Stay out of my parties. You can't come to my parties anymore." So we get to see uh, that the flag smashers are now back in Slovakia, and there's a plane being loaded by Carly and uh, their group. They're loading these vaccines onto a plane, but they realize that they are being chased and they're being they, they've been found by the power brokers people. They even make a reference to that. So they hurry to finish loading as we see cars coming for them. And this this was a like a very, um, you know, kamikaze moment for one of their group where he says, hey, I'm, I'm going to basically stay and sacrifice myself to give you guys the, the time you need to get away. And so he he yeah. runs over, he uh, cuts down like a, a big uh, uh, like telephone pole, and it, so it blocks the street so the cars can't get through. And he basically just puts on his mask and walks at them as he screams, one world, one people, and he gets gunned down 
as the plane flies off. So, um, you know, this is like what we've seen with Hydra. We see this through a, a lot of other, um, you know, instances right. in in comics and stuff where people will either take the pill or do something. It's in Star Wars. It happens too with, uh, you know, all over the place. They sacrifice themselves for what they think is the cause, like the greater cause that they're working for. Yeah, they're like suicide bombers, uh, and it, it it really just highlights and underscores that these guys are believers. They're true believers in in, in uh, the principles of you know uh, that that the, the blip, everything was better during the blip, and uh, this they're they're zealots for this cause, and uh, it's not something that's phony. It's not something that they're being paid to no. do. No, and Sam and Bucky uh, talk about what's next. Bucky thinks he needs to talk. To someone he you know he discusses talking to Isaiah again or finding some information from someone who knows all about Hydra to try and get more info. Sam says, "Okay, I'll, I'll go with you." They're gonna go see Zemo, and the last scene that we get uh, before the credits roll, we get a look of of Zemo in a cell, and it was very like I got Hannibal Lecter and Magneto feels mm-hmm. when yes, we're watching chess. Yeah, like chess pieces for Magneto chess for sure. Pieces and the way it sort of just looked like they're watching on the monitors is kind of like a Hannibal Lecter thing there too. Um, so in the next episode, they are going to try to grab, uh, gather information from Zemo, and we have a, a ton of questions that we're asking ourselves coming off of uh, this one now. Like, is John Walker a good guy? Uh, some of the things yeah. that were were set were in the um, in some of the comics too, Tim. The character Super Patriot Who ended up mm-hmm. becoming Captain America He wanted to be Captain America So what they did is Him and Hoskins Would would set up crimes That they could stop And come in and save the day And look like the great guy uh, um, False flag attacks Exactly yeah. You know, So is uh, is this guy a good guy? Is he a bad guy? We got this entire world open up with Isaiah Bradley, uh, the the power broker name, and now we know about yeah. Carly Morgenthau. I feel like th- this is like when a, recapping an episode like this and kind of like looking at notes and stuff, going through all the key checkpoints that I had. There was a lot, you know, the Global Repatriation Council. We found out about them and a little bit more yeah. about exactly what they do and what the the Flag Smashers are all about. There was a lot. Um, in this episode and, and there was a lot yeah. of important information in this episode A lot of important information And uh, a lot of plot points going down And a lot of easter eggs too And it's sometimes hard to tell Is that it, an easter egg just for fun Or is that something that they're dropping to you know, Bring back around you know, in, a, in an episode or two um, Just for instance I noticed uh, uh, Zemo's cell A lot of people noticed this but It's cell 2187 Which is Princess Leia's yep. cell yep. In, in, in uh, Star Wars uh, so is Zemo getting broken out? That's what they do with, with Princess Leia. Is, is that foreshadowing that specifically he's going to be broken out uh, in the story later on? I, I kind of hope so. I, uh, as much as I think it's going to be fun for them to do the whole uh, Hannibal Lecter trying to, you know, interview him and find out information. Uh, you know, it was way more fun at the end of the movie when Hannibal escaped. So <laughs> let's get to that part. I want to see. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to see Zemo full on as his character. And uh, you know. Walker and um, and his sidekick Hoskins are they you know super soldiers um, are are they right. going to be good or bad um, the whole everything with Isaiah now you mentioned the 
the story of Isaiah. I think it was in something that was called Truth, uh, Red, White, and Black. And right, right. He was the. I think he was the only one that survived. And what happened was, as he he goes to do the mission that they ask, and while he's over there, their Captain America's shield and uh, costume was was there. And he's trying to to get out, so he grabs the shield and he's like using it on his way out. They end up charging him with impersonating Captain America, and that's why he gets wow. thrown in jail. So um, that's what they're able to charge him with, which is just a, a, a you know something you know he he completed a mission thought to be impossible. Um, and and race yeah. in American history, you know how much race in American history um, is. Going to parallel race in this story I think they've done a fascinating Job with that because uh, To try to act like in any Story race wouldn't have been An issue throughout the 1900s In this country would be Really really like ignorant You know to act like there was not Like that was not happening in, in some Other way shape or form so the way they're able To use that man this like it felt This episode again I keep saying grounded Real and it feels so different than everything we saw from Wanda in such a good way, and not because we didn't like Wanda. We loved Wanda. Just yeah. different, different, and back to the um, the continuation uh, of Marvel. And I mean, they're dropping all these Easter eggs, Tim. About you know, uh, are we going to get some sort of a Young Avengers show now? Who was the kid right. that answered the door at uh, Isaiah's house? And so I and have now- a little information about that. Actually, okay, funny here we go. Let's talk so about it. the little kid, uh, from what I understand, uh, is the grandson of, of Isaiah named Elijah, who goes on to become a character known as Patriot in the Young Avengers. So you're dead on by, by mentioning the Young Avengers, that they are setting that up. They've, we've got Kate Bishop coming in the Hawkeye show. Uh, a few other Billy examples. and Tommy That's in, right. uh, yes. in WandaVision, you know? So, exactly. Uh, and a little bit about the backstory of uh, Elijah in the comics, he become he gets his powers by injecting himself with mutant growth hormone, which is essentially like um, an analog for steroids uh, in the in that arc of the comics. So we could I potentially see that come around here. I, I would say maybe either with the super soldier serum or maybe the, after they introduce mutants, it'll be you know it, it directly mirror how it how it uh, played out in the comics. But very interested to see that. I also found out in doing a little you know research in the backstory that. Um, that Isaiah had a son named uh, Josiah X, also went by Justice, uh, uh, and that he was, I believe, created in the lab when they were doing experiments on Isaiah during that 30-year period. I love this episode. I love this episode. There was so much story, so much setting. I can't wait because, Tim, I can't – I mean, next week, we're already going to be halfway through. When we talk about the next episode, wow. that's already going to be three episodes in of uh, our six-episode uh, season here, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Thank you so much for helping us out again. I am excited about next week's episode. I uh, can't wait for uh, late Thursday night or just after midnight <laughs> when I can flip it on. Tim, uh, give everybody your plugs. Where can we follow you and let us know about Ice Cream Fire? Thanks so much. Uh, you can follow me on social media uh, at Tim is not funny on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can also check out uh, my music. Uh, my music group is called Ice Cream Fire, and you can listen to us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and anywhere you stream music. Tim Kelly will be talking to Tim again next week when it's uh, episode three of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Thanks so much, buddy. Have a great week with Thank the family. You. Thanks. You too. Plenty more to discuss here on That's What G Said, folks. Don't go anywhere.
cannot believe that it's already going to be episode three of this short series, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So far, so good. Tim and I are really enjoying what we've seen through two episodes. And I really enjoyed this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Big thank you to Tim Kelly for helping us out with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Thanks to Sam Sherman for helping us out with Sam Houston. Thanks to Jessica Paquette for helping us out with Sam Houston. And thanks to Mike Abadir for helping us out talk Major League Baseball and the American League preview there. Hope you enjoyed this episode of That's What G Said. Don't forget, later on this week, our next episode is going to be action-packed. We'll conclude with Friday and Saturday racing from Sam Houston as they close out their meet. It's going to open at Keeneland on Friday, so we'll have Friday and Saturday racing from Keeneland. Scott Shapiro is going to join me to talk about the Saturday stakes there and the bluegrass. David Aragona is going to uh, join us to talk about the Aqueduct Saturday stakes races and the Wood Memorial over there. Chappy Jeff Chapman is going to join us to talk about Santa Anita and the Santa Anita Derby over there. Uh, I think Nick Tamaro, Andy Villanueva, Andrew Champagne will be helping me out with Sam Houston between Friday and Saturday. We'll have this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. We'll have NBA talk and we'll uh, check up who is uh, who are the other couple teams to make the final four. We'll preview those matchups. Yeah, all that coming in just a few days on That's What G Said. Joey, buddy, close this thing out. Sure.